Thursday, February the 23rd, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. I just cannot get rid of this on and off cold sickness that it's been like two months for me, my son, my girlfriend, my mom, my dad. You can hear it in my voice. I don't feel quite as bad, but nasally, cough, just runny nose, just all that stuff. A few days and then off. And then a few days, get some antibiotics, get through the antibiotics. It's just, he's been going to school. So we're, we're catching everything from school. And the weather's been weird out here in Southern California. We actually have a blizzard warning right now in Southern California, which is like one of the first ones that they've ever had. So apologies if I sound a little, uh, a little nasally. You know what I've got going on right now? I've got the Phoebe Buffet. Sexy voice when she got sick. Smelly cat, smelly cat. What are they feeding you? So deal with it as we get set up for this week's episode. NBA with Eric, we recorded and talked all about what to look forward to post All Star game. There's only like 20, 20 plus games for a lot of these teams. The Lakers have 23. So we went through basically every team in the East, every team in the West positives, some negatives, what to look for, and where they could stack up. Eric joins me for over an hour on NBA Talk. Then let's get into some horse racing. So because of that blizzard warning in the weather, Santa Anita canceled racing all weekend long. So we'll talk Friday Gulfstream best bets. Then we're going to do the Friday or the Saturday Gulfstream late pick five with Josh Rodriguez. Shout out to Josh. This will be the first time he joins us. He's from... Uh, on the wrong lead, and he does the he does a podcast, uh, drank in champagne with our, our buddy Andrew Champagne. So it'll be fun to talk with Josh, and then from the DRF, Mary Rampolini, who is the mid uh, mid south correspondent, she joins us to talk about Oaklawn races seven, ten, and eleven for Saturday. All three of them are stakes races. So we'll go Friday Golfstream, best bets. Saturday Golfstream, late pick five. Saturday Oaklawn. We'll hit the Rebel, we'll hit the Honeybee, we'll hit the Carousel. We'll hit all three of those stakes races with Mary Rampolini, Josh Rodriguez for the Gulfstream races on Saturday, Eric for the NBA. Then we get into wrestling this week, but it's not Chad Cooper this week. He'll be back with us next week. Darren Zocali actually joined me to talk a little bit about the Elimination Chamber and what happened on Monday Night Raw. And then we also did the old wrestling rewatch WrestleMania 12, the Iron Man match. We also have the backlot brawl, the return of the ultimate warrior. Lots to discuss match by match. WrestleMania 12, the old wrestling rewatch. All of that on this episode of That's What G Said. That is presented by Better Than Vegas at BTV Bets. Make sure to go give them a follow right now on Twitter. Every week, incredible schedule of content right now. Uh, I'm a part of the Monday Mohawk shows where we dive into the early pick five from Mohawk. I'm a part of the Wednesday NBA show with Eric and with Kyle. Also a part of the Saturday college basketball show. That's at 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern time Saturday morning. Tune in at BTV Bets. Everything is free over there. All free content. A bunch of handicappers, gamblers from all around the world just wanting to help you become a better better. We dive right into the NBA with Eric, let's talk some round ball, and we talk about the Celtics, the Bucks, the Nuggets, who all had infa- uh, incredible, fantastic first halves of the season. Now, can teams like the Lakers make some noise? Can they get into the playoffs and the play-in tournament? Let's talk about it all with Eric. 
time to talk some NBA and it's not even the second half of the season. There's really only like 20, 20 ish games or so left for most of these teams. Our focus will shift from the NFL to the NBA, but we've got the same sharp handicapper, our good friend, the man that you hear on. That's what G said each and every week, Eric from Etoff two, one sports. Hey buddy, kind of a disappointing, like just a, it feels so different with the all-star weekend than it used to. Like I used to get excited as a kid to watch the all-star game and some of the festivities. And I just could not care. I care about it at all. Uh, you know, these last couple years. I mean, I think that's more with us just being older. Yeah. Like when we're a kid, you know, we're it was cool. Now we kind of know what's going on. I really feel though, that the basketball game itself is just a complete embarrassment. It's and- bad. And, and and honestly, it's it's kind of tough because like all these guys get hurt so much, and in, in the last couple of years, so many of the big stars have gotten hurt. You can understand why they don't want to go out there and crank it up to a hundred. What incentive is there for them at that at this point now? And it's not like the guys used to have a little bit more pride too. And I think because players didn't change teams quite as much, the East versus the West kind of meant something, right? Some yeah. of those guys when they would match up now. There's no real East versus West that players all get drafted. I just, I just don't think there's a whole lot of care about it overall. Honestly, I agree hundred percent. It's just kind of like people are there. I maybe the skills competition, three on three, something like that. Maybe do something. Yeah. I kind of like a three on three, maybe. Yeah. Something different, but got got to have some different ideas moving forward because that was uh, that was broken. We won't talk a whole lot about that, but we will talk about most of the teams in the NBA as we get ready for this final third of the season or so. Let's start with the Eastern Conference, Eric, and let's go through just from the top down as we look at the NBA standings right here up at NBA.com. We uh, we have the Celtics up top. Tatum scored 55 in the All-Star game, broke their record, and they have now named Joe Mazzulla the permanent head coach. And, and this is just a very good basketball team, right? They are, I think, the only team in the league top five in offensive rating and defensive rating. They're third in offensive rating, fourth in defensive rating. They're very good. I feel like I'll probably have the same exact questions with them that I had last year come playoff time. Are they big enough and deep enough to bang with a team like the Bucks if the Bucks are healthy and maybe throw enough bodies at a guy like Embiid if he's healthy? They'll have Robert Williams, but not much other than that as far as bigs. No real knocks on them overall as a team. Tatum continues to get better. He is a legitimate MVP candidate, and he can carry this team in any game, in any quarter, and go one-on-one with anyone. I mean, not, not a whole lot of knocks on them. I just, I don't know if they're the best team in the league, like the record may suggest. And come playoff time in a series, I would probably pick two or three teams ahead of them. My issue with them is we saw when Smart went down, their offense kind of struggled a little bit with everything going on. As someone that lived through Brogdon in the Bucks choke when they're up 2-0 in the conference finals against the Raptors, it's really hard to trust him in some pressure situations. I'm still not the biggest Grant Williams guy. Al Horford is a whole year older you know father time is undefeated they do have a little bit of questions but if tatum plays the level he's playing at could he put this team on the on his back with the pieces that they have yes but i don't think they're as good as their record indicates yep i really feel that the bucks just are just kind of 
trying to, like you said, trying to stay healthy, keep everyone healthy. Obviously, we don't know what's going on with this wrist thing with Giannis. But if you just kind of sit back and think about it out loud, when is the next time the Bucks are going to play a meaningful basketball game? Probably the second round of the playoffs. What is that? The last week in April, first week in May. Yeah, and you know what and I mean. Bucks so, right now, yeah. they, and they they've won twelve gonna, in a yeah, row. He's going to have a ton of time to get ready and get healthy. So I'm not really worried about that. I think the big and you have thing, Middle, Middleton's back now, so he can take a little bit, and he's starting to look a little more like Middleton. He can take a little bit of the offensive load from Giannis even now. Middleton, he's played ten of the last twelve games. Now, the most he's played is 24 minutes, but they're starting to ramp him back up. He's averaged over 15 points, 3.6 assists, 4.7 rebounds during that stretch. He's not shooting all that well from three quite yet, just 31% on four attempts um, per game. But the last six games, he's improved overall. He's he's up to 18-plus points per game, six rebounds, 3.5 for uh, assists. Still not shooting great from three except for the night against the Lakers. He, he does, but of course I always point that out. Uh, and then Brooke is playing well. He had a monster game the other night. So I, I have the least amount of worries, I think with a healthy Bucks team. And they feel like they're starting to get healthy. Cause I, I'm not really worried about the Giannis wrist stuff. I'm, I'm really not. I'm not just because there's so much time. I think getting Crowder <laughs> was big for them just because I'm not great. I had no knock against Grayson Allen. You make it to this level of basketball. You're a phenomenal player. He, but he's really limited defensively with what, and he's so up and defense. down, and so up and down, and his release point on his jump shot is just so low. It's easy to block, and his release isn't that quick. So I really think Ingles getting healthy, coming back more to the rotation, getting Crowder, that is kind of a di- net less Grayson Allen for them moving forward is a good thing. One of the things that's kind of being underreported is. They almost hit a home run during the trade market. They almost got Toronto to trade Van Vliet to them. Yeah. Well, while keeping Middleton and Holiday. Which I mean, could you imagine been. that team with Holiday, Van Vliet, Van Vliet, excuse me, Middleton and Giannis? And Van I Vliet mean, can, can run the second unit, really yeah. run that whole second unit. He can take care of a lot more offense, <laughs> and you have the defense and the length with the rest of the guys on the floor to make up for him. That would have been a very nice fit for him. We'll talk about Toronto in a little bit because they didn't end up do, doing anything, actually. They ended up bringing in uh, Pirtle, who was a guy that you actually talked about. He's a, a really good advanced metrics guy. So now a lot of strengths. I guess one of the weaknesses that they've had so far this season, um, I guess a couple. Like their half-court offense has been a little bit stagnant. And their net ratings in the second quarter aren't good, and I think that just has to do with the depth so far because they've been they've been banged up. Now I think some of those ratings will go; they won't be as bad because if you have a guy like Middleton there to sort of help on the second unit, you can spread Giannis out a little bit. You're always going to have a legitimate All Star with the ball in their hands now. Yep. 100%. So I, some of their weaknesses I think won't be as weak weak as strong weaknesses with everybody back. Now they're going to be legit and they're going to be tough to beat at the top of the East. You had pointed out, Eric, when we talked a few weeks ago that you sort of liked the way Embiid was playing this year and the sort of liked the way he was handling his business. And the 76ers are 26 and seven in their last 33. They've won four in a row. They're the number three seed. They're only three games back. So they actually could get to the number one spot. It wouldn't be that crazy for them. The one thing I didn't like though, and 
Embiid said the other day, I'm not healthy. I haven't been healthy for the last couple of weeks. So the one thing that bothers me about that, he plays 28 minutes and takes 19 shots in the All-Star game. Look at what LeBron did. He played 14 minutes. Look at what Giannis did. He played one minute. If those, if if you know what the really important thing for you is to win a championship and to be healthy at the end of the year, I don't know if I want him out there for almost 30 minutes taking 20 shots when he's not healthy. I would have preferred him doing what LeBron and Giannis did. Go out, make your appearance, and then let some of the other guys shine. Um, overall, though, this team just feels they feel better than they were last year. I don't know if I'm going to trust Doc Rivers and Harden when it comes down to a clutch situation. There's already been rumors about Harden going back to Houston, but I I feel better about them now than I did a year ago. It's just, do they still have a ceiling with Doc and with with Harden here? You know, can Embiid carry the load for them and and beat a team that they're not supposed to beat because he averages 35 in the series or, you know, 40 points or something like that. If Embiid can keep his mouth shut and play focused and the way he has the last part of the season, I think it's going to be, I think they can make a run. (coughs) Excuse me. Their thing, excuse me. The thing with them is this. I think it's impeccable that they get to the one line because I don't see them being able to be Milwaukee and Boston, and Boston back to back. back, to back. One of the two, maybe, but not that would be a tough 13, 14 games, right? In like two long series where you got to be ready to, to bang. And I agree with you. I don't, if they could get the right, the right road, I could see it happening. But Philly playing some good ball currently in the, so with, that, so with that being said, I'm, I'm one, am I allowed to say a sports book or not? Please do. I'm looking at DraftKings right now. So based on what you and I just said, and we both agree with the statement that Philadelphia needs to be the one seed to come out of the um, the Eastern Conference, which is still feasible. They're only two, two behind the Celtics in the loss column. Looking at it right now, they're plus 550 to win the East. But to be the one seed in the East, they're 20 to 1. Why, you know what I mean? Like, if you think Philly's going to come out of the East. What, and like you said, I don't think Milwaukee cares. Yeah, I, I think don't think Milwaukee sense. cares about getting yeah. a one. I think they, they're fine with being a top four team, getting a home field court advantage, and that's fine. Like, Milwaukee's not scared of anyone. I don't and, – and Boston, they've actually said that they're going to force Tatum to, to miss some games down the stretch because they want him to be healthy. So any back-to-backs, they're going to try to sit him out and limit his minutes a bit. So if Boston ends up losing one or two games because of that, if, you know, Milwaukee says, hey, let's hold Giannis out of a game or two here just for the same thing now. We got Middleton back. Let's get – so maybe those top two teams lose one or two more games than we would have expected, and Philly decides, like you said, hey, we don't want to put ourselves in the situation where we got to be in two complete brawls. I think they're the value. Right now, and excuse me. I mean, it's looking at their schedule. It it is kind of doable. You know, they got some. Oh no, I take that back. They kind of do have a tough schedule. Looking at it right now, Memphis, Boston, Miami, Dallas, Indy. The really the only team that I see them playing that probably is going to be eliminated by the time they come around there is Chicago. So I mean, they do have a little bit of a tough schedule to close the season. 
So that's Philly as we continue along through the East. We're up to the number four seed, the Cleveland Cavs. Mitchell has six games of 40-plus points this year in 50 games. He had nine games of 40-plus points in five years in Utah. (laughs) Um, And one thing that you and I have mentioned a few times, and I don't know if enough people recall, he's seventh in career playoff scoring per game. He's a monster in the playoffs, Donovan Mitchell. Um, He's averaged over 28 points per game come playoff time. So this is the type of team that you get in healthy and you have a legitimate closer on that team that has proven himself. This team is first in defensive rating. They have the most double-digit wins in basketball. 26 of their 38 wins have come by 10 points or more. They just put teams away. Um... Their clutch performance has been solid. They should be better in better though, based on some of the metrics. Donovan Mitchell's been okay late. The offense gets a little bit stagnant, and there isn't a lot of ball movement. That's when they sort of struggle. But they're second in nightly point differential, plus five point seven per game. Uh, they're only behind the Celtics in point differential overall. So this has been a pretty good team. And I think they're probably right around where we had expected, Eric, when they made the trade and they made some of the big moves in the offseason. A good basketball team. I think sort of what you were saying about Philly, I, I think Cleveland, especially with a good series from Mitchell and Mobley's playing well, they're like they're really well balanced. I think they could beat one of the three teams in front of them in the East, but I don't think they could beat two of them. Like, I don't think they're quite ready for that yet. Talk to us about the Cavs. Excuse me. Jeez. My thing is this. Um, I just can't get over them losing to the Mavericks when basically Luka didn't play the first couple of games. Yeah. With, with, with just on a different yeah. And Mitchell for his scoring record is phenomenal. Don't get me wrong, but he's still only 17 and 22 in the playoffs. You know what I mean? So he doesn't really have that much of a history of winning in the playoffs. I'm a huge Garland fan. I really feel with him being there, it just takes the ball out of Garland's hands. Obviously you have Jarrett Allen, phenomenal center, phenomenal piece. I think he's one of the best young players in the league. You have Mobley. They have incredible size up front. They have Ruby Rubio, which gives you experience. I'm just not the biggest Donovan Mitchell guy in the playoffs. Cause at the end of the day, I truly believe like you just, are who you are and we've seen this in the past from him where he's been in playoff situations where they should have won and he hasn't and the team hasn't won and that's yeah. just my and that's story. and that's a fact and my only counter for him would be maybe let's just give him one shot with a different squad in a different situation because there was something weird with that Utah team you know, I don't know, just the combination of him and Gobert and the staff. I think the, the coaching staff was very good, but they they did. And, and you're maybe it's him. You're right. Maybe it has to do with the fact that he can score, but he's not incredible defensively. He's awful, he's awful defensively. Oh, yeah. And, I will, time- and, and he's he's been terrible in the past. This year, it's sort of like what you see with like some of the guys on the Lakers right now, like a D'Angelo Russell. Like if Mitchell just tries – that's like that's more than he's done in most of his years. He's he's like been a sieve, like an absolute just Olay defense in the last few playoffs. If he can just throw his body in front of someone, so I, yeah, I don't, I, mean, like, I don't in think. In terms of if you take out, let's say you take out the 
the game, the series last year against the the Mavericks. I mean, that's how do you not? You got to win that series, though. Like you got to win that series. In the past, like when the Clippers didn't have Kawhi and Terrence Mann came in and balled out of control, and the Clippers came back to beat them, and they had that insane record. So I mean, he has a track record. They spit it out against Denver in the bubble. Yeah. Happened into the bubble when they were up again three two, and they had those great back and forwards with him and Murray. So maybe with a few other guys on the roster now, maybe this is a better team and a better fit. But you're right; we have to point out the fact that while he's been good, he's been in in some favorable situations. Right? We pointed out two series where he was playing against hurt rosters, and he should have been the best guy on the court. And while he was his teams didn't win. So what will they do? I will say the team that they, if the playoffs started today, uh, would play in, in round one would be the Brooklyn Nets. This team is so goofy, but they're kind of fun. They have just like a bunch of good role players and you have Miles Bridges now who's kind of become their default man. Um, and he scored 45 last week. He scored 15 points in a row in that game and 17 points in the fourth quarter, I- which was just, like, I love Bridges. I mean, oh, I mean, he he's is, awesome. And now he gets to play a role that he's not really been able to play. He was one of those guys that was like, I'll just do whatever you ask me to do. Some yeah. games I won't right. get at many shots, and some games I'll just play great defense. And now he he was like, What the hell? I'm in Brooklyn, but it's kind of exciting for him to go there. You know, you look on paper, Eric, Bridges, Dinwiddie, Cam Johnson, Finney Smith, Claxton, Cam Thomas, Joe Harris. Ben Simmons, Royce O'Neal, Seth Curry. That's 11 NBA rotation players. Yeah, they they got some dudes. And the, the thing that's interesting about them, and they, they're they four games behind Cleveland, so I don't think they're going to be able to, to, to catch Cleveland. Catch them. But the mindset of an NBA player, you have to remember this is an 82-game season. You're going into Brooklyn to face Durant. Now, instead of that, you're going into Brooklyn – to face Spencer Dimwitty, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson. Your mindset of a player isn't going to be what it would be if Durant was there. And that's going to lead this team to get a couple extra A couple wins. more wins, dude. You're and so they're right. Not, they're going to stay above that, that like, cutoff line. I yeah, think so, too. I do, too. The, the more I've just sort of watched what they have, they just have a lot of professional basketball players. Like guys that would be on other te- really good teams' rotations, they just they don't have one of the top twenty guys in the league. But there's just not like many teams that are probably as deep as they are, especially towards the the back end. The Knicks right behind them, they're in the sixth spot. Eric, they're playing some pretty good basketball. They've won three in a row, and Brunson he is. Had a really nice year. twenty, Just about 24 points per game this year. 6.2 assists, shooting 41% from three. And in his last 10 games, he's averaging 31.5 points per game. In the 22 games since the calendar flipped, he's averaging almost 30. 29.7, 5.6 assists, 4.3 rebounds. He's shooting 51% from the field and 46% from three. Over 22 games, Brunson has been awesome, man. And I'm not sure if you saw the video when uh, somebody told Brunson that they traded for Josh Hart, and he was like, 
so excited. It was pretty cool to see because those guys were buddies from college. They played all those years together. And somebody came up and showed Brunson on their phone. They said, hey, look, we traded for Josh Hart. And he said, what? Oh, and he like big smile. It was just, it was cool to him to see. And Josh Hart's a great fit for them. Um, Randall has had a really nice bounce back year. 20, almost 25 points a game, almost 11 rebounds. And Randall's shooting 34% from three on eight attempts per game. They've been really good in the first half of games, but we're seeing some of the same problems last season in the second half. Not quite as bad in the third quarter, but it's still not good, and they're down in the second half of most games. But they're hanging on, and they've been winning the games that are close. They just need a little bit more from Brunson, a little less Randall at the end. And I think they're starting to kind of find out that the formula there because you don't want to tell Randall, hey, don't don't handle the ball at all. Just go stand down there in the dunker spot or in the corner. You want Randall to still be aggressive because that's what makes him unique. But you last three minutes of the game, I think you just want Brunson making the decisions there because he's a really solid decision maker, Eric. And I think he's proving that that series last year wasn't a fluke. If you put the ball in his hands a lot, he is a smart basketball player. He's not flashy. He knows where to get to his spots. He cuts angles very well. He turns the corner well. He's just a, a good basketball player. He continues to impress me. Yeah, he's been great. And I think, like you mentioned, Josh Hart, since going there three games, you know, 17 points in 26 minutes, shooting 64% from three, averaging three, three threes per game. We, we just can't underestimate what Josh Hart is doing. Thibodeau has always wanted this kid. He finally got him. My issue. He's one of my favorite, favorite uh, players in the league. Josh Hart. I loved him on the Lakers and he does everything that you want a player on your team to do smart. He can guard multiple positions on defense. He doesn't make stupid decisions. He'll hit threes. Josh Hart is an awesome finisher at the rim too. Like he takes contact and he always finishes tough layups down there. I just, I loved him, man. I was so bummed when he left for the Lakers because He's just the type of guy that every NBA contender wants. You want two or three Josh Hart's on your team. That can be like your starter. And then another guy like that to be like your seventh man off the bench, your second guy off the bench. Love the dude. And the big thing, my, my big thing is you mentioned the Knicks. First of all, Knicks best ATS record for the first half, but their interior defense has been putrid since Mitchell Robinson got hurt. I'm not, I don't know at the top of my head when he's coming back. But this is going to be a weakness of a team of a team moving forward. And I could see them dip below this line and be caught by one of the one of the teams we're going to be talking about shortly. Let's keep rolling, Eric. We're up to the heat. Some injuries recently. Hero, Lowry, and Oladipo. Uh, Bam has been awesome as of late for the Heat. They are currently in that seventh spot right now. Bam's been averaging 23 points, nine and a half rebounds, 4.2 assists so far in February. They're just, they play way too many close games. So here's a crazy number. This was from The Athletic, and I was reading an article. In a full 82 game season, the most games that were considered clutch games, like close games, was Sacramento. In 2018, they had 49 of them. So last year, the Lakers. They had 47 of those games. Miami has already played 41 of them this year. <laughs> they, they would be on pace 
to play 57 what were considered clutch games. And then what ends up happening is you're in so many close games, you inevitably lose some of them. Um, they they got to try to put their foot on, on the gas a little bit more. They do acquire Kevin Love. He's averaged career lows of eight and a half points, six and a half rebounds, 20 minutes per game in 41 games, almost all as a reserve. He hasn't played the last 12 for Cleveland. But they do need shooting, and they do just need a little bit of depth. It feels like whenever they get into series, they're just not as deep as whoever whomever they're playing, but their ceiling is really high. They're a tough team to out like we saw last year, even when they're banged up. Let's talk about the Heat. Well, I mean, let's face it. The Heat are in a pickle right now. You Like you mentioned, Kevin Love, what does this do? Do you move Bam to the four now and have Love play the five? And then Love you got to hide him on defense a little athletic. bit. Yeah, because he isn't athletic enough to play on the defense. So to me, that really does nothing for, yeah. for them. Um, in terms, you know, you know, Hero is starting. Is that a big three now with Hero, Bam, and Butler? I really and if you're and so. if you have Hero and Glove on the court at the same time, those are two yeah. minus it's defenders just, that teams can really I attack. Mean, let's just call it what it is. Like, and it's hard to criticize Pat Riley with what an ex- great job he's done there, but him giving that contract to Duncan Robinson. And now he can't move that contract. This team is where it is. And you're wasting Jimmy Butler, who over the last couple of years has been one of the best clutch performers in the playoffs, all because of this Duncan Robinson's contract. It's it's that cut and dry with this team. So I don't, you know what I mean? Like they're just, yeah. they're just kind of in this dead zone right now. You have someone like Butler, you have someone like Bam. I could see them make a push to the six, but it wouldn't surprise me if they're right there at that seven because there, there's one team we're going to get to that I actually did bet them to come out of this group and make the playoffs, but I'll save that. And Miami, you know, wouldn't be a fun team to get in a series with because, you know, Butler raises his level of play and they're going to punch you and they're going to make it difficult for you. But yeah, I, I don't really like all the pieces right now. And I'm a little bit concerned because if you have love and hero out there, then you sort of lose some of that defensive identity that you have. And we'll see if they can make it work in uh, a short period of time. The Atlanta Hawks just fired their head coach four and six in their last 10. They're only one game out of the 10th and final playoff spot. They're currently in the eighth spot. I mean, they just have not been able to make any progress from that Eastern conference final run a couple years ago. They're, that, was, that was fluky. You know it was I mean? like, no guys got hurt. Think they, they got was, the right bounces. The that that Philly really choked. You know, that Philly was the Simmons. Ball. That was when Simmons had the free throws and he couldn't shoot. He didn't shoot the ball in the fourth quarter. And it just shows you that. But I mean, like you know, when you look at their roster in paper, and to me, this isn't a Nate McMillan thing. Nate McMillan, I think he's like the 17th or 18th winningest NBA coach ever. So, you know, like I, I, I to me, it's not a Nate McMillan issue. It's a Trey Young issue. Absolutely. Like this guy, you like ran Pierce out of town. You look at that roster, you got DeAndre Hunter, you have DeJounte Murray, you have Quinn Capella. There is no w- way this team should have 30 losses right now. And to me, it just comes back to Trey, to Trey Young and just with the I don't want to say the type of guy he is, but the lack of leadership, I guess, would be my point. Absolutely. Play a certain way, not getting people involved. And just and then defensively and defensively. He's terrible. They're headed for the fourth bottom 10 finish defensively they've had in his first five years. But the difference is 
Last year, they were number two offensively. This year, they're number 16 offensively. So you're bad on defense, and you're just average on offense. This was a quote from The Athletic. It said, I, and I, I reason why I put this one down is because I know you and I sort of feel similar about Trey Young. Like, I don't love him either, and I don't know how much you can win with him if he's like your, your number one guy. <laughs> I thought you might like this. It said, hope Hawks fans don't take this personally, but I am really sick of this team. They should be so much better than they are. I keep holding out for a turnaround this season. They keep sputtering in their attempts. They're not even fun anymore. What's going on with Trey Young? His stats are fine, but he doesn't seem to have the same impact he used to. They're bad without him, but they're not terribly good with him. I guess that's impact. They start and finish games poorly. They're okay in the middle of games. They're on the wrong side of coin flips when it comes to clutch situation. I just wish they played to their capabilities a lot more because there's so much talent there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> pretty much sums it up for for the Hawks there in the eighth spot. How about the Washington Wiz currently in the ninth spot? They've won six of their last 10. They are 17 and nine since a, a bad start this year where they were 11 and 20. Poor Zingas has played 50 games this year. He's averaging 22.8 points per game, 8.6 rebounds, two and a half assists, one and a half blocks. He's shooting 37% from three on five and a half attempts per game. He is the absolute reason why they've been competitive and they're right around 500 because he's played in 50 games. My guy Kuzma, people used to laugh at me. when I said Kuzma was the man. He's been really consistent this year. And the one thing I have loved about him, he's improved different parts of his game every year. He came into the league and he was just this like offensive guy who would try to light it up. And then he improved his rebounding. He improved his defense and now his playmaking. So all every year in the off season, he's gotten better. He's averaging 35 minutes a game, scoring 21 and a half points, 7.6 rebounds and four assists per game. He's got half a steal and half a block too. And he's shooting 34% from three on seven and a half attempts. So, this team is is at least kind of fun, and they've been playing pretty well for a good amount of time now. They're fun. You have Beal. You have Porzingis. It's going to be interesting. Could they be the Hawks for sure, the Heat, maybe, in one of these one-and-done things? Oh, yeah, for sure. Easily. Absolutely. But Not That's basically it for yeah, them. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, they do have some holes at some other positions. I am a little – I mean, like, that's, I mean, I hate using the word blow it up, but you, you allegedly have two to three generational talents in this draft. If you're a team like the Wizards, why are you doing what? Like, why didn't you blow it up and try to get in that lottery? And then uh, right behind them, it's the Toronto Raptors. Everybody said they were going to be sellers. They were not. They kept all this core. They brought back Pirtle, and they're not incredibly deep, but damn, they're like six or seven is very good. They've got some flexibility. Siakam, Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, and Pirtle now. I would not want to run into this team in a street fight, and I think this might be the team that you were talking about. Yeah, I I like this team. I bet them at plus 175 to make the playoffs. Part of the reason why is when you just kind of look at their last five games to get that push to kind of get up to that that line where you only need to win one game, that seven line. Two games against the Hornets, tanking. You know, God only knows the roster they're going to lay out. Then you have two games against the Celtics and one against the Bucks. And we both talk about seeding is really not that important for those guys. You know what I mean? So they're not. They have five easy games to close on. They have an easier schedule 
when you look at the teams that are in this clump. And then on top of that, the thing that they're doing now is you bring Trent off the bench because everyone slide down. They were playing without a, out a traditional big man. They had yeah. Siakam playing the center, not or that uh, at Kawan more. I totally butchered that. Oh, Achuma, Achuma, precious. Achuma yeah. playing the center, Siakam playing the four. Siakam moves to the three. That guy moves to the four. Pirtle moves to the five. Barnes moves to the off. Van Vliet stays at the point. Now you bring Trent off the bench. Everyone's playing their natural position. You're not going to get exposed more on the boards. And Pirtle's just as good defensively, so you're not missing a beat. I think this team is pretty in a pretty good position. And that plus 165, plus 175 to make the playoffs, I absolutely love that bet. Yeah, because what, what's really key for them is just getting to the eight. Because then you only have to win one game. Right. So if you play them right now, they're only a game behind Atlanta where we stand right now. So if they can just get to the eighth spot, then they'll be in that seven, eight game. They win that game and you're in and you get the number two. And then it doesn't matter if they get swept in the playoffs, just getting into the playoffs. Like you said, and I agree. I think they're a really fun team that is going to be a tough, tough out. So that was what? Plus 175, 165? I think I got I'll be honest. I think I got it at plus one eighty five, plus one seventy five, and I took a nice. little bit at plus one fifty five. So awesome, awesome. And then the final two teams that are just kind of on the outside looking in. The Bulls have lost six in a row. We just heard about Lonzo Ball, which is just a bummer, man. He was playing good basketball, and he looked like he was starting to, you know, improve and really figure things out. But this is a guy who's just he's had some health issues. We've seen really good players through the years just not be able to get healthy. It's a bummer for them because when Lonzo was playing with them at the beginning of last year, they were fun. And you had Lonzo and Caruso to help put some defense in the backcourt. So it made things a little easier for, you know, DeRozan and Levine. But overall, this team, they sort of feel like, you know, they've lost six in a row. And then the Pacers behind them have lost eight of the last 10 and 17 of the last 20. I don't know if either of these two teams is even going to really be trying to get into the play-in with the way things are going. No, I was surprised the Bulls didn't sell. They have no Me real too. draft picks with the uh, Vucevic trade. The Rosen does have some value. Pacers, Pacers are building something. They're going to be a team that we look to invest in next year for the playoffs. Magic, kind of in the same boat. They're tanking. They're kind of, yeah. you know what I mean? Magic, um, Charlotte, Detroit, and your interesting move. Like- the interesting move for me by the Pistons. They do have size with the kid uh, Duran and Stewart. But neither one of those twos, neither one of those two guys are good rim protectors. When you trade for Wiseman, that kind of tells me that the Pistons think they're going to be in the playoff mix next year because you do need that that big yeah. defensive rim. And from what I'm hearing, Bay Bay wanted to be the man, and everyone kind of knows in Detroit it's going to be Cade, or if they're able to win the uh, front the sweepstakes for the French kid, yeah. um, it's going to be him. It's not going to be Bay. Bay is always going to be that sec- that third option at, on a good team. And he was just trying to do too much. So the trade makes sense for them. Let's get over to the West. Eric, number one is Denver. They are five games up in the West. They are first in offensive rating. They have a plus 13.1 net rating in the first quarter of games. They just kick the crap out of you in the first quarter. And then they have a plus 19.5 rating in clutch games. By far number one. They're actually so good in the clutch, they probably should have even a better record than they do. And Jokic, 
He's averaging a triple-double, 24.7, 11 uh, points, 11.5 rebounds, and 10 assists. But it wasn't like a Westbrook triple-double. He's shooting 63% from the field and 39% from three. And Denver is 21-0 and when he has a triple-double in a game this year, which is just nuts. Jamal Murray has played 45 games, and Michael Porter Jr. has played 42. That is why this team is better than they were last year when they were already good. And we were talking about how they're winning games with Jokic and just nothing else. Reggie Jackson adds depth to the bench. Thomas Bryant can also give them 10 or 10 or 15 minutes when Jokic comes out. This is a good basketball team. Real quick. I think two things with the nuggets. My two points with them is a, I think the best trade they made was they got the backup center. We've seen in years past. They've really yep. struggled. And he can, he's good offensively too. Like he yeah. can go for they, a few minutes and, and score you six, you know, three or four buckets. They were at their best when Mason Plumley came in and played that role. And my thing about the Nuggets is this. They kind of remind me of the Bucks when the Bucks won a couple of years ago. They just are big, thick people that are going to lean on you. And over a course of a seven-game series, that's going to be a lot of wear and tear. But they really haven't done it yet. You know, no. you, you give – do you get – like, but you look at it, okay, year one of this, Murray, Porter. Porter really was a Porter – it was in the bubble last year. There was no Porter. There was no Murray. Murray. This is the year. This yeah. is the year. You and know, everybody this, else this in the West the behind them has either questions or they're, they made a bunch of moves and they're trying to get their pieces to fit. They are the team in the West that really doesn't have any excuses right now this year. Like this is, exactly. you're going to have, you're, you're going to be the number one seed. You have a five game lead on everybody else. You can, Rest Jokic down the stretch so that way he doesn't have a ton of minutes on his legs. And, you know, they're going to be tough. Memphis, I don't feel as good about them. You know, it's the same group for the most part that last year that struggled to close uh, close out games. You have Jaw, Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., Brooks, Clark, Tyus Jones, Steven Adams. I'm not sure ever what Brooks is going to do, positively or negatively. Like, he's the type of guy who could go punch someone in the face and, like, really impact your team in a negative way. And then come playoff time, we've seen that Adams, who's really good during the regular season, he gets played off the court sometimes in the playoffs. Jaron Jackson Jr., he's only averaging 27 minutes per game this year. A lot of that because of foul trouble. He He's fouled out a few times already this year. They don't get into a lot of tight games because they're really dominant in the first three quarters. So they're if you look at their metrics, they're bad in the fourth quarter. And that's because they're pretty good early on. They... They worry me, though, like middle-of-the-road offense, and when things slow down in the playoffs in the clutch, the defense doesn't stay together. They need a better half-court offense. Again, though, they have a guy like Jaw who can carry them, but they went from being a team like two years ago that everybody loved and was rooting for, and now they've become a team that like people don't like anymore. They talk a lot of smack out there, and I think they pissed off some of the league. I mean, you have a chip on your shoulder. You know, it is what it is. Like, I just... um. How can I word this? That, but that's kind of who Dylan Brooks has been. Like, oh yeah, he's he's been, been that. that yeah, order. you know, it's just yeah. how how he's been. Morant really hasn't been that guy. So I mean, is that more of him just trying to be tough? I'll tell you, the toughest dude on that team, the one dude you don't want to mess around with, and you mentioned him as Stephen Adams. That guy, dude, is the enforcer, the Viking I mean, man. The thing, the thing with them, and I guess it did come out that they they did offer a. I think that they offered four first round draft picks for bridges. Cause they want to get that elite 
wing defender. Man, he would have been be awesome to guard Durant. They made yeah. a push for OG Ananobly as well, but they couldn't. They couldn't get anyone to pull the trigger. They did add Kennard, which does give them the bench some three point shooting. But in a playoff series, at the end of the day, you have to look at this roster. They don't have anybody that can stop Durant. That's it's just yeah. that that simple. Like with what they have, could they beat Denver in a series? Sure. King, sure. Clippers, sure. With how inconsistent George and Leonard's health health is, Mavericks defensive liabilities with the guard situation. But when you have Durant, who's still a top three basketball player, and you look at this roster, they have no one that can just compete against him. Yeah, so even just, I just make it tough on him. Just size wise, yeah. it's they're sort of in between. One of the biggest surprise teams of the year, Eric, is number three, Sacramento Kings. They are second in offensive rating. They're actually the best fourth quarter team in basketball, which is crazy. Their clutch record is – it should be even better than it is because they win a lot of their close games. A couple all-stars on their team. De'Aaron Fox has been the best fourth quarter player in basketball this season, and by some metrics, it's him and Jokic. They will be – where they're sitting right now, they're probably – you know, a, a team that's going to get a home, like a home series right now. I don't know if they'll catch Memphis, but they're still, you know, very live for a three, four seed here. Talk to us about Sacramento. What's their ceiling? Uh, come and go with Fox. I like the fact they didn't trade Mitchell. They kept Mitchell around. They could have moved Mitchell, the other guy back there. Herder can knock down some shots. Harrison Bard. Barnes veteran who has won a title with the Warriors before great team, you know, Mike Brown, kudos to him, you know, coaching his light coaching at a very high level for them just to make the playoffs is a success, but you just kind of look at these teams in the West. Oh, with Dallas's defensive inefficiencies, I think they could beat Dallas, but besides that, I don't know who they could beat. The Clippers Clippers. They have, a bad net ratings in the first and second quarter. They're very good in the third, and they're just okay in the fourth. They they don't they don't focus a lot throughout an entire game. And this is something that we've seen with this group of guys. And I I wonder if it has to do with the fact that they're like their leaders are very stoic. Like Kawhi and Paul George are guys that aren't really um, like emotional. And so you take your cues sometimes from these guys who don't show any emotion. Kawhi's played 29 games since December the 5th. He's never missed more than one game in a row uh, since that stretch. 34 minutes per game, 24.2 points, 6.6 rebounds, 4.1 assists, and a steal and a half. 50% from the field, 40% from three on 4.7 attempts. They're 22-11 and 11 when he plays. They are the NBA's best offense and the fourth best defense with him on the court. They're 10-17 and 17 when he does not. Um since December 31, he's driving more. Like, if you look at a lot of his numbers, second spectrum numbers, how fast he's moving, <laughs> it's pretty good. And another point I like to make out, his top speed from any night this year was reached against the Lakers on January the 24th. I always point this out because everybody gets up for the Lakers. Um, they did add Eric Gordon, Bones Highland, Mason Plumley, But why the hell did you bring in Westbrook? Like, wh- I don't know... You, everybody does this with him. They think we're going to be the ones to change him. We're going to be different with him. And I guess if you just bring him in and it doesn't work, you just don't play him. But then you got a guy like Westbrook pouting in your locker room and on your bench that could just mess up all the energy. There's also that weird stuff with, 
Remember Kawhi and Russ were supposed to team up initially. And then Kawhi went behind his back and got Paul George to come out here instead. I wonder if that's a weird thing at all. Um, yeah. But they're not doing any moves without talking to Kawhi. No, no, absolutely. Like Kawhi that's, says yes to says yes to this, but he's yeah, one of those that, types of guys where it's like, if something goes weird, does Kawhi care? Or does he just like whatever? And just, I, I don't know how much he cares about, honestly, about any of this crap. But damn, when when they're 19 and 9 when Paul George and Kawhi are healthy, uh, 23 and 11 when Kawhi's playing, you know what? They're a good basketball team. I just don't know how much I can trust them. They're still only 5 and 12 against teams that have a top net 10 net rating. Only the Pistons and Rockets are worse and have a worse point differential in those matchups. My thing with them is I don't trust Kawhi. I don't like his leadership. It's hard to trust. How to, hard to trust Paul George? Can Highland play the point guard? How is Russ going to fit into the mix? I do think they had one of the best pickups by getting Mason Plumley. I think, yeah, as crazy as it sounds, I think Mason Plumley is one of the most underrated players in the NBA with everything he brings. Totally to, agree. To to it. Uh, but this is just, could they win it? Yes. Could they be out first round? Yes. This is a high floor, low ceiling, high, high ceiling, low floor team. Excuse me. Now these next two teams, I will just kind of put them together because they're sort of difficult to use a lot of what they've done throughout the year, because now they're going to look different. Like we, we can't really look at a lot of the sun's metrics without Durant because they're going to be a different team and they don't have bridges and they are without a few of their role players but they are currently in the fifth spot right now. And then the Mavericks, they're going to look like a totally different team with uh, Kyrie and Luka. One thing that we will see with the Suns, they've actually won 11 of their last 15. When when Durant gets on the court, it'll be Durant, Booker, CP3. And with those three guys, they're going to be really difficult to defend if they are healthy. Um, They're not going to be that deep, though based on some of the trades they made, their bench is not incredible. They're going to be a good basketball team if they're healthy. The Mavericks are going to be incredible offensively and so much fun to watch, but damn, they're not going to be great defensively, and they're going to be way different than they were last year. They were number seven defensive team last year in defensive efficiency. They're 24th right now, and they're going to get even worse. So the thing with the Suns is everyone's talking about how hunky-dory it's going to be with Durant and and Aiton and Paul and Booker. I mean, I I don't know. I just I see a scenario. You have we have to face the reality of the situation. Durant has missed a boatload of games the last two years. When's the last time oh. at the end of the playoffs that Chris Paul has been healthy? Yep. How is um? Booker going to how can I say this respond to not having the ball in his hands as much right having to defer he's always been the guy in Phoenix right he was their guy since they drafted him he didn't leave he chose to be loyal they lured Chris Paul in completely flipped it around when they were one of the worst franchises and now they've had a good couple years but now he's not going to be the guy with the ball in his hand Oh, like it, it Durant's always going to be your option one, I think, for any team. Yeah. And it, and we've seen Aiden and Monty Williams almost get in fights numerous times. So I just don't, 
You know what I mean? Like as good as everyone plays, plays this out to be, there's a scenario where this could just be an utter train wreck. Yep. So the, you got to uh, keep that that into consideration in terms of the Mavericks. They're just going to be a nightmare defensively. Like I just don't see how they're going to be able to get enough stops. And that's just another thing. How is that going to pan out with Luca and with Kyrie and with the ball? Now the thing with Kyrie, and I will say this: you and I have both been hypercritical about Kyrie. There was a two week span with Brooklyn before he got traded where he's playing some of the best basketball I've seen him play. He was making people around him better. He was leading them and they were winning games. Is that going to transcend or, you know what I mean? What, yeah. what, what's going to happen? So I, just, I, don't, I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of question marks there. So that's six with Dallas and yeah, question marks about both the five and the six as we get to the seventh on the West side. And that is the new Orleans Pelicans Zion hurt again with the hamstring injury. He got hurt on January the 2nd, another setback for them. They were the number one seed on December the 30th. They were 23 and 12 and then he got hurt and they have really struggled. They are under 500 in clutch situations and when Zion and Ingram are healthy, they're good, but they've missed the both of them for big chunks of the season. And they're in a dogfight now. They do have one of the easier schedules left. That's a little, that can be a little misleading sometimes, especially now that a lot of players have moved teams. So maybe some teams that were good, aren't quite as good, but Pelicans are in the seventh spot. And they, Brandon Ingram is a very good playoff player as we saw last year, because he's a really tough matchup. He can get that, that jump shot you know, at the free throw line, pretty much whenever he wants it. So, you know, they're a scary team if they're healthy. But again, do we trust that Zion is even going to be back in two weeks, three weeks at all this year or be able to give them any meaningful playoff moments? If he shows up ready to play in a game that day and you and I are talking about the game on BTV, well, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll think the Pelicans have a shot, but I got to see it with him too. Exactly. This team has never really played this year with McCollin and Zion and B.I. And until we see that, we really don't know what they're going to get. Zion has had numerous injury histories. Like you said, he can't get on the court. So it's really hard to back them. Uh, Fun team when everyone's out there. Electric team like we saw in the playoffs last year. Herb Jones, great wing defender. Uh, Alvarado off the bench. They, an interesting team, have they some pieces, but, but you, you know, need your stars. Still, yeah, you need your dogs, and they don't have your dogs. Um, and, and there's next, four teams in the West, maybe five, that we can have probably the same exact conversation about like the Clippers, the Pelicans, the Suns, the Warriors, the Lakers. Who of those teams are going to have their best players healthy? Because if those teams have their best guys healthy and they're in a playoff series, well, those teams are going to be good. But we have to have the conversation about CP3 and uh, Kevin Durant not being healthy, Kawhi and Paul George not always being healthy, Zion and Brandon Ingram not always being healthy, Steph Curry again right now. You know, he has not been healthy and the Warriors haven't looked good. And absolutely for both AD and LeBron. So that's what makes it so interesting. Any one of those teams... Those guys are out. They don't have a shot. Like, oh, agree, you can, agree 150%. You could just cross that team out. But if any of those teams have their full complement of players, even all the way back to my team that we're going to talk about in a second, the Lakers, they would have a puncher's chance in a wide open West 
as we get to the uh, the eighth spot, the T-Wolves. So I think for them, they knew that they probably weren't going to be able to bring D'Angelo back and extend him. Towns has been hurt for a lot of this year. What they're doing now is what they should have done last year before they even made the Rudy Gobert trade. They should have just said, we're going to turn the keys over to Ant Edwards. We're going to let this guy be our guy, and we're going to build around him. And now they're trying to to do the best that they can after the Gobert move, but they, I don't think this group they have is going to be great. I think they're going to be better off if they just decide to go Ant, Gobert, get rid of Cat, get something for Cat, or maybe you go Ant, Cat, get rid of Gobert, pick one of the big guys, get rid of the other one, and then start building around Ant moving forward. I wouldn't be surprised if this team, I mean, they're, like they're right in the mix. They're probably a playing team. Nothing you could tell me in the next few weeks with them would really surprise me, though. My thing is this. To me, the trade screamed from the GM, hey, I was right to side and go bear. I'm trading for Mike Conley because Conley has worked with Gobert. With Gobert. Yeah. And I'm going to prove to everyone that this was the right trade. To me, that's all that screamed. Try to, try to get I, a little stubborn. Yeah. I really think that was an awful trade. They gave up way too much. That's going to bite him in the ass. But I said this last year. This should be Edwards' team. And yeah. they're going to waste him. It's going to be interesting to see with A-Rod in the mix now. Um, is he going to be enough to keep Edwards there? Or is Edwards going to want out? You can already I've heard, and you can already kind of tell from his body language, he isn't the happiest in Minnesota right now. Yeah, they've alternated wins and losses in their last 10 game wins, loss, win, loss, win, loss. The T wolves currently in the eighth spot right behind them, the golden state warriors, they are in the ninth spot and they have been honestly awful in the clutch this year. Um, Even when Steph Curry's healthy, he hasn't shot that well. They have the third worst offensive rating and the third worst turnover rate in clutch games. Um, They're good at the start of games. Second halves haven't been very good. They have not shown anything anything like a championship team in close games just picking one out against the lakers recently when the lakers played without lebron they were in a close game when they didn't have curry and they did not execute well down the stretch curry draymond clay wiggins and looney has a plus 21 uh 21 net rating uh best among any unit that's played 150 or more minutes this season but that's the only really good unit they have when you have jordan Poole in it's still pretty good but when pool is in for Looney, but yeah, I was gonna say he's not he's not the same guy in the defensive drop off. I know you you're not a fan of his either, and I, I don't the think he's defensive much. Defensive drop off is absolutely insane. He does some of the most erotic stuff with the ball. You saw Steph Curry that one time when he was flipping out because pool. I think he, did you say you said erotic, and I think you meant erratic, which is great because yeah, erratic. you know. I was like, is he turning you on with that ball? He's turning you on out there with that ball, huh, Eric? stuff in the world. You're absolutely right. He has more of those shots where it's like the Damian Lillard shot that you're like, what the hell is he doing? Oh, crap, Lillard made that. Poole takes way too many of those for a guy who hasn't earned them yet. And he's not anywhere near as good as him. Yeah, that's the point. He's not Curry. He's not going to be the Duncan Robinson Thing that they overpaid for this guy in a couple years. They uh, just traded Wiseman in the, the thing about them where 
it it looked just a year ago like wow everything's perfect for them they've got this group of core guys and now they've got this group of younger guys that are going to be able to transition perfectly well think about this Wiseman they already traded him Kuminga he's in the rotation but he's not much right now like he's very inconsistent and Modis and Moody is nothing and those were guys that they were expecting to be a huge part of their rotation the big statistical drop-off from last year, defense. They are 20th in defensive efficiency. Last year, they were second. I, are they going to be able to win four playoff series? It they it wasn't just because Curry goes off. They had a great defense last year, and they are not doing that at all. Now, all six trips to their final, they've been able to flip the switch. They haven't done that at all this year. I, I don't, I'm not really high on them, and I what's going to be huge for them, they play the Lakers twice in the next like week. And for both of those teams, those are massive games. Because if either team beats the other team twice, that like the Lakers are done if they lose twice to, to the Warriors. But if the Lakers come in and beat Golden State twice without Steph, they are going to be in some serious trouble here. Because the one thing we know is the Lakers are trying to get in. So the teams below them are still going to try to get ahead of them I'm a little bit worried about Golden State right now. Yeah, I'm rightfully so. Uh, injuries, not mixing chemistry issues with what happened in the offseason with Poole and, um, and Green. They're really counting on Wiseman to take a step forward, which never happened, hence why they traded him. So, I mean, I totally get it. I just, like you said, those games against the Lakers are going to kind of be hit or miss for them, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens if they don't make it. The number 10 team right now is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, the Thunder, in the last 15 games, they're 6th in offensive rating and 11th in defensive rating. That's a 15-game sample size. This team is fun, man. They are fun. They battle in the first half. They're well-coached. They make adjustments in the second half. They come out. They're awesome in the third quarter. They are the best third-quarter team in basketball, and it's not close. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he continues to move himself up the tears in the NBA. This guy is awesome. And I don't think enough people talk about how good he is and how this team is a 500 team. That's a team that everybody just expected to be tanking again and be at the bottom, but they are fun. The night that LeBron breaks the record, they come right back out after LeBron gets the, you know, awarded the, the greatest scorer of all time. And they just beat the crap out of the Lakers in the fourth quarter, which was a, a really cool for them. I, I don't know if they care so much. And I, I, every time in the last few years, they've shut these guys down, but they have so many picks, so many other teams picks. I don't think dropping down three or four spots will, will hurt them. I do feel like they're going to be trying these last 20 games and they're kind of fun and feisty. I think, yeah. They want to get in. Uh, you know, they need to teach these young guys that how to win, how to play playoff, playoff basketball, you also have Chet, Chet Holdrim in the mix. And let's be honest, like everyone hypes up this NBA draft thing. Like I said, there's three, maybe four players that are going to be good. You know, besides that, you know, you got Holdrim, you know, roll the dice, see what you got. Thunder. Let's see if they can get in. And then below them, we have the Jazz, the Blazers, and the Lakers yeah. all trying to get into the playoffs. Do you think the Jazz are done now after the trades and they just want to drop because they've... Yeah, like, they're going to drop. They they're going to drop. They, they, they want to drop. 
Yeah, they got more picks, and so I think they're going to keep dropping. Portland, you know, with Dame, they're capable of beating anyone, but they're capable of losing to anyone. They play absolutely no defense at all. The only teams that are lower than them in defensive rating this year are Houston, Detroit, and San Antonio, and those are three tanking teams. Yeah, they. I, I just I can't trust them to. I don't know if they could go on a five or six game win streak in these last twenty games because defensively, are they going to get enough stops to to not win one, lose one, win one, lose one? Yep. That that you just kind of hit the nail on the head right there. Are they going to be able to get enough stops defensively? And they defense is poor, just to put it bluntly. Then we get to the Lakers, which. Man, I just wish this was the roster they had at the start of the year because this is a, a versatile, fun team now. They they did a really good job getting out from that Russell Westbrook trade. This is the Lakers team now. LeBron, Anthony Davis, D'Angelo Russell, Vanderbilt is awesome. Rui Achimura, Malik Beasley, Dennis Schroeder, Reeves, Troy Brown Jr., Lonnie Walker Jr., Mo Bamba, Wenyan Gabriel, and Max Christie. I mean, they have 10 legitimate players, and they have 12 guys that I wouldn't be worried about putting out on an NBA court right now and they can get versatile for them. LeBron had said he is going to try to play all 23 of the final games remaining. If he does that, they have a chance. I think they have three or four back-to-backs. If he doesn't, they probably don't, but this team that they played, the team that was playing the other night for the first time, they played one game with everybody together. This is a good basketball team, and they would have been like a top four team in the West with a healthy team and this roster. You uh, and I have talked a little bit about Anthony Davis. Rumors that he was not happy, that he wanted out, possible Dallas stuff. Um, His body language wasn't great for about a week or so. He looked better in the last game, and just like his numbers offensively were better, and he was showing a little bit of emotion. (laughs) I wonder if maybe like what you had said – he was pissed, all the stuff about LeBron. He kind of felt slighted. Um, and then the trade deadline comes, and it comes to the point where now, okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to sit and sulk, or are you going to at least just play for the rest of the games, play hard? And the Lakers look a little bit better now. I wonder I, – I, I have no idea, right? I'm just sort of talking this out with you. I wonder if he had been someone who had said, God, I don't know if I want to be on this team anymore moving forward. And now he looks around and goes, hmm. You know, if LeBron has another year or two, and then we have guys like D'Angelo and Vanderbilt and like some solid role players, maybe this would be a place to stay. Who knows? Maybe he wants to go and play with uh, with Dallas and and Luca, and and we'll find out. You you said you liked the move when the Lakers were able to do it initially. We've only seen this team play in like one game. What do you think about the roster now? And even if they had the greatest roster in the world. Is it going to be enough time for them to gel? There are going to be some growing pains here and there. There are going to be times where you go to run a play and not everybody's on the same page. But damn, this is a much better fit of a roster than they've had the last two years with Russell Westbrook. Roster looks insanely better. But is there enough time to make everything happen? And the chef that stirs the pot is LeBron. Can you really trust him that he's going to play all those games? I mean, that that's... That's the stuff right there. It's just kind of there's a lot of question marks in what they have to do and if they're going to be able to do it. Vanderbilt, elite defense defensively. And what's nice about him, just kind of what you were mentioning about um, about what some teams have and what they don't have. The Lakers just have 
more options now. And like, again, they're in the 13th spot. So they still are two games out of the 10th spot. So they got some room, but they're only three games out of the sixth spot, right? So they have a lot of teams in front of them, but what's nice is they play Dallas, Minnesota, Golden State twice. So they actually play these teams that are right in front of them. They can win. Like It is absolutely plausible for them to win five or six games in a row and put themselves into contention. It is absolutely plausible that LeBron gets hurt in a game or two and they're done. Or Anthony Davis. Either one of those guys, exactly like we said about the the other teams, those two need to be playing <coughs> at close to MVP level, which we've seen them both play at this year, but they need to be doing it at the same time. They need to be kind of mentally on the same page. Lots of questions, lots of ifs, but Eric, I wouldn't have told you two or three weeks ago with the roster that they had. I felt that they had any chance at all. I legitimately think that the Lakers can finish like ninth. For me, what I want as a fan, I want them to get to the eighth spot. Because if you could get to the point where you just have two chances to win one game to get a series, like, I'll take that. Like, I- I'll sign up for that right now. You know? And if- and then again, if they can get there, if you are, you know, Memphis, and you're the number two, like, you probably wouldn't love, the- like, the Lakers in a series. Like, if you know, like a healthy Lakers team. Like, I- that would not be a great matchup for Memphis, like, a proven Lakers team that's had guys that have won. So... Man, I just, even if this was last year, Eric, where the trade deadline was like a week or two earlier and they had five more games, that would be nice. But there's just so little time right now. They they have to have a five or six game win streak in in, in this stretch and here. And their schedule, I mean, they only have five games against teams that are in the quote-unquote tanking group that I have. Yeah. So they schedule's a little too tough, but they do have games – I see. I so I I like that it's New Orleans. Yeah. So those are the ones I like. I like that they can control their own destiny. It basically it comes down to, I mean, if you're good enough to get into the if you if you think you're good enough, these are games that you should be winning. Most of them, you should be able to go fifteen and nine, or what twenty three games. They should be able to go, you know, fourteen and nine. I think that. And if they can't, they don't deserve to be in. Plain and simple. Like if you can't go a little bit better than five hundred. Um, I, I just want, it's funny cause I've never f- felt this way with the Lakers before. Like for the Lakers, I always want to win the title, but with this team, I would love for them to get a series and just like get these guys, some big moments to gel together. Cause I'd love to run this team back next year. Like, I think they have a fun team now and they're really like well-built. Um, so, Hey, as a fan, I feel a lot better, but timing, is there going to be enough time for them to put it all together and to try to make a run. They have a way better three-point shooting team now. D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Rui, and Mo Bamba all shoot over 36% from three and over the last two years combined, and they shoot way higher uh, clip. So now you've got D'Angelo, Beasley, Rui, Mo Bamba, Lonnie Walker, Austin Reeves, Troy Brown Jr., and Schroeder, who all shoot over 34% from three. And... Like, they're just a, a basketball team, but is there enough time? Is there enough time? Eric, 
You and I will be talking uh, NBA every Wednesday and Sunday. As you and I are talking Wednesday night, there were no games because we're just coming off the All-Star break. But we uh, we will have two shows for Better Than Vegas every week at BTV Bets. And then you'll join me once a week here on our show, and we'll kind of talk about what happened over the last week and then preview a little bit ahead uh, in the NBA season. You and I also talk college basketball over at BTV Bets on Saturday morning. So t- some of the teams, uh, just to kind of give us a little uh, recap and put a bow on it, you thought maybe Philly was a team that you would look to. You played Toronto to make the playoffs. And was there anything else that you were maybe thinking about throwing a future in on? I took the Bucks when they're 8-1 to one earlier. Sure. Uh, with Giannis going out, maybe he's out a little bit more. But you just need to remember that they're not going to have to play a meaningful game until May, April. So, you know, you, know, yeah. you have a lot, of, a lot of time for them. So yeah. I wouldn't... I, I, if you get the bucks at over five to one, I'd look into that. Eric, buddy, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, we went a little longer than uh, than I had said initially. I think it was mainly because it was kind of our first real NBA talk in a while, and we were kind of getting through most of the teams. So our weekly episodes and segments probably be a little shorter than this one. But uh, appreciate all the help as always. What else do you have coming up this weekend that you want to tell us about? I, I just heard uh, my buddy Caleb Keller from TVG uh, on your show talking college basketball, and I, I spoke with Caleb, and he said, man, Eric's a sharp dude. He is locked in. He knows every player on every team. So he was very happy to talk with you. Yeah, Caleb, great dude. Uh, we gave out like three bets each. Uh, the first bet LSU hit earlier in the uh, earlier tonight. Um, gave out a couple futures. Uh, yeah, great dude. We him and I talked an hour. The horse racing bet that you gave out with Cajun. I forget the horse's name. Cousin, Cajun. I think. Yeah, yeah. Cousin Cajun. Uh, nice quarter one winner. Yeah. Uh, XFL Jim and I are going to have a nat a um XFL segment and NASCAR segment, and me and my buddy Nick are going to be diving into some early fantasy football talk. So uh, yeah, looking uh looking forward to a uh, big weekend of sports and everything. Eric, buddy, you have a good weekend, and we'll be chatting with you. Uh, we won't actually have to do anything for the prop contest this weekend because Santa Anita canceled all their races. It's supposed to be really rainy here, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pick back up with those next week. But I look forward to talking college with you on Saturday, NBA with you on Sunday. Make sure everyone to give Eric a follow at etoff 21 on Twitter. Check out all the great content that he has. And uh, thanks again, buddy. I'll be talking to you again real soon. Sounds good. Talk soon, my friend. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. 
tap the calendar icon on the top left, it opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets, get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge by Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Do you like fantasy sports? Do you play DFS? Are you a fan of horse racing? Combine the two of them with Stable Duel. Play, race, win. Totally free to download the app and then you just pay the entry fees for the contest that you want to get involved in. They have a bunch of free contests as well. Check it out over at Stable Duel. Let's move into some Friday Golf Street Park. Remember, we have that weekly Stable Duel live stream this weekend in Stable Duel every Friday morning, 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Myself, Barry Spears, the sniper, and Matt DeSantis. We go over our best bets for the weekend. We give you all the best uh, contest details for Stable Duel, some strategy, and uh, we have a good time. We show you the DRF past performances, and we only give out horses that are 5 to 1 and above. It's the No Chalk Zone every Friday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on Twitter. Give me a follow. It's me, Gino B, and it'll pop right up for you. Let's talk Gulfstream Friday. Race number one. We could start right off the bat with the number 11 reconnecting. This filly, she was sixth in her debut early on. She had about six lengths off. She showed some ability. She kind of ran in some spots there. Um... Now, she's going to try the turf for the first time. Her dam was a five-time winner on the turf. She's the first foal to try it. I think she's a little bit better than that running line might suggest. Irad Ortiz Jr. jumps aboard. She takes a, a small drop down in class, and she steps on the turf for the first time. I like the number 11 reconnecting, who is 9-2. to two. Anything 3-1 to one or above, all play 
reconnecting. We move to race number four. And in this race, I'm looking at the number three in here, Judge Judith. Judge Judith has excellent overall turf form. In her most recent start, she was last inside. She was about six lengths off. She was eighth in that field. She hugged the rail. She split horses, and she closed really well. She kind of got pushed into a tight spot by a rival late, but she could have been closer, and Judge Judith fits very well in here. She's 7-2 on the morning line. Anything over 5-2, we'd make a win wager on her there. Let's move to race number six. I like the three in here, Cyclone Ranger. He had post 12 last time out. He was three deep going into the turn. He was mid-pack, about four or five lengths off. Well, the winner was a wire-to-wire winner, and the wide trip just really ended up costing him there. And he shouldn't have that wide trip again. He'll be able to save a lot more ground here. He's 6-1 to on the morning line. That's the number three, Cyclone Ranger, making his third career start. And I think he has a little step forward in him here. Let's go to the eighth race. Looking at the number eight in here. This is Marissa's mission. This one is five to one on the morning line. And overall, uh, he's been pretty consistent on both the synthetic and on the turf. He's going to get back on the turf here, making his third start off a long layoff. And his turf form is a little bit better than it might look. Because his last two races, I didn't love his trips. And Marissa's mission is a five-time winner in 17 starts. He has a couple wins on both surfaces. And he does have a little versatility to him also, which I think is nice. He's more of like a mid-pack type horse, but if they're going slow enough, he can show a little bit more speed. If they're going too fast, he can close from way out of it. Marissa's mission, the number eight, five to one on the morning line. Anything over seven to two will make a win wager there. And we move to the ninth at Gulfstream Park on Friday. I like the number three in here, Prussian Blue. This is a mile and 70 yards on the synthetic if you toss the turf and you just key off the two synthetic races. This is a horse who debuted sprinting on the dirt, put a line right through that. Then his second start went long on the synthetic, was a winner, beating a next out winner in a race where she had legitimate trouble. She was off from September to December, comes back in December. She actually shows speed. She's a little bit fresh that day and there's nobody on the lead. And she finishes third. Then she tries the turf, put a line right through that. Now she goes third start off the uh, off the layoff, third start of the form cycle. She probably be more mid-packing here. Prussian Blue. Give her a look with that good synthetic form. That's the number three, Prussian Blue, at 8-1 to one on the morning line. Anything around five feels fair there. So that's Gulfstream Park for Friday. Some plays for you. Don't forget about getting involved in those stable dual contests on Friday at Gulfstream Park. And we will then turn the page to Saturday. Uh, before we do, I want to mention one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, SydneyCarava.com. Sydney Carava is a full-service realtor. The website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. And she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. As a full-service realtor, she can do it all for you. She just wants to make your life easier connecting you to the right type of vendors if you're looking for home improvement. If you need help with the loan process, she'll connect you to the right type of lenders. Maybe you're just curious how much your home is worth. She'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. If you have any questions about the market or things that are going on, Cindy will take care of that for you. She is one of the kindest and most genuine people you'll ever meet. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. So that's Friday Racing. Let's move to Saturday. 
First up, we'll have Gulfstream Park with Josh. Josh from On The Wrong Lead will be joining us for the first time. Josh Rodriguez, you see him on Twitter at Cherry Drank. And he also uh, has the podcast with Andrew Champagne, our good buddy, Drank and Champagne. So very nice to have joining us for the first time on That's What G Said, Josh Rodriguez. I've been looking forward to talking to him. I've interacted with Josh uh, on Twitter a few times, gone back and forth, uh, done one of the shows, uh, one or two live streams that we've been on together, but he's, he hasn't been on here, and uh, it'll be a, a lot of fun chatting with Josh. Let's see if we can pick you some winners at Golfstream in the late pick five for Saturday. So that's what we'll be looking at Saturday, Golfstream races 8 through 12. Initially, we were going to look at the coast-to-coast pick five between Golfstream and Santa Anita. They canceled, so thanks to Josh for calling the audible, and uh, we're talking late pick five, Golfstream Saturday races 8 through 12. We got a little Gulfstream Park Saturday Pick 5 for you segment on That's What G Said coming up. And very excited for the first time on That's What G Said to have Josh Rodriguez joining us. Josh is someone that uh, I'm sure many of you know from the great work he does with On The Wrong Lead and really good stuff handicapping the races and promoting racing on social media. Josh, buddy, you and I have gone back and forth before. I think we've been on streams here and there, but never had you on the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh man, it's a pleasure. I was uh, happy to do it. Um, you know, I know we we had other stuff planned, and then uh, Santa Anita decided to uh, get itself uh, snowed in. Apparently, yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, this was the first time in in LA County that there was blizzard warnings. Um, yes. It was hailing yesterday, which is just just crazy. So yeah, I saw that it's, it's snowing in Vegas too. Yeah, or it snowed this morning. So yeah. I mean, cats and dogs living together. It's just it's just crazy out there. But uh, I got to say, whatever you're earning, it's not enough having to put up with Andrew Champagne all the time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'll tell you. That. <laughs> we love we love Andrew. Uh, talk to us a little bit about drinking champagne, Josh, and then talk to us about some of the other work you do with On the Wrong Lead. I, I love the way you guys do it. I always have your streams on in the background. Um, it kind of helps lead me to horses that I maybe didn't have on my radar. You guys have a lot of fun. I love Caleb too. I've had him on this show many times before. Super sharp handicapper. Talk to us about some of the work you've done at, at you, you've done and some of the shows that you have out there. Yeah, we uh, we kind of got started just doing, uh, on, on the wrong lead, just doing kind of uh, YouTube videos. Um, you know, we, we noticed that um, when you when you go look out there for, hey, how to read a form or how to, you know, I mean, you find stuff from the early days of YouTube or, you know, 10, 10 years ago, you know, stuff that may or may not be out of date. Um, so we kind of were like trying to take a new spin on, you know, introducing people to horse racing, um, you know, involved in the the Reddit for horse racing, involved in the Discord. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we do stakes previews and stuff on Thursday nights on YouTube, uh, on the wrong lead uh, YouTube channel there. Uh, Andrew Champagne and I, we do a... Um, we do a podcast, uh, Drank and Champagne, where, you know, we usually look at a sequence. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. I know we, you know, we looked at stuff like Andrew's Eclipse Belt uh, and things like that. And he, you know, he and I obviously look at races differently. You know, he's, um, I'm coming more from a, you know, strictly a better per- uh, perspective where, you know, he's worked in the industry. You know, he's worked on, on TVG and, uh, um, you know, he, he kind of, he, he and I, you know, just kind of look at races differently and it's always... It's always a great conversation, uh, but uh, yeah, we, we just try to have fun with it, you know, and try not to be too serious. I know some people get out there and I think sometimes get real, real serious about things, but uh, we try to keep it light. 
you guys have fun and I, I have fun watching you. And that, that's what it's all about. We, you can feel the, uh, the, just like you said, the laid back atmosphere, hanging with your buddies, talking about sports. That's what we all do. And you can feel it when, when you guys are having a good time. And I, I love the energy that you have on all of your shows and, uh, definitely a, a subscriber, a viewer and a listener. So, Josh, we can follow you on social media for anyone who wants to find out more about all of your great stuff at Cherry Drink. And you play a little DFS too, which is, I think is sort of why you, you said you'll take some swings, right? You know that like you got to be able to take a big swing here and there if you want to try to get some separation. The same thing in horse racing too. If, you, if you're giving me chalk every single race all the way down, well, you're not going to make any noise here. You're not going to ever find any separation. So you know what? I don't mind missing if I'm going to take a big swing sometimes. And I know that's something that, you know, we've learned in, uh, in playing DFS. So let's dive on in to Gulfstream park for this weekend. Let's look at the late pick five, a uh, pretty challenging sequence here that starts in race number eight on Saturday. And it kicks off with a, a turf race. We're looking at the DRF past performances here. And I pulled up the formulator PPs, Josh, and not an easy way to begin Figure the the horse that'll probably be one of the uh, the shorter prices in this race is chasing the crown, who has been good overall for Mike Maker. No real knocks on him. He was off from May to January, came back in January, sort of ran like a horse would off of a long layoff. Needed the race a little bit short. Probably has you know a little more bottom in this field. A horse that I I sort of I like because we do this as gamblers, right? I played this horse last time, so you sort of really pay attention to him. I played Hoku because his Tampa debut was awesome. And then he went a little longer. He ended up on the lead. And I think the cutback will probably help him a little bit. Um, you know, talk to us about some of the horses who are on your radar in here and uh, and who you would be looking at to use in a pick five. Yeah. So, and, and just up front, you know, I know you're a DRF guy. Um, I, I use a, a different product that yeah, may or may yeah. not be named here. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So on, on my form, um, chasing the crown really looks like, a, like a standout, you know, yeah. the, uh, the last out brisnet fig is, is humongous compared to everything else. So to me, I, I always love, you know, when I talk to people who, who use different products, because I think if you look through the form here on the DRF, I don't think chasing the crowns is as big of a standout on the DRF form as he is on the Brisbane yeah. form. And if that's the case, this is probably a spot where you're going to try and play against the favorite. And that's kind of, you know, when I'm constructing these tickets, when I'm looking at a sequence, I basically, my eyes go straight to the favorite and I kind of make a decision. Am I going to use, or am I going to try to try to go against? Right. Yeah. I, I try not to end up in so many situations where I'm using the short price favorite along and with three others, other horses, right? It doesn't you know? do you any good. You're never going to make money long-term doing that. You got to make your decisions early. Is it maybe this one in one other price, or is this is your single in your stand, or you're just going to chuck them right out. But if you're using ABCD in three races of out of five on a pick five, you're it's just not great ticket structure. Right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I can see a case for the nine. I have the nine written down. Um, and, and this is just, like I said, you, you kind of got to be fluid. We'll see if we get any scratches. It's a big field. Um, the nine is obviously a contender in here. Going to be price dependent. This is the first leg in the sequence. Hey, maybe if he floats up a little bit and another horse takes money, maybe it, 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 you kind of zig or zag there. But uh, I definitely think the nine's in here with a shot. I think my top pick is probably going to be the six, Sousa Summer on the nice. stretch out. Um, you know, I, I was really interested. I, you know, I like seeing these horses, like horses here, um, kind of stretching out. If you kind of look back, I feel like they started 
thinking that this horse was going to be a, a router. Um, and, you know, they've routed it a couple times uh, pretty successfully. Um, and I, I just think he's kind of rounding into into better form. You know, second off the layoff here for Bill Mott, who's winning at 18% on this meet, gets Jose aboard. They're hitting at 50% over the last 60 days. Um, so, you know, he sees fit to ride here. It seems like whenever he's on the Mott horse, it's live. You're getting three to one on the morning line. Um, probably going to be more forwardly placed than he normally is, just just for the fact that he's a sprinter stretching out. Um, but yeah, I, I think that he's the one that's kind of coming coming into form at the right time um, to kind of go against some of these other ones here. Um, that's kind of my top pick in the spot, but I have a couple of other price plays that I was really interested in. Yeah, and what's um, nice about Sousa Summer, just to point one other thing out too, that Churchill turf course, I don't take a whole lot of the results because it was so funky, right, mm -hmm. when they had to redo it and everything. But what was interesting, he was actually favored in that race over chasing the crown. You know when they yep. raced back in May. So and he and what's nice is while he didn't win, he showed what what you want, right? He showed his speed and he was forwardly placed, and that's sort of what you're going to be hoping for here, stretching out from really quick fractions going five furlongs. He should be very close or right on the front end. Yeah, and I you know I know he broke his maiden going five and a half, but you know it seemed like uh, you know Bill Mott immediately started him kind of routing once he came into his barn, uh, ran some decent figures, seemed to kind of improve. Um, so I just think this is a horse that, you know, at four here, you know, summer front who's by war front is the sire here. Um, so I don't think routing is really going to be an issue here. Stormy Atlantic on the bottom. Um, so I, I, I think that this is, this is a good spot for him. This is kind of a, I think more of like a light bulb horse, right? Took, took a lot of tries to break its maiden, but I think this is one that's going to get better as, um, uh, as, uh, he kind of gets older here. Um, you said you had a few others too, right? Talk yeah, to us about I got, I got, the others. I got three, three kind of price plays here, and this was a really tough race. It is, um, yeah. I mean, um, so the two inside horses, the one called Kurt and the totally two agree. Ghost Giant. Yeah, um, both of them agree on both too. Yeah, so Call Kurt, you know, came in from uh, that like mid Atlantic area, uh, off of some nice races. I mean. Third by a neck, second by a neck, and then finally won a race there, going that between a mile and a mile and sixteenth each time. Comes in, gets washed off, runs on synthetic, and I mean, still runs okay. Me personally, I think turf horses run on synthetic pretty well, but I think synthetic really has to be treated as a third surface. So when you see a turf horse try synthetic, and I mean, ran a decent figure, He's right? Fine. The figure matches up, but you know the. End up fourth by two lengths. I think that coming back on the turf, you're going to see a little bit of improvement. Second off the layoff here, yep. um, which is a good move here for Antonio Sano. Jose Morales, Morelos is going to ride here. Um, and I think he's going to sit just off the pace, and he's going to kind of get um, you know first run. He's going to get a nice rail trip. I think he's going to save a bunch of ground. So I think the one uh, at eight to one, I think, is definitely a, definitely a horse I'm going to be including maybe as a, a B type uh, for me more. Um and then, uh, and, and it sounded like you liked this horse as well. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. You mentioned second start off the four and a half month break. You're getting back to the turf. And overall, this is a horse who's had some of the more consistent turf form. Just feels like a really nice fit here. Saves ground from the inside. I think should won't be right on the lead with a couple others that we said are quicker, but shouldn't be too far back. Maybe sitting fourth or so, you know, it could be in a really nice spot saving all the ground. I absolutely agree. The price of eight to one is very fair. And then right next door, we have another live one too, right, Josh, with Ghost Giant. We are not very far removed from some very strong turf efforts 
for this horse, just three and four starts back. Like we're just talking about October and September of last year. And this is a horse who was also on the synthetic last time out. That is, is more of a turf horse for sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, I kind of looked at it the same as you, right? If you go back, I mean, on Brisnet, at least, uh, that July 15th race, um, that race, uh, on Brisnet, it matches up with the best anybody has done here. I think it's like what an 83, 84 on the, the buyers, yeah, scale. The buyers. but I mean, this horse is just super, super consistent running those mid 80 buyers came, came back to aqueduct and ran six and a half or six furlongs, uh, looking at November, uh, came to Gulfstream. They stretched it out a little bit. Now they're kind of cutting the horse back, uh, to a mile. Um, so, and I think a mile is what this horse wants to do mile, mile and 16th. I don't know. I, this, like, like you said, this horse is not that far removed from a couple of, uh, a couple of really, really good races here. That... This race is another, there's an excuse, a legitimate excuse, the January 13th race. Well, it was, a, it was a, a race that was one wire to wire where mm-hmm. there was no passing in that race. And that's not going to set up well for him, right? He's yep. a horse who needs a little bit of pace to run at. So now all of a sudden we can eliminate the last three races, like we call them as men, we call them ex- uh, reasons, right? Like my girlfriend calls them excuses, but I call them <laughs> reasons why I didn't do something or reasons why we didn't run well. Um, Ghost Giant, synthetic, then chasing wired, like chasing a wire to wire winner, and then on a good turf course at Aqueduct, three starts back. Now, all of a sudden, if you can just eliminate those three races, I know you don't want to do that when the horse is five to two. But when a horse is 15 to one, you can do that. You can start being forgiving for horses because those things are built into the price. Yep, absolutely. Like, uh, like you said, like with short prices, you're, you're looking for reasons to get rid of them. And for longer prices, you're looking for reasons to include them. Mm -hmm. Right. I I mean, and, and maybe sometimes that leads you to kind of, uh, you know, making a stretch or, you know, you're making an argument for a horse that maybe, but that's the approach. I'd rather have that approach. Long, long term, yep. then uh, throwing in the horses I don't like defensively. Uh, like, ah, I got to use them. I'd rather be doing what you and I are doing and trying to talk ourselves into a, a 15 to one shot because you only need one or two of those along yep. your, along the way each day or every other day or once a week. Yeah, um, no, exactly. I I'm right there with you. Um, the, the last horse I ended up using was uh, the 11 glider, which is posted all the way on the outside. Yeah. Um, and that's uh Mark Cassie and, uh, Emisil Jaramillo. Um, and uh, I don't know. I thought that last race, uh, that last race on, on Brisnet was pretty good. Um, horse, it seemed like, I think, was his second best uh, best race, at least on uh, on the Brisnet scale. Um, the other good race was uh, that um, that race at Woodbine, routing. Yeah. So this horse probably just wants to route. They've been training him on the turf. Um, I think that they, they just want to get this horse on the turf quality road, you know, lemon drop kid on the bottom. I mean, this sounds like probably a turf horse probably can run on anything, but I, I honestly probably would, wouldn't mind, um, some slop to run in actually. But, um, yeah, I thought this was just another one that that's going to be, you know, sitting outside, but is going to let all the rest of the horses in front of him kind of go. So I think he's going to be able to tuck in in that two or three path um, and, and maybe get, get a nice run here on, uh, on some of the, the pace setters. So yeah, not an easy race to kick off the pick five. And we found at least a few horses that we feel comfortable throwing in. That should be nice prices. So if you want to try to spread out a little bit and try to beat a favorite, that doesn't look 
on paper, at least on on our on the DRF pass performances, doesn't look like that much of a standout. It might be a much shorter price than others. We've given you four or five possibilities here that should all offer you some more value. So hopefully we've helped you out in race number eight as we turn the page to the Gulfstream Park Sprint in race number nine. Josh, and we have a, a fun horse in here named Candyman Rocket who's always been a pretty good horse. He was a horse who was on the Triple Crown Trail, the Derby Trail, a few years ago. He won the Sam F. Davis back in 2021. He was favored in the Tampa Derby, and he just didn't really fire. He came back in the Wood Memorial, again, was a little disappointing. And, and then since then, we haven't seen him run a whole lot. He's kind of been his own worst enemy. He was off from May of 2021 all the way to February of 2022. He came back... Uh, just about a year ago, raced one time, one, and then was off for 11 months. <laughs> he shows back up off an 11-month layoff and wins again. So we know he can run off layoffs and, and fire fresh. We know he's got ability, and now he's actually going to put a couple starts together. So he's probably kind of trending in a good direction, at least for himself as a horse. Do you like his chances in this race against this field? Yeah, I mean, if you kind of look at his past performances, um, just cross out all of the I mean I know he won the Sam F Davis right but, but the just routes. cross out all of the routes and you got a horse that is just going to be tough to beat I think in this field yeah. um you know that first obviously the first try at Churchill at 2 um you know he ended up I don't know he he was a sloppy track whatever you, you cross that out yep. comes back break his maiden very impressively you know, and then runs at Sam F. Davis, kind of pairs up that figure. But I mean, I mean, who did he really beat in that race? Who knows? You know, but look at his other route tries. Not good. Um, they finally cut him back at, at Belmont, and he runs a really, really nice second to a nose, pairs yep. up that buy, kind of pairs up that buyer that he did um, breaking his maiden, and then he just fires a 91 and a 94 off off fairly long layoffs. Um, and now, obviously, he's going to be second off the layoff here. I, I really I just I don't see a way around uh, Candy Main Rocket in this spot three for three at Gulfstream. Uh, I think he's going to be very tough to beat in here. Yeah, and the way the race shapes up too, he's probably going to sit third maybe or fourth, just like behind a couple of the speeds who go mm -hmm. at it. There are a couple of really quick horses in here, like Super Ocho is very, very fast. Um, I'd imagine that uh, Uncle Ernie is going to want to be right on the front end, and Lightning Larry is also really quick. So those horses go. It should set up perfectly for Candyman Rocket to the outside of them to just sit off beautifully. He puts two starts together. Like he's a very, very logical favorite and probably a horse who people will single in the pick five. And I, I really wouldn't talk you off doing that. Like he's, he's hard to, to, to poke holes in really. Like we went through his career and you, you can make legitimate excuses for the poor performances, the sloppy debut, and then the two route races and then everything else makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and I and I kind of a word of caution on a horse in here that probably looks really, really good to some people. And that's the five Uncle Ernie. Um, you know, if, if you look at this horse, you like look at the you look at those buyer figures and you're like, wow, like this horse can really, like, really, really run. Well, um, look what happened when he went from parks to Gulfstream, yep. right? A sharp, sharp drop off. All five wins at parks. And I don't necessarily think that that is um like the horse didn't show up. I tend to think that figures at parks, for some reason, they just don't tend to carry anywhere else. I don't know if they're inflated. I don't know what, what the deal is, but 
if you're looking at if you're looking at parks figures, like they are only valuable, I think, at parks. They do not travel. Um, so while this horse looks like, hey, this horse might be faster than Candyman Rocket, I would I would just have a word of caution that those parks figures are probably a little bit inflated, and that eighty four that eighty four that he earned at Gulfstream is probably probably right where where this horse is yeah i I'm, I'm not a fan of him either in this race with the way it shapes up he seems pretty one-dimensional too he hasn't really shown that he wants to sit off of other horses and i don't even know he there are a couple other really quick horses in here you know mm-hmm. the two super ocho is very fast lightning larry is not slow either so i think with those three at least they'll be cooking in here um if i were to go deeper or if i was playing you know exactus tries supers couple of horses that I would throw in the four is probably like the most true closer in this race. As of late, like he's a, he's been one horse who's actually been able to pass horses sprinting recently. And he picked up pieces against lightning Larry. He might be a really big price. And when a lot of these speed horses stop, he could be passing horses. I'd have no problem using him underneath. And even the one, um, the rail is what concerns me a little bit with Scaramouche, Josh, but he might be able to work out the type of trip if he just sort of takes back and lets a couple of the speed horses go and then tries to sit and, and move around or move inside. The one and the four would be other horses I would use underneath the seven, who I agree with you. I just I do think that it's a fantastic spot for Candyman Rocket. Yeah, I, th- I just think it's it's going to be very, very tough. You know, the two the two does interest me a little bit, but, you know, it, I, I'm just with all the rest all, all the rest of the speed, speed in here. Although the two is, I think the speed of the speed. I mean, he I led the he led the the Breeders' Cup sprint, right? Uh, Hector Barrios just unleashed this horse, and that horse went out, um, and set some very very fast fractions also at Delta Downs. So um, yeah, this this horse is definitely lightning quick, um, but it you know if you look at his past performance, he tends to get caught even going five or six furlongs. So um, whether. It maybe if you get uh, a couple, maybe if like Lightning Larry scratches out or Uncle Ernie scratches out, maybe you can make a better case for the two. But um, that yeah, might I be agree. a horse that I use in second, second or third. If one of the, if if there was less speed, he's quick. You know what you're going to get with him, you know. Uh, but it just feels like there are a couple others that are really, really fast in here. So that is race number nine on the Gulfstream Saturday card. As we move along to race number ten, the middle part of the late pick five. Josh, come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. We've How got do we Wonka. End up with the same horse. How do we have the same horse in this we, series? Look at that. We've got Wonka here. And I mean, when I was little, it, I always knew, you know, you could tell what movie that I liked based on how damaged the VHS case was and Willy Wonka, (laughs) that thing was just hanging on by a thread, man. There was just so little left of that VHS case. I put that thing in and out over and over. Loved me some Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. And I think this horse is very live in here, uh, Josh. And it sounds like you do too, right? So Mm -hmm. go ahead talk to us a little bit about Wonka. Yeah. I mean, I just love that last race, man, that, that last race. I mean, you know, I, I, in this race, I'm looking for horses that are coming in with some type of form. You know, I in in, in turf racing, I mean, speed, speed figures are useful, but man, I do I not love me some horses that that like that win or are, are up close. And this horse, you know, I think has seemed to kind of find his footing here at Gulfstream. You know, ran uh, first time at Gulfstream, won, broke his maiden, uh, ca- kind of came back, um, and uh, you know, ran. 
ran kind of evenly. It looked like he kind of checked up a little bit in the December 4th race. But, uh, you know, came back and won an optional claimer here um, with a junior Alvarado board. Bill Mott has been winning at 22%. I mean, he is, he's just on fire at Gulfstream. So um, I thought that this is a bit of a bit of a overlay here um, with, uh, with Wonka eight to one. I agree. Um, I had a really tough time with this, this, uh, this race because Wonka is the only horse in this race. I could tell you, I like, but there's, I don't feel like I like it enough to be a single. Um, that's, that's so funny. Cause I feel pretty similar. Like I like him at his, six to one ish and above price. And I think that's a fair value. If you're looking for a horse to bet and the horse who I want to make sure is in all of my exotics, but then following him, like what makes this race so difficult is you have the two Chad Brown runners mm-hmm. that are just the total wild cards. Right. Yep. And they're both imports. You have chili flag who we, and both of them are coming off of long layoffs. We haven't seen chili flag since September of 2022. We haven't seen the 11 Spanish Baroque, since November of 2021 and the 11 has sort of a a strain. You could tell that this horse has had some issues along the way. uh, Spanish broke. If you look at the work pattern. So this horse started training in July of 2022 over here. And then you get a a couple works, you get a July and August work. Then you miss a few works and you show back up at Monmouth. You start training at Monmouth at the end of August, 2022. So you go August, September, 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 October, all the way through September. And then the first three works of October, all good. Um, into November, good. But then you miss a month from November to December. You just keep, it seemed like every time they started to get back ramped up, they would miss a little bit of time. Since then, no, now we've got, I think, nine consecutive works the last two through December, all the way through January, all the way through February. But it makes this race so difficult because we know, Josh, these horses are going to get bet because they're mm-hmm. they're always going to get bet. So can either of them or both of them win? Well, sure. But I feel like they're just going to be way undervalued coming off that long, long layoff with all these questions to ask about them. But it's just... I, it's that kind of a race where it wouldn't shock me, but I, sh- I certainly don't love them at, at what their prices will be. Yeah, I mean, I I saw exactly the same as you. Um, so the the problem with the eleven Spanish Baroque, um, you know, uh, Lope de Vega, the sire, uh, is a win early, win at two, uh, and they Lope de Vegas just generally don't tend to make a huge step at like three and four. Um, as like some of these other horses do, but but really really big win early pedigree, um, and obviously horse first time out won going seven furlongs uh, in uh, in France, um, you know came back and, and won an allowance race as well, and then like you said just went went on the on the the bench for a very very long time. Um, I will say that my uh, my on the wrong lead compatriot and, and good friend Caleb, uh, he says if you ever see Monmouth anywhere on a Chad Brown horse, uh, you just call it a, a fake Chad. Like, yeah, this is a fake Chad Brown horse, and I—I I mean, this—he was training at, you know, uh, at at Monmouth, which I would assume meant he was going to try and run this horse at Monmouth. So maybe doesn't think as highly of this one. Um, I mean, I'm trying to read tea leaves here with two Me horses too. that he's shipping in and trying to figure it out. You don't want to use both of them. No. Um, I, I think I'd probably have to prefer the seven if I, I were to use one. The uh, seven Chili- ran. Be- I mean, the last time we've seen this horse. She was a two-year-old, like you're saying, and we we don't and, and like her figures. She would have to have improved and grown up a whole lot, which she mm-hmm. maybe she has because she's four now. But 
that we're projecting a bunch of improvement off a very long layoff. You mentioned the pedigree. And then on top of all of that with the works, it's a bad post. Yep. So yeah, I, I just, I, I can't bring myself to do it. It's going to be short. Um, I mean, I prefer the seven if you're going to yeah. use the one of them. I, I think so too. Yeah. I, I prefer the seven. I mean, if you look at the, uh, the time form ratings, um, you know, I, just kind of steadily improved. Um, she did have form. some legitimate traffic in that race too. I watched the race at uh, St. Cloud. She started, she was like in between horses and in some traffic. And then she moved right up to press, but it was one of those where you're sort of like in traffic and then you try to rush to get out of the traffic. So you, I didn't think it was a bad performance. It maybe looked a little bit better than fifth beaten four because the winner was sort of clear and the winner came back to win their next start. So I, I yeah, I'm, I'm probably not tossing her, but I think I'm chucking the 11. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it was really, really tough here to find, find anything else that I really just kind of wanted to like hang my hat on. Um, I, I think if I had like, if I had to pick another horse to use in here, I uh, would probably be the uh, the John Kimmel horse, the four. Yeah, that uh, one's my on move. my tickets. I think um, so just looking at this race, I don't see a lot of uh, early speed. Um, you know, a horse that definitely wants to get the lead. Um, and this horse doesn't necessarily need to get the lead, but I think going seven, this horse is going to get the lead. I mean, this horse has got sprinter speed. Has by led. default. Yeah, he's yeah. got sprinter speed. I think this horse is going to get the lead by default. And Jaramillo is an aggressive rider, so I, I, he he might just get out there on the front end and just go. So I'll I'll use the four making my move. I'm I'm definitely going to use the three Wonka. I think I think Wonka is going to be a, uh, you know th that's I, I think it's going to be an overlay in this spot. But, I agree. Uh, yeah, I like the three and the four the most here. We're going to try to get that golden ticket, huh, Josh? I got yeah. a lot of I got a lot hey. of these puns all day hey. long. Man. Anytime I, I go to Vegas, anytime I go to Vegas, at least a twenty is always going to go into one of the Wonka machines. The Wonka so, machines, man. Yeah. Oh, always, always. So that's a look. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably a lot of three, four, sevens in uh, in race number ten, uh, Gulfstream Park. As we turn the page, final two legs of this pick five sequence. Again, a big thanks to Josh for hanging out with me here, talking through this pick five. So, Josh, we turn to a uh, a one turn mile here. It's a first level allowance in race number 11. You have, I'd imagine towards the, uh, I mean, I guess from like a betting standpoint towards the outside, judge Davis will probably get a, a little bit of support. We see American Prince stat bourbon creed, but I don't think there's going to be like a really super short price or an overwhelming favorite in this race at all. The Principe Dioro coming off a long layoff was impressive in winning. Talk to us about how you saw this race. Man, so this is a really tough race because um, you're going a mile on the dirt at Gulfstream. And in my head, that means, all right, who's going to get the lead? Who are the horses that are going to be forwardly placed that I want to use? And then you start scrolling, and you're like, a lot of these horses want to be forwardly placed. Yeah. want to be on the lead. Yeah. And, you know, I get tricked very often at Gulfstream thinking that a race is going to fall apart. Um, but Me too. Uh, it, I, it, and it doesn't, I know. And it doesn't. Yeah. And it doesn't. And so I don't think I'm going to get tricked this time. Uh, but, um, I'm going to kind of use a, a combo here with uh, two speed horses and, and kind of an off the pace runner. Um, I mean, I think the one horse tiger here ran a really, really great race, uh, last time out, uh, on the Briz scale, uh, looks like, uh, also DRF tends to, to agree that 85 is probably yeah. super competitive in this spot. Yep. Uh, six to one on the morning line. It's a very, very flat race. 
Um, and so when I see a flat race like this, like in my head and in, in a lot of people's heads, I think they're like, all right, it's a flat race. I need like five, six, seven horses. Like I need, you know, to, to really spread out. And I'm like, no, that's what everyone else is thinking. I'm going to try and stay narrow here. So yeah. the one is probably going to be my, most of my money's going to be going through this one horse here. Um, I am also interested in the horse just outside to him, the two Prince yeah. Dioro. I know coming off the long layoff, um, coming off the layoff, like you said. Um, but I mean, that, that, that maiden breaker at aqueduct. I mean, that, that looks like also like a, like one that's got a shot to win here, especially if this horse moves forward at all. Uh, obviously you just pull up the work tab and I mean, the horse has been working pretty Pretty steady here since December 24th, you know? Yeah. So there must've, must've been a problem after that, that race, after that work, but that horse came right back and just started firing bullets. So and we know I they can this... fire fresh off a couple month break from January to April. This is longer, obviously, but fresh shouldn't be that much of a problem. And I think it'll just come down to do the two horses inside, do these two horses, you know, make it a little difficult on each other showing speed, right? Do they make yeah. it if one of the two can get away? Because you're right, you you look at the rest of the field and they their speed, there's a lot of like kind of like pressers right? That Mm want to be close, but necessarily they're not like one dimensional speeds. So then all of a sudden, if the rest of these horses start kind of tracking back a little bit, you look at stat. I don't even know really how fast stat is. These races might look a little quicker than you think because they're on synthetic and they're not really all that fast early. The two horses to the inside are both, I think, pretty live. And and I think, you know, they're both going to probably be around the same price. And they, you know, you know where you're going to be in the top flight. Yep. And uh, just like kind of like a not not really a safety net, but a horse that I have marked down kind of as a B type, uh, the five desert ruler. Um, I think that this is kind of like you were talking about that presser type, right? Yep. Wants to come from off the pace. I think it's got some really, really nice, uh, nice figures. Um, I mean, obviously matches up. It's got, I'm looking on on your form right there. I got a couple 90s and 91 there. Um, and if you kind of look at those races, um, you know, there, there's been a little bit of pace there, right? Going 23 and yep. one, 22 and four at that seven furlong race. Um, so I think if that, if there is some pace for desert ruler to kind of run into, I think that this is, this is going to set up nicely for, for this type of horse here. I like. Uh, I think it's got the, I think it's got the figs, got that late kick. Um, I, I think does need a little bit of a setup. So if the one and two do go nuclear and someone else kind of joins in, um, then I think the five is definitely a, a big candidate to pick up the pieces. Yeah. And these two, the last two races, both, um, I think you can make legitimate excuses for them. The, the comment line on December 23rd says wrangled back and actually the horse had a good start, but they just didn't get aggressive at all with him. And what ended up happening, he got stuck in a really bad spot. He was in traffic. Um, he kind of moved through. He had nowhere to go on the inside. You could tell he was traveling really well and he gets pushed back all the way to like eighth, but he's only two lengths behind. He set up right on the inside, but it sort it happens so much where everyone starts to shuffle back a little bit, and all of a sudden you go from being in the second flight to like the fourth flight. Yep. And and that was what happened with Desert Ruler two starts back, and then last time out he just misses the break completely. It was a pretty bad stumble. Um, and he was sixth. He was kind of inside behind horses. It was not a bad effort at all. Um, he's going to be in my pick fives. I'm probably going to throw bourbon creed in as well. And I'm hoping it's not just because I've been seeing the creed commercials out there. And I went back and watched all the Rockies recently. Yeah. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling an Adonis creed right now, but I do feel like another one to have in case this race does 
come set up for someone from off the pace. He has nice progression from six to six and a half. Now he'll stretch out the two sprints to a route that one turn mile. And in the same race with judge Davis, I thought he actually ran a lot better. He had a slow start. He was last inside and then he got, you know, shuffled back a little bit more. Um, he had really good momentum and he had to angle out widest of all. And then he just missed second. So, um, I actually prefer Bourbon Creed over Judge Davis over, over those same two there. And maybe he's a horse who can come off the pace a little bit. But I, I agreed with you and think the two inside horses are live. Those are probably like the bulk of the horses that I'm using, and, and along with the five and the six. Hey, speaking of the six, two things. One, I got to double check, but I think I might have a bottle with Bourbon Creed on it because uh, uh, Bourbon Lane Stables. <laughs> hey, there you go, the, right? Uh, the pin hook bottles so nice. you can uh you can always find the, those bottles and you know they have different horses and stuff on there i know i have a bourbon dini awesome uh, which i don't know if he's ran yet but uh bourbon creed aren't you a little surprised they haven't uh tried this horse on the turf yet it looks like they they did a turf work but work. Uh, jimmy which... jimmy creed i mean that sounds like a like a like a turf type right absolutely and i wouldn't be surprised if we don't see like a it, it, it's it's probably only because both of the races on the dirt have been fine. You know, it's it's not like he ran poorly in either one of them, but you're absolutely right. I We're going to see turf in the future for Bourbon Creed. At some point, we've already seen the turf work there. A look at race number 11. Anything else to mention here, Josh, before we finish up in the 12th? No, I'm ready to go. Okay, let's uh, close things out. Josh and I are both going to be alive at this point for big money in race number 12. And we have a mile turf race for maiden special weights. Horse who will be a very short price in this race, Josh, is Carl Spackler, who just missed. Uh, it was is a pretty wicked beat, too, with, when you watch it back. Like, he sits, kind of moves. He looks like he's going to win, and he just gets nailed. It was a it was wicked. It feels like a race that you and I probably would have been alive for big money and needed Carl Spackler, and that would have been kicking things afterwards. How do you approach this race with a heavy favorite like him? Do you like him? Is he a single? Do you use him in one other? Do you chuck him out? What are you thinking a few days out? So, yeah, I I, I just kept on looking. I'm like, I don't know if you can beat this horse. Um, yeah. I think, um, you know, and, and it's funny because as soon as I, like, tell myself that, the next thing I do is I try to beat the horse again. Right, always. So always. you got to. I so yeah. So I have I had a hard time here. Um, I, I think I think the eight is about as close as you can get to a single on the entire card. Um, like you said, just missed uh, last time out. But I don't know. It's always tough with these maiden horses, right? Um, to you know, you you never know who's on the improve, right? Who maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe there's somebody better kind of hidden in here. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, um, a horse like, for example, you know, a horse like the one saint in the city, he is just completely different, right? He sprinted on the dirt in his debut and he actually was in a strong race. And now he's going to be trying turf going long for a barn and connections who have been, uh, you know, heating up and having a really nice meet and he's bred beautifully. For the turf, when you click right here and you look on the turf, um, his damn overly tempting only tried the turf one time but with stakes placed. But he's actually a half to a horse named A Lot, who was a really nice uh, grass horse. He was a four-time winner on the grass, multiple stakes winner, multiple uh, was grade one placed, earned 475000 You also see a couple other turf winners in the pedigree here. So there's a lot of turf there for the one. He's the type of horse who, I mean, based on his debut, he didn't show much, I mean, a little bit of, positional speed 
at Saratoga in a dirt sprint. But if he looks like a brand new horse in this race as a three-year-old going long on the turf, I that wouldn't shock me at all. Gino, all I can say is that it's this is either going to be a very, very good weekend for the both of us or a very, very bad weekend. For <laughs> We're both seeing of us the same things, right? The other horse, the only other horse in here I think that you you kind of need to use is going to be the one Saint in the City. Um, I think you you kind of brought it all up, right? You got a horse that is second time out uh in Bill Mott Barn, which you know Bill Bill doesn't send these horses out to win first time out, right? No. And he he I think he he does this a lot where he sends these horses out to go on the dirt once before switching them over to turf. Um, you know, not necessarily great first time on the turf, but Mendelssohn, like you said, has been winning 17% first time turf winners, 15% overall. Um, you know, you you see the damn side, right? You got six starters, four of them turf winners. Uh, you got a stakes winner in there. Um, yeah, the, I mean this this horse wants to be on the on the green stuff. Has got that bullet work uh, on the turf too back. This is a horse that's definitely going to improve. It's just how much, right? Yeah, yeah. Needs to improve forty points from his his debut, which is which is a lot. But for a horse changing surfaces and changing to the right surface second time out, I think changing to the right distance routing. Uh, I mean, maybe you see it. And, yeah, and six to one might end up being time. overlay. He ran into a group that included Blazing Sevens, who is a grade one winner. Blazing Sevens won the grade mm-hmm. one champagne, beat Verifying. We're going to see Verifying running this weekend over at uh, Oaklawn Park. Bourbon Bash was also a nice one who came back out of that race to win next time out by eight lengths. Um, so, yeah, I thought I, I agree with you. I don't really have too many knocks on Carl because he does look tough in this race. And mm-hmm. that was a, a brutal beat. And he ran very, very well in that spot. The only other horse I would mention if people want to play exotics, I did think the tens race last time out wasn't bad. It was his first start on the, on the turf. And sometimes horses, people will see the fact that this horse dropped in for a maiden claiming tag and didn't win. And, and they may just get, ah, uh, he's not very good, but you know what? He's another horse that, he perked up on the grass. That was his best race by far. He kind of had some sneaky trouble in that race too. He got beat out of a spot early in between horses. And then he had to tip out really wide. He was right up into contention. And then late things got really tight for him again. So maybe underneath, if people are using this as a spread race, that would be one more to recommend. But Josh and I are both on uh, uh, the one and the eight in here as the uh, the top two to try to close things out. And I would have no problem using those two in, in like the last leg of a pick five, you know, one eight. Josh, we've had a, a fun journey, my friend. It has been a blast going through this Gulfstream Park pick five with you. Um, I really appreciate it. I hope this will be the first of many conversations that you and I have just like this because I really enjoy your insight and I, uh, I really did have a good time talking these races out with you and you are spot on. You and I are going to be talking with each other afterwards about what what nice bottle we're drinking, or yep. we're going to be talking about the value meal we got and the coupons <laughs> we uh, we had to find for dinner on Saturday night. It's gonna, it's like one or the other, right? Yep. No in between. Exactly. It's going to be all or nothing here. <laughs> Give us your plugs one more time, Josh. Where can we find uh, all the the great work that you do out there? Yep. Uh, so you can catch me on Twitter at Cherry Drank. Uh, also uh, at Wrong underscore Lead um, for our on the wrong lead stuff. Uh, on the wrong lead.com and you know you can find us at on the wrong lead basically everywhere twitter um instagram uh youtube um we do most of our stuff on youtube um but uh you know we we post it to twitter as well 
Tell Caleb I said hello and give Andrew as hard a time as possible. Anytime you oh, can. Oh, I always do. Please do. Have you Please have do. you seen have you seen just how insufferable he's been lately with that stupid Beamy Award that really didn't Oh count? my god. I was like that was the worst thing that could have ever happened. It was to absolutely us, the worst. To us. To yep. us, the people that are around him. Because mm-hmm. that thing's at all over. He's got the trophy. That was he's been doing it for he's been wanting that for years. He can truly like die a happy man now he could like he he like he's fulfilled everything that he wanted in his life and oh yeah he's out in hawaii right now with oh his yeah fiance like oh poor guy must be tough being andrew champagne right yeah. now but, if i uh, ever see jason beam like i like i i love his podcast i think he's a great race caller i'm gonna introduce myself i'm gonna be very very cordial but then i'm gonna tell him mr beam i have a i have a bone to pick with you You made a major mistake you created mr. Beam. a monster you created a horrible monster named Andrew Champagne that we both love very much. Andrew, hope you're having a nice time in Hawaii. Josh, thanks again, buddy. This was a blast, and I look forward to you and I recording this on like Thursday evening. I'm going to flip over in just a little bit and uh, check out some of you and uh, the guys with on the wrong lead. So thanks again, buddy. Good luck this weekend. Awesome. Thank you. Folks, thanks for hanging out with us. If you're watching on social media, this will do it. If you're listening to the podcast, we still have a lot more to come on That's What G Said, so stay tuned. Big thanks again to Josh for hanging out with us, talking some Gulfstream Park for Saturday. So just a quick little uh, review of some of the horses that I like. Just I'll kind of give you the prices in each race. In the eighth race, uh, the 10 Hoku, who's 8-1. to one. In the ninth race, I'll be throwing in Cajun's Magic, one of the true loaned closers in there at 15-1. to one. But Candyman Rocket will be very, very tough there. I like Wonka. In race number three, uh, race number eight, I'm all over the place. Wonka, the number three in race number 10, they're at eight to one. Then in the 11th race, Desert Ruler, Bourbon Creed will both be on the ticket for me. And in the 12th, Blame the Race Maker along with Carl Speckler. So big thanks to Josh for helping us out. Make sure to check out all of the great content they do over there on the wrong lead and support all of their stuff there. Uh, really good guys. Let's keep it rolling. Let's move from Saturday Gulfstream to Saturday Oaklawn. It is the Rebel, a million-dollar race. There are three stakes races on the card in Oaklawn Park. Two of them have points on the line, one for the Phillies, Kentucky Oaks points, and then one for the boys, Kentucky Derby points on the line. We are very lucky to be joined by the DRF Mid-South correspondent, Mary Rampolini, who covers Oaklawn, Sam Houston, Remington, a lot of the tracks out there. She does a fantastic job, and Mary helped us get all ready for the three stakes races this weekend. So if you want to follow along, we'll be looking at Oaklawn Saturday, races 7, 10, and 11. Kick back and enjoy. It is crazy how we are flying down the road to the Kentucky Derby this year. We're already up to the Rebel and uh, some Kentucky Derby points on the line. Also some Kentucky Oaks points on the line. And we are very excited to have our friend joining us again from the DRF uh, Daily Racing Form correspondent. She covers the Mid-South. You see her excellent handicapping prowess all the time. Great articles from her. Um, always keeping us updated on everything going on at Oaklawn, Sam Houston, Remington, all the tracks down in that area. Mary Rampolini from the DRF. How you doing today, Mary? Oh, hi, Gino. Thank you for that uh, sweet introduction. I, I think you you correctly uh, talked about this road to the Kentucky Derby. We are speeding right along with the Rebel here on Saturday. I know. It feels crazy because the Rebel means that this weekend, well, after this weekend, there will only be one more prep at Oaklawn. 
it feels so crazy that this is these are like the final two rounds of preps now at a lot of these tracks that have you know a few like Oakland has a nice series of preps along the way but wow are we flying along and um and did we get some good races you and I are going to talk about the three stakes races on the card for Saturday this weekend and they are really really contentious good fields and just quality horses in all three of them yes you know rebel day is one of the biggest days of the year at Oaklawn, and they've certainly pulled out all the stops for uh, Saturday. We've got 12 races, like you mentioned, the three stakes races, and each of those races drew very large fields. We've got uh, 11 and 12 horse fields for the stakes, so a really big day, a really good day for horse players, uh, because I believe the races are very competitive on the day, uh, particularly the stakes. And if you uh, want to get a little more information along with the handicapping that me and Mary will be doing right now, you can check out a couple of the great articles that she has uh, right now on the DRF.com website, or and that will come out in the DRF that preview the rebel field. And then also another one that talks about some of the other stakes races on the card and gives you some really good information about those runners. So I love always when I'm handicapping, I always want to check, especially you, Mary, because I know the good, the, uh, the good work that you put in. I always want to make sure to go through those articles because you're able to find information, um, just small little things that you won't find just looking at the past performances. So I've always appreciated the uh, the work that you've done. And tell the folks out there again uh, some of the tracks that you cover and the work that you do for DRF. Oh, sure. Well, thanks for that, Gino. I appreciate it because I know you're an excellent handicapper, so that means a lot coming from you. Uh, uh, my responsibilities are um, uh, a large amount of that is handicapping. I, I handicap uh, – Every day, the meet here at Oaklawn, we do an analysis for the racing form, and then we also do closer looks where we we uh, spotlight some particular races and do a horse-by-horse analysis. And, you know, like you said, Gina, we're trying to point out things not only in the past performances, but also as a reporter, I'm covering the races too. And uh, that enables me to kind of interview some of the trainers involved. And um, they often give insight, and you're seeking some insight on horses that, that that just is not in black and white because because horses are you know uh, there's variables there that they're facing they're individuals they're not machines so uh yeah we tried to give some of that insight and i i thought uh, the trainers that i interviewed up to these races gave a lot of insight heading into rebel day now as we take a look uh if you're watching us on social media we have the daily racing form past performances pulled up if you ever follow me on social media or any of these videos you'll notice i always pull up the formulator ones those are my favorite it just <laughs> is so nice as a handicapper and makes it so convenient when you can one click to a replay one click to a chart one click to all of the statistics that you want to to you know um literally formulate and in, in whatever way that you'd like. So it's so easy. It's so convenient for us, um, Mary. And, and as we were talking, you said that you're actually out there um, in the hot springs area for uh, this weekend. And the weather right now is pretty good, but it's supposed to be a, a pretty high chance of rain coming up this weekend, right? Yeah, that's, that's a good thing to discuss. Uh, Gino, the chances of rain, they've gone down from 90 to 80% in the last <laughs> days, but maybe not a lot of rain. But um, it's supposed to be about 50 degrees. It's supposed to be an overcast day. Like I said, there's a chance, they said, for some rain, 80%. But what concerns me a little bit is we've also got some rain in the forecast for Friday. Mm -hmm. So we could see a couple of days of buildup. Now, I will say the Oakland track takes rain well. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, the rainy season this time of year. So we'll see what happens. Um, 
we'll see what happens with these races. The Southwest day was a very wet day at Oaklawn and in a way it gives us some insight into the rebel because some of those horses are coming mm-hmm. back in both, both of the stakes, you know, some yeah. for the Phillies and and the Colts. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. It's it's crazy weather all over the place this, this weekend for the most part. I mean, in Santa yes. Anita, I'm, I'm out here in Southern California. It was hailing yesterday in Southern oh California, my. which was oh, really bizarre. Wow. My son was in the back, like, what is this? There's ice there. He was laughing. And um, they actually canceled Friday, Saturday, and Sunday all throughout the weekend because it's supposed to be, yes. they had blizzard warnings in Los Angeles for like the first time in, that, in history. So wow. yeah, cra- crazy weather all over. Let's see if we can, uh, and handicap these races and pick out a few winners for the folks <laughs> so if you want to follow along with uh, me and mary we're looking at races 7 10 and 11 on saturday at oaklawn for february the 25th and the seventh race is the carousel it's for fillies and mares it's for older fillies and mares and it's a sprint and we have a couple sharp nice fillies in here right now who have come back at four really strong uh, they're the sort of headliners in this field the thing that's a bit tricky if you're handicapping the race though they both are are pretty quick and it seems like they both want to be right on the front end i'm talking about ujiri and pretty birdie but uh i'll set you up a little bit mary because i did read through your article and it seems like norm cassie who's been having a fantastic meet he sort of likes the draw that he's to the outside of ujiri and that may give him and pretty birdie them the opportunity to sit off a little bit if they had to yes he's hopeful for that and i think part of that not only is the draw kind of uh oh for lack of a better word a tactical post for pretty birdie in this situation but also i liked what norm had to say about this philly pretty birdie how she's kind of really matured she's she she last ran in december so it's been a little while since she's run they purposely waited for this spot and and he just likes how she's becoming a more professional philly i mean she's a three-year-old philly just turning four so she's she certainly has room still for for learning and maturing, and he's seen that in her. So perhaps mentally that will add to maybe a, a rateability, a willingness to rate if she needed to sit off Ujiri, and at least the post would maybe accommodate that. So there's there's some dynamics working perhaps for Pretty Birdie. Now, she certainly is very quick, I mean, and she tends to break on top at all times, so... There's always a chance you could just be gone. <laughs> yeah, and, and both of them are, you know, graded stakes winners last year, and their form looks very similar on paper. Even the like the the layoffs almost, you know, they they took off towards the middle portion of last year and they've been off for a while, back got their first race back off the bench out of the way, and now they've been pointing for this spot. And if they were to hook up, and let's say it ends up setting up for someone off the pace, because these two go so fast early on. Who were some of the horses that you think might be able to benefit from that? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I mean, I guess, you know, obviously the rail horse, Hazy Command, she's yeah. used, you know, closing tactics both times out. Uh, her last two wins, excuse me, her last two races, she's been effective coming from off the pace. And, uh, you know, there is a lot of other speed in here, a lot of horses that are going to be yeah. close too. So it, it really could set up, like you're saying, Gino. She's honest too, Mary. She's proven uh, at Oaklawn. She's really sharp and she's yes. honest. Even in those, la- even before those last two races, like she's got nine of her last 10 that have been really nice efforts. And you sort of, you were hitting in it with the two really fast fillies and a couple others that are quick in here. I don't know if she's going to get that shuffle trip from the rail. They may just take her back way out of all that early stuff and then just try to swoop around. You know, and and that mm-hmm. that's sort of what they did with her last time. And, and two starts back, she won from the rail 
on the a, rail on yeah. a wet track. Yeah, those are good points. Really good points, Gino. And then maybe you'll look at a horse like Take Take Charge Lauren, who's, you know, cutting back from a mile. Mm-hmm. Maybe that, you know, that sets her up for a big finish too. So little yeah, bit of I punch. Think, uh, I think you made a nice case for Hazy Command. And and like I said, I do think, you know, Ujiri and Pretty Birdie, they're they're exciting fillies going forward, like you said, moving into this division now. Then there's kind of a wild card before we move on from this race on the outside for Peter Miller. Samurai Charm comes in. Joel Rosario will be aboard. Um, she was she she's kind of interesting because she's definitely capable of throwing up a really big effort, but she's sort of been in and out. Like she's not all that consistent, especially on speed figures. If you're just looking at some of her her recent speed figures, where she has a couple good races, it looks like she's sort of moving in the right direction. And then her last two. Maybe a little bit disappointing. She hooked a sharp, uh, a sharp one last time out in Fun to Dream. She maybe she could kind of capitalize and get a trip in here. She's at least sort of a wild card and worth mentioning. Yeah, no, definitely. No, talking to Peter Miller a while back, he had mentioned he was looking at this spot with a couple of fillies. So she may have been one of them. I, I don't have my notes in front of me, but I also want to say on that conversation, it was a while back. But I also want to say, and I'm uh, trying to look up the overnight now. I believe he supplemented one of those Phillies. So that's kind of interesting too. Um, yeah. if, I, if I find that while we go along, I will let you know here. I'll look. Yeah. Here, so. She's, she's but, the only thing is though, I would want more, a little bit more than three to one on her. I uh, think. Sure. Now, <laughs> sure. You know, like sure, that just seems. You know, well, she's an inch. I'm glad you pointed her out because she's interesting. So yeah, definitely. And uh, a very contentious group here. We'll see how quick they could be going in that one. Cause there is a lot of early speed in that seventh race in the carousel, $150,000 up for grabs there. We will turn the page to race number 10, a little bit later on, on the card at Oakland on Saturday. The 10th race is the grade three honeybee. It is a mile and a 16th on the main track. You've got the Kentucky Oaks points on, on the line and you have five of them coming back from the Martha Washington. And in this particular race, the horses who are sort of the, the headliners in here, you know, you have grand love who was in the breeders cup juvenile Phillies and she'll be making her first start of the year for Mr. 10,000. She'll, uh, mm-hmm. she'll be dealing with, uh, uh, rivals like wet paint who was very impressive last time out. And she's proven over a, a wet track also. But, uh, I, I also liked reading a little bit about, you know, a horse like Olivia twist that you wrote about Mary that, had more than just the wet track excuse last time out. It, it seemed like there was a physical issue too. And maybe at a price she could bounce back and at least run a little bit better than she did last time out. Talk to us about this field, the honeybee. Oh yeah, sure. Oh, I'm going to back up one second real quick. Gino, Please. and just tell, tell people that American Lily, who is a Miller trainee, another Miller trainee in the field and take charge. Lauren were both supplemented to the carousel. I knew oh, I had great. seen that at some point. Yeah. I wanted to, to pass Thank that you. on. So awesome. Um, yeah. Always love to get the good information. Thank you. But but it's the other Miller Philly. Um, secondly, yes, uh the honeybee, yes, you know, um, this is a nice large field here at 12. We went from six in the Martha Washington to double the field size yeah. here. So a lot of Phillies trying to, to trying to uh pick up some Kentucky Oaks points here. Uh back to Olivia Twist. Uh she was an exciting Philly at Remington and she's really well regarded in the Martha Washington and finished kind of a, a distant fifth there after setting the pace. And, and just in talking to Todd Fincher, you know, he said she didn't scope well after the race. Uh, they, they found some mucus. So, you know, the stress of that race really brought that out. So he's hoping she'll come back and, 
and run well, you know, and they had really a legitimate excuse there for her. She's a quick filly. Unfortunately, she's on the far outside, but that speed should help her get some position. The far outside being post, you know, 11 in this field of 12. Um, Grand Love, I think she'll be quick going out there and running. She's a fresh horse, but she's naturally quick. She's been working sharply. Uh, I think they got to catch her. Um, and, uh, you know, Gambling Girl, I, I really do think she's a very interesting filly. In for trainer Todd Fletcher, she's 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 kind of graduated from the New York bred ranks and proved she fits in open company, proved she fits in graded company in this division. So she's kind of a nice filly. Um, Irad Ortiz will be back up on her. He's he's familiar with her to to use Todd Fletcher's term, and uh, they're happy to have him him uh, be in town at the same time. He's here for the Rebel uh, Irad riding, and uh, so they're hoping for a good race from her. Um, yeah, this is an interesting race. Wet paint's proven on the track. I think defining purpose is a horse that might get lost in here. There's so many good fillies, and she's already a stakes winner here at the meet. She can sit. And she didn't run bad last time. Yeah, she kind of just moved a little bit no, early. she didn't. You know, and, and I think if they just timed yes. it slightly different, she's shown uh, some real versatility, too. She's kind of one that I'm I'm warming up to a little bit more at what could be a price. I think you're right. She could be forgotten about a bit. Yeah, and she might sit just off of, say, a horse like, uh, you know, Grand Love goes out there and the rail horse effortlessly elegant. She's a quick filly if she were to yeah. hook Grand Love. Um, and there's a few other fillies that are quick in here that if it did if it did turn out to be a little bit of a really quick tempo, you know, this this defining purpose, I think she can, you know, she can be in a position to go after them. I don't think she needs to be right up there with them. So No, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned her. She's definitely going to be a filly that I'm using in some exotics too. And uh, yeah, even even a horse, you know, I, I kind of want to make her prove it a little bit, but Toehead was extremely impressive last time out. She sat off the pace oh, too yes. nicely. You know, yes. if she sits a trip like that again, that could work out pretty nicely in here. Maybe just tracking a couple lengths behind. That was very impressive. Yeah, no, she's definitely a, she's an impressive filly for the fact that she's, you know, she's one on turf, she's one on dirt, she's stakes place. She's got a lot of nice experience. I think with three wins, she's like perhaps the winningest filly in this field. So she's definitely a legit racehorse. Um, the one thing I just looking at the race a little bit, one thing to consider, cause you're looking at every angle, she's going to, She's going to carry 122 pounds in here, and that's more than most in the field. And that's under the allowance conditions of the race. It's not a handicap, of course. But um, so she'll, she'll yeah. When she'll you're trying to split, more... yeah, horses that are all evenly matched, right? You're just trying yeah. to figure out like little things that could separate them. That's that's a good point. I mean, she's giving weight away is what she's doing. So she's spotting the most of the in the field weight, you know. So yeah. Anyway, sometimes that can make a difference. Sometimes they, that does make a difference. So we'll see. They're young horses. And this is a, a really good, good stakes race. Race number 10, the grade three honeybee Kentucky Oaks points on the line. We will move to the headliner. And it's been up at a million dollars now for a while. The Rebel Kentucky Derby points on the line. And what a field lining up here. We have a field of 11. And what's, what's interesting about this race is you have some really quality horses, but it's still a pretty wide open uh, Kentucky Derby sort of leaderboard right now. You know, we haven't even seen Forte, who was your Breeders' Cup juvenile winner back yet. He'll be hopefully back in a few weeks. He's been training. And so it's left things a little wide open right now. There's a horse like Verifying who's definitely, um, you know, 
talented. They paid 775,000 for him. He's beautifully bred. He's a son of justify. We can click on the uh, past performances and take a look. He had a very, very nice dam in diva delight. And he's a sip and he's a, uh, a half to midnight B suit. So, um, you know, he's beautifully bred. Uh, even uh, other horses like stage left was a nice one. Um, but he hasn't, you know, he's not a graded stakes winner yet. He is grade one placed. He's he's certainly got a very nice buyer speed figure in his win last time out. There just isn't anyone that's, uh, we haven't really seen them put a bunch of these races together yet. Even reincarnate. He was in that, that race out with a couple of the other Bafferts where sometimes it's sort of hard because they can kind of sit one, two, three. They don't really push each other. Um, this is a fun race, Mary, along the road to the uh, the Kentucky Derby. I mean, we, we're going to really um, find some things out about a few of these horses and uh, what winners and second place finishers in this race. You're basically in. Yes, yes, yeah, R that's right. Uh, Fifty points to the winner here um, on that uh, on on the scale, which will which will pay back points, so to speak, through five places. Um, so not only will you make a check, you, you'll make points as well in this race. Um, yeah, it's really competitive. I think, like you said, we're going to learn some things about a lot of these horses. Verifying's moving back into the stakes ranks. He's Like you said, he's a beautifully bred horse, beautiful moving horse. I think what I liked best about his, 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 his first race of the year last out, um, not only the way he did it, but also two things. You had Gun Pilot, who's a nice horse. And Two Eagles River, who's a nice horse, both finished second and third to him, come back and uh, win allowances next out at Oaklawn. So that was important. Uh, kind of validated that performance in some ways, the company line. And secondly, yeah. I liked that uh, the race went, um, I, I'd say, just a tad quicker than the fifth season stakes, which was run on the same car. And that's a mile race for older horses uh, that Ginobili won. So verifying ran a tad quicker going the same distance on the same day there that that like to track things that way. I, I'm excited about this horse. I like him a lot. I realize that he has a lot of uh, steep competition here. Um, and I don't think there's a standout right now. I, I, I like him as a horse going forward. Maybe a mile and a 16th not his day. Maybe he goes further. Um, but maybe maybe it is his day Saturday. Uh, reincarnation and, did set a quick. He, and Mary, real quick time. before we move, I, out, I we, could just see him getting out there and going. Although there's, I was going to say yeah before yes, we even move off verifying because I, I'm I'm in complete like in agreement with you. I you know he's going to be the 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 short price in here. He's going to be you know not a horse necessarily that we can gamble on on the win end in this spot, but. I love the way he sat a little bit more. Like he just seemed like he grew up a little bit and was more patient. And if he can just sit maybe third in here and let a couple other horses go, I think from the rail, it'll, I'm not, I'm not really worried about it. I think they kind of have some options. I would love to see him just track behind horses. If nobody else goes, then, then they could get a little aggressive. Yeah. I think uh, uh, just talking to Florence Rowe, He's hoping for the same kind of trip to just be be somewhat forward and close, you know, and then and then make his decisions from there coming out of the rail post. And uh, one thing I did like, because Florent has been 
has worked this horse at two and three. He's riding him for the first time, but he's familiar with the horse. Is that he really likes the physical progression that this horse has made from two to three. So I liked hearing that from Florent. And I also liked hearing that this is a very good-minded horse that he said. You know, he's he's really a, a very good horse to handle. So so that makes me yeah. feel good too. And I think, like you said, you noticed you noticed uh, that in the last race, you liked that. And then Florent said he is that type of horse. So anyways. And you were talking about yeah, uh, no, reincarnate. I, I, I really like verifying as an individual. Yes, reincarnate. I mean, set some quick fractions there the other day, dueled and got it done. Um, you know, he's moving to a mile and a 16th from a mile. There's a chance he could just get out there and go. I mean, uh, you more than anybody, Gino, should have a lot of respect for that Southern California speed. Absolutely. When it comes into Oakland, it, it's very dangerous. And uh, uh, we saw that in the Southwest Stakes from Arabian Night just, just proved to be the dominant speed. There was other speed in the race, but he was the dominant speed and wired the field. And I, I it wouldn't surprise me to see a similar situation uh, with reincarnate, um, John Velasquez, of course, came in with Arabian Nights, so he he knows the lay of the land. He's here with reincarnate. Um, uh, you know, other horses. Red Route One, he ran a fine race, running for second to Arabian Night in the slop last out. Steve Asmussen has spoken how this horse is just getting bigger and stronger right now. He likes how he's coming along. I think Gun Pilot is another exciting horse for Steve Asmussen in the race as well. I'm looking forward to seeing how he runs. He's a horse I like as an individual a lot. Too. And I like to see Mary just and just sort of like we saw with verifying and with gun pilot. It doesn't always work out this way, but a lot of times you can see these horses grow up a little bit in their running lines when they start mm -hmm. to sit off a little bit. And and cuz all all of these really good horses if you wanted to, they could probably show speed. But what shows the maturity is the versatility. Now, can they sit off a little bit if everybody goes to the lead? I love that Gun Pilot showed that in his in his last start. He dropped out. Uh, he, he stayed in the allowance ranks. Didn't necessarily step up to a stakes yet. But it was a softer race, and he sat off the pace. And now it's like you check that box, and and you can kind of move along and know that you have some options. Yeah, and we'll you know we'll see what happens. Also, you know. Uh, he's in a bigger field this time too. And that, you know, there's some different dynamics going on, but yep. yes, it's, I, I agree with you. That's a really good thing that happened last time. And uh, I think he's one that could get a really nice, maybe be stalking. He can get that first run at a mm -hmm. horse like reincarnate and maybe verifying, you know, so he could find himself yeah. uh, uh, with a nice trip under Santana, who certainly knows Oakland to say the least. Every one of these Kentucky Derby prep races has at least a couple Brad Cox runners in, and this one is no uh, is no different with verifying with Giant Mischief also, who's very very live in here. Giant Mischief, he had uh, which is a brutal brutal start. One of the features of DRF that we're looking at right here with these Formulator past performances, we can show you this start even that Giant Mischief had in the Springboard Mile last time. He was the number five in the race that we're watching. Uh, he's also the number five in this race and you can see he just completely misses the break and he spots the entire field. It was actually very impressive for him even to get back into contention and into second. He actually makes a move all the way up, like right back into like contention with the leaders on the outside. So he goes from missing the break all the way up to about three, four wide right on the lead. And the horse who won that race, Mary got through on the inside and he kind of kept trying all the way. It was pretty impressive for him after that start. I'm interested to see if he's grown up a little bit in the last couple months. Oh yes. He, he's uh 
he's very interesting. That was very unfortunate start for him last time because he, you could certainly argue he ran a winning race. It was an incredible run that he put in and he never stopped. He ran all the way to the wire. He kept coming after that horse and uh, all the way to the wire. And uh, so uh, he put in quite the sustained run, giant mischief. We know he has a long run, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. And, you know, I think the horse that, that, that won that race is a pretty nice individual as well. Wild Atlantic yeah. storm. He's, he's uh, you know, he was down at Sam Houston and uh, the last I talked to his connections, he was, getting a little breather, a 30 day breather, but you know, he was a 1250 pound two-year-old. He was not only a, a, a credential horse, he had won the, the, the local prep, the clever Trevor going into the springboard mile, but substantially physically, he's a, he's a substantial individual physically. So um, I think the company line's good there too for uh, giant mischief. And uh, certainly the work pattern trainer, Bob, Brad Cox has been happy with how, uh, this horse has worked up into the uh, rebel. So you mentioned Red Route One, uh, Red Route One, who was very impressive for second last time out. And what's nice about him too, Mary, is his form. As these races keep going, his form looks even better. It's you know Forte, he's behind, and Forte comes back in the Breeders' Cup. He's behind two fills in the slop at Churchill, and two fills has come back mm. and run very well. Good point. Of his last two races, you know, he was second in the LeCompte and third in the Risen Star. And then he also comes back and runs really well uh, against, you know, uh, Instant Coffee, who will be the favorite in the Louisiana Derby. Um, so that form continues to to look very strong um, for Red Route 1. And you sort of just know what you're going to get yes. from him, right? He's just going to take back. They're going to He's going to hope they go real quick early and he's going to come running late. Yeah, I mean, I really like how you pointed out all his company lines. He's been in legitimate races uh for most of his career here so yeah. uh, certainly class certainly on class and yeah if he gets the right setup he'll be very dangerous and i want to give one bust out long shot to anyone who's trying to throw in a horse <laughs> underneath or maybe uh one to include I, event detail this might be a little too much for him uh, but i'm really intrigued by him um his career debut, he was in a very strong race at Churchill behind Corona Bolt, who was very good at the time. And Corona Bolt was a little disappointing in the most recent race in the Southwest, but came back and won the Sugar Bowl following that with a 97 buyer speed figure and winning by six. And again, we can maybe make a little bit of excuse for Corona Bolt when running on an off racetrack. That was also the first time going longer. Uh, the runner up that day also came back to win communication memo. So that was a very strong race on the dirt. And then he went to yes. Turfway and he's run two good races at Turfway. And what I've noticed over the last two years in particular, the horses that come out of Turfway generally run pretty well and outrun their odds. And I think on synthetic surfaces, sometimes the speed figures are just a little bit lower because the races aren't quite as fast. Um, so sometimes I don't mind when the figures are a tad low, but visually this horse has been fun. I'm at least going to throw him in the bottom of my exotics. And this is a connections team that's having a fantastic, tw uh, that had a fantastic 2022 with, uh, Paulo Lobo and Corrales, who's been a really good under the rider, uh, under the radar rider for a while now. Nice. Nice. No, that's a, uh, you are among a few people that have mentioned this horse to me. So I'm actually looking forward, like we talked about at the start of the race, about learning about some of 
some of these horses a little bit more. He's one I think we're all going to learn a little bit more about yeah. Saturday. And we'll see if he could stack up here. Yes. And if not, they know he likes the synthetic and they can go back there with some options, right? But take a shot right now in a wide open field. If he runs third or runs well in here, then you sort of know, hey, he may not be far off in what is a just a really fun, fun rebel race here, Mary. Anything yeah. else? I think we, we mentioned a lot in here. Anyone else you want to hit on? We got through most of this field and it, it, it looks uh, like a really great day coming up on Saturday. And I just want to say thank you again, not only for joining me, but just for helping me as a handicapper, all of the articles that you put out, all of the information on social media, just, uh, you know, alerts as to things. It helps me so much prepare. And I know your information is always excellent and very trustworthy. And um, I just want to thank you so much because you've helped me so many times when I'm preparing for Oaklawn or bummer that I hasn't been able to be Sam Houston this year with what's been going on. Cause I love playing the races over there in, in California. Sure. I'm not able to do so, but um, sure. you, you are always just such a fantastic uh, resource of information. And I, I can't tell anyone in a, enough good things about you, Mary. You've been such a big help for me through the years um, helping on the shows and just with your articles and information. So thanks for taking uh, 30 minutes out to join us. Oh, well, Gino, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you and love your your enthusiasm for the game. You have a wonderful countenance about you and approach to horse racing. And hopefully everybody will have a good day Saturday. And I can tell you the racing form uh, team will be on top of all the the three-year-old preps as part of our derby watch going forward. So the racing forms all over the triple crown. <laughs> DRF.com for everything you need. As you saw us go through the field, uh, in the fields of these stakes races with the past performances, maybe you need help with uh, handicapping selections or clocker reports or just other different resources, whatever you need, they have it for you. Um, tutorials, explaining things that you may not uh, be sure of. Always reach out to the folks there too. They love to help you out over there. Um, some great folks you work with, Mary. And uh, thank you so much. We have to link up again sometime maybe with these, uh, this, this maybe in a month or so when we have an Arkansas Derby coming up for the next round of preps and we can see uh, see what happened this week and, and we can get closer to the Derby. Sounds great. Have fun in that blizzard, Gino. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm, I'm bundled up in here in my living room and I'm not going anywhere. So uh, that's what's great about working for a hoe. I'll be sitting right here watching the races all weekend. Thanks again, Mary. You have good a great you. weekend and good luck to you. Okay, bye. Love catching up with Mary. So well informed over there. Thanks again to Mary for helping us out. And just a little uh, refresher there. So yeah, in the seventh race, you know, the five and the seven are definitely going to be tough but um hazy command is the one that i would definitely be including in exotics uh, along with maybe the wild card samurai charm you've got uh defeating purpose the eight and the two toed who i will be using with the seven and the 11 and the 10th and then event detail and verifying are kind of my top two um no knocks on giant mischief or red route one those would be horses who i'd use in the exotics there in the oaklawn saturday stakes Thanks again to Mary Rampolini from the DRF. As we finish up with the horse racing portion of this episode, we talk a little bit about Sarah Candles, C-E-R-A, candles.com, all natural soy wax candles, no toxins, no pollutants, no carcinogens. Use the promo code G-I-N-O to get you 10% off your purchase. Now we will move into the wrestling portion of this episode. We're going to talk about WWE and last week's Elimination Chamber uh, pay-per-view event. Darren Zocali joins me to talk about that. We also talk a little bit about Monday Night Raw as we are on the road to WrestleMania. 
Sami Zayn, Cody Rhodes, Roman Reigns, and everything that happened at the Elimination Chamber. And then following that, I will talk about the a little bit more about Monday Night Raw, about Tuesday NXT, and about AEW. Chad Cooper will be back with us next week. So DZ joins me to talk a little bit about WWE, Elimination Chamber, and Monday Night Raw. I had my good buddy DZ, Darren Zocali, to help me out with an old wrestling rewatch. We're going to talk about WrestleMania 12 in just a minute. But first, because one of the best storylines in pro wrestling history is currently happening and has been going on for the last couple of years, I had to bring Darren on to talk a little bit about it. We are just a few days off of Elimination Chamber, which had an incredible environment up in Montreal with uh, Sami Zayn going after the WWE I guess universal undisputed championship is what they're calling it with both belts. DZ, you've been a big Roman Reigns fan for a long time. And the storyline that he has been in with the bloodline over the last couple of years, and it's it's really his storyline. Recently, it's felt more like, you know, Sammy's been the guy trying to chase him. But this is a storyline that started with Roman, with the Usos, with Jay, with Jimmy. He brought in Solo and he has had really, really good defenses of this title along the way. And now we actually have a couple viable contenders for what really feels like the first time in a while. There was Drew McIntyre a couple months ago. Drew wasn't hot. The place and the setting might have been right for Drew. But Drew wasn't over like Sammy is now, like Cody is now. Just let's let's wrap on Elimination Chamber a little bit and, and where we're headed to WrestleMania in the next five, six weeks or so. What were some of your thoughts coming off that event? Yeah, I, I thought they've done a fantastic job, obviously, the last few months with this story. Uh, you know, it, it really speaks to what they've done with Roman that just about anybody with the right story against him can be turned into this monstrous baby face. I mean, yeah. Not to say that Sami Zayn has not had, you know, tremendous times in WWE, but, you know, talking about a title run now that's over 900 days long where he looks seemingly invincible. The idea, if I would have told you, you know, a year ago, a year and a half ago, that Sami Zayn was going to emerge as a major storyline and a viable contender to beat him, uh, you would have told me I was crazy. Yeah. So, and it goes to tell you just how good of a job they've done with this story over over the last couple of years and especially over the last six months. All of them um, too. Roman, yeah. Jimmy, Jay, Solo, Sammy, Heyman, everybody writing it and putting these things together, like the acting. They, there have not been very many missteps along the way. No, and they really laid the groundwork before the Royal Rumble with that. They did that trial of Sammy Zayn thing, was which fantastic. was just fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like a 30-minute long segment. That went so long that they had to uh, completely get rid of the, the Becky Lynch steel cage match. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It was a phenomenal segment. The story has worked consistently over the last few months. Um, you know, they fired up Sammy as a monstrous baby face. And I think it happened completely organically. You know, the one thing that you can say, and I, and I don't know because Cody didn't really, he didn't have a monstrous reaction in Canada. Yeah. But he didn't he didn't get booed. No, um, and, and that would have been the time when he would have been getting the same so, yeah. chance, right? At yeah, least you, you you think so. It is sitting with me where you know if you, you pass up on Sammy and you end up going to Cody, you know, do the fans at some level shit all over that. And I know, and because what what it 
it, it's it's weird because you you know in a sense Cody was there first right because Cody was over last year before he got hurt and and right. Sammy and the bloodline stuff hadn't really the Sammy portion of it hadn't really gotten rolling quite yet so you felt like at that time after Cody beat uh, Seth with those incredible matches that they had a few times it felt like okay the story will be next year for Cody now the thing that I, I've been wavering with too is. Cody's story is really always just been about winning the title kind of for Dusty, the title that Dusty couldn't win. It didn't really have any one specific, right? right? It wasn't like he was involved with Roman and he needed to beat Roman versus Sami Zayn. You know, he feels like the bloodline story. It kind of feels like if you were watching a season of TV, like it feels like the end of this season should have been Sami Beating the bloodline and probably taking the title from Roman, and, right? Yeah, and so now it's like we are flashing to the end of the next season, and Cody Rhodes wins. It's just kind of a little bit weird. The timing feels a bit off because it it felt like Sammy should have had more of like a an end to the story, and then you could put Cody in the the title picture. I think with anyone, any time, and it wouldn't really feel weird or forced or off. You know, I I agree. Um, you know, him him being it feels quick, you know, like he just came back. He won the rumble. It feels quick. Um, and you almost and be- feel like he, he would be better served as a baby face for like a loss, even that get the get screwed over by yeah. the bloodline type thing. And then you, he gets the buildup that just like what's happened with Sammy, what happened with Daniel Bryan, with all the baby faces, really, you get screwed a couple times to Austin, everyone. But when you just sort of win it, I'm not going to say easily. Right. But, there haven't been a whole lot of uh, again he had the big injury but it it really didn't throw off his story his momentum his trajectory at all he obviously had to physically get back from an incredible like an unbelievable injury that he had but yeah. his story just kind of he was just off tv came back on won the rumble and he was sort of inserted right back in there so it does feel it just something feels a tad off it's I, it's a it's a good problem to have where you have a couple guys that are that feel legitimately like they they should be in the the match with Roman and and take the title but I kept playing it out in my head was there a way where you could have taken advantage of that crowd the other night maybe a little bit more and I know I don't I don't like the flipping titles back and forth stuff but I don't know it just that that crowd did feel a little bit flat at the very end you know they, yeah well you, they're, they're just not but they're not going to do it when no, when Roman loses no. he loses and and yeah, that's and yeah, I, they, I agree with that. I don't think it should be like a Roman. It, when he loses, he should be off TV for a few months or for a while. Right. Like that, yeah. that's, and, and that should be um, in my head. I was trying to play out. Could you do something or could you have done something like a, uh, you know, if you if you were to. And I, but I don't like the whole inserting it, making it a triple threat now again, because we've seen that happen a couple times recently with Daniel Bryan a few years ago. We and a Daniel Bryan. The first time, you know, in WrestleMania 30. Um, but would there have been a way maybe where you could have had, you know, Sammy win it, Cody not get the win, and then maybe like the next night you turn Cody heel and Cody becomes sort of like the guy that's the 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 monster. He just wanted to win the title. He screws Sammy out of it the next night. And now all of a sudden your roles are flipped. Roman's off TV for a couple months. You've got Cody as like your heel carrying the, the title and you've got Sammy as the baby face chasing again because – I don't think Sammy would have ever been a guy to have a long type run. 
right? He's not that kind of guy, but right. he did feel like I I felt like they we wanted that moment for him being the right guy with the whole bloodline story to be the one to finally say, like, hold up the middle finger and say, screw you, Roman. I got you, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I think, look, I think we're at the point of this title run where if Roman gets beat, he's got to get beat clean in a one-on-one -on -one match. I agree. I don't think you could do anything wonky with a triple threat. God forbid no. you do it where it's triple threat and Roman's not the guy that loses. No. You can't do that. No, um, no. So, and you're right. That's why it's, they've I'm sure that they had a lot of these conversations that we're having right here. Yeah. Right. Let's do that. Little, but we're going to have, and they've done this, but you know, it's kind of weird. Like you said, like, if you think about it in the past, like they've done this with baby faces or perceived baby faces before, where you think they're going over at WrestleMania and it doesn't happen. You know, Roman yep. with Lesnar. Yep. You know, both times everybody thought it was a shoe in. I'm not talking about the recent one. I'm talking about both times when Roman was chasing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Everybody thought it was a shoe in that Roman was winning. You know, the Daniel Bryan getting screwed a few times. They do it a lot where ba where baby faces or quote unquote baby faces. They think everyone thinks, okay, we'll get to WrestleMania. He's the guy he's going over and it doesn't happen. And would it shock me if Cody Rhodes doesn't win at WrestleMania? No, it would no, me, me. It Now you, we're starting to eat because there was maybe one percent of me the other night because it's pro wrestling because weird things can happen that thought something might happen but no part of me really thought there was anything that was going to happen there but that was another obstacle along the way right so now that we're past that now the chances of roman still having the title continue and maybe they do want to continue to tell a story where they have sammy and ko kind of take down the usos and sort of take out part of that bloodline and then roman's a little more vulnerable I think, because you're right, we've all sort of penciled in the fact that Roman's losing this year. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, he didn't lose the last two years at WrestleMania <laughs> as the no, champ going in. Correct. correct. So um, that's definitely uh, something to discuss. I, I think where we're headed now, they want to keep telling that story with Sammy and KO, as we saw. It feels like Sammy and KO versus the Usos could honestly main event night one. I really think with the story, and that would that would be sort of a consolation prize for those guys. Because if you think about all the rest of the other matches on the card, well, you're only going to have the one men's title match. And I don't know if either of the women's matches, I think Rhea Charlotte will, will be good, but I don't know if either of them necessarily feel like they need to main event the shows being not quite as hot maybe as the... Bianca Becky last year or or Bianca Sasha we've seen um, and maybe we get the tag match night one Sammy and KO win and then on night two the bloodlines out there helping out Roman and maybe we get Sammy and KO come out to just send them back to the the locker room so Cody's out there with him one on one yeah yeah I, I think they I think they have a lot of different options um, in terms of how they want to set up these two nights. And, and obviously Roman is going to main event Sunday, but the question as to what main event Saturday, I think is a yep. legitimate one. Um, they, they just need to be careful in relation to the Roman, you know, how they do it. Yes. You know, and um, I, I think I, I'm confident with, with triple H, you know, kind of pulling the strings. I'm not really too worried that they're going to screw that up. Um, but they still need to be careful because, if they want this to be a crowning moment for Cody Rhodes and they don't just have to be careful 
at WrestleMania, they got to be careful the next six weeks mm -hmm. because we've seen the whole, you know, feel good, touchy feely. I want to win it for my dad and my family thing. Yeah, you can, you know, it'll get some people on board and it'll get an initial pop when you mention Dusty Rhodes and stuff. You keep doing that for the next six weeks. I know. You know, it just, it's going to get old. It's going to get lame. And and Cody is is very, very good. Cody, in, in just in the last five to ten years, has taken a lot of acting classes and stuff. He's a good performer, right? He delivers his promos and stuff. Everything is so improved. But there is a little something about him where like he he does kind of come off as for a pure baby face not always pure baby facey like mm -hmm. a little cocky a little like too eloquent even a little mm -hmm. not as much of the every man american dream kind of like what his dad was yeah honestly sometimes Good point he is a little bit it, too heelish in the suits and stuff and then you've got sammy over there who's everyone's talking about sammy slash mick foley yeah right yeah, the guy the that Y'all just sort of love. So yeah, that's what, um I I will tell you, I won't call it a misstep, but I thought they I thought they missed an opportunity on Raw this week. I, that Heyman promo had to be in person. I agree. I thought I thought it really lost a lot coming over the, the screen. At the and very then, least, out on the ramp. Yeah, I, at the I, very I least. I, yeah. I listened to some uh, other show that said have him on a in a wheelchair out on the ramp, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that looks there, yeah, that's something great. like that. You know? But and then the other part of it that I thought was just really weird was like, did I hear it correctly that that he basically told Cody that when he's out defending his title, he's gonna go have sex with his wife? Yes, and 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 it was That's a what, very like what? and it was a really weird like meta promo in the sense of like, okay, yeah. So we're we're supposed to root against the guy doing all the things that make him really good at his job, and like it was a weird spin on it, like. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. Uh, now He's like, I'm you gonna... don't have to worry about Roman Reigns. You know the Adonis-looking Samoan. Yeah, you've got to yeah. worry about Paul Heyman, the Penguin. Paul Heyman, the Penguin like, here. <laughs> it was just weird. Yeah, it was I, bizarre that, to me. That that was very that was, bizarre. You're right. That was one of the a few missteps that you get from Heyman. It was just sometimes when he's building to a feud. It's so genius because I'm like, what's his angle going to be? And then you hear the promo or you hear the segment after, and you're like. How the hell did Heyman get to that? Like, yeah. how did he find that to like pull from as something to be a reason for these guys to fight? And he always yeah. seems to get the right things. It, this one, I agree with you. It, it wasn't. It was weird. You're talking about him getting at, yeah, him getting at Brandy Rhodes and that Cody, because he's going to be promoting WWE and being a great champion, he's a bad father. Let like, me, yeah, let, let me, let me ask you this. If, if Roman were to win, what level of shock do you think the live crowd would have? With a hundred being Undertaker losing and zero being the most logical outcome occurs, where where would you put the crowd reaction in terms of surprise? Honestly, I don't think it would be that much right now. No. Like I don't think it would be that that appalling. It it would it be where the crowd response at the end be would it be like Charlotte beating Oscar and ending her undefeated streak or not even to that point? I don't even know if it would be like that because I do think there are still so many people that are like Roman doesn't have any go away heat. That's the thing. No, he has, no, 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 he has no, real heat 
in like respectful heat. Like, you know, yeah. like the people boo him because you're doing a damn great job and we want to. It's so him. funny too because the F you Roman chants, like Are, if you think if you think about the difference between the, the these same ones? exact chant. And the, and the ones one, from yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's it the is. same chant with a totally different meaning. It, oh, you're right. It is. And I, I wanted to make sure we talked with you a little bit about this because, man, when you think about the, the best storylines in the history of pro wrestling and the Austin McMahon stuff and the Hogan and Andre and the Hogan and Macho Man and the Mega Powers, this is going to be right there with it. This title I run. I think it's a legit top five storyline. I completely agree. I mean, yeah, in, I really in this do. era – for him to start with it being him and Heyman, and then everything that happened with both of the Usos individually. I mean, both of those guys are as more over than they ever were. People yep. actually know the difference between the two of them now. And I don't mean that like disrespectfully, no, it's but when, true. You, yeah. when you're a, a tag team of brothers that are twins, yeah. like it, 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 Jimmy's that Jimmy, is that Jay? We, yep. You didn't really know all the time, and they didn't have differentiating like. Look, traits in their personality. You know, yep. they were just the Usos, and yep. now we they were we know them. Solo Sokoa is a badass. I mean, yep. he's he's come right up and been awesome. I don't know how many times he's lost a match on TV. He he looks like a badass enforcer. Everything fits well, and you know we we what is Jay? Where does Jay go now? Yeah, what that's that's what's great. Because what's cool is that because they still have the tag. That's the that's one problem. They still have the belts. Yeah. Yeah. So they and, have to it has to come back around for a match. And I feel like there's a J Roman match still in there somewhere to get to like a- after Roman loses the title. You know what I mean? Like when there's no more title on the line for those two guys for Jay to earn some respect from Roman. And cuz inevitably when Roman becomes a babyface again, man, like the moment when he is like I'm sorry if we, if we ever get that sort of a segment, I, I don't think you're getting that. I, I don't know. I, I, I think, I think he loses, he disappears for a really long time and he just shows up again at some point and to, it's a just massive, a to a massive welcome back pop. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't really have to get into all of that. I, no, I, I, that's what I think it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be exactly what, what we sort of all thought with Roman Reigns down the line, he's going to be this massive heel and then it'll end up turning him into you know, one of the bigger baby faces ever. So, I mean, this is one of, this is one of the, considering the fact that he's had a belt, it is one of the greatest heel runs in the history of the company. It really oh, is. I mean, and I, I do think no hyperbole, if anyone said it was the best, just because of even because of how much he has to do, even Roman with his quote unquote limited schedule compared to what people were doing 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, which are like the only heel reigns that are comparable to this. The only types of things that we see that are comparable are stuff that aren't even in the modern era where there wasn't weekly TV and there wasn't monthly pay-per-views and he didn't have to continue to entertain. And there was a new show every week, sometimes twice a week, sometimes three times a week, depending on if he was on both shows and a pay-per-view. So Man, if you think uh, about it, a heel, like if you if you go through the longest runs of W as WWE or WWF champion, San Martino, obviously a huge baby face, Bob Backlund, a baby face, Hogan, a baby face, uh, Pedro Morales, a baby face, Punk, Cena, Styles, uh, Savage, like none of these guys were heels. No, 
This is the only time that you've given the belt to a heel. And this is now probably the, what, fifth or sixth longest title reign of all time? And with the fickle wrestling audience, they still haven't crapped on it at all. No. Like at and, any and, point, and and the fa- and, and and the fact that it that they haven't crapped on it, and it's Roman Reigns who's doing it, and they're not crapping on, and it. that just tells you how good it is. Can you imagine if I would have told you five years ago Roman Reigns is going to have a three year run as WWE and, champion, and everyone is going to love it for three years? You'd what, be like, yeah, funny, you said, yeah, okay. <laughs> you would have been one of the few people saying that, even at the worst, saying that. God, this guy's got it, but they're just they're giving him I, bad material. I, I used like to you, just say, just let just let Roman be Roman. Stop yeah. all this shit. Just let the guy go out there and be what he's supposed to be—a big badass Samoan that destroys people. That's well, it. It's funny when we see the show that you and I are going to talk about in a few minutes, uh, WrestleMania 12, 96. It, again, I'm not t- comparing them in talent in any way, shape, or form. But think the '96 version of Diesel, Kevin Nash, yeah. which was the initial cool version that got him over. Was why people liked Kevin Nash and why he was an over heel and then kind of a cool baby face. And then in 1995, they tried to make him Diesel Hulk Hogan like they yep. did with Roman Reigns doing corny stuff, cutting really just eye roll baby face promos, yep. selling a little bit too much. And it just didn't work. And 95 was a horrendous year for the WWF with. With Nash on top as Diesel because of that And then all of a sudden right before Diesel's About to go and leave to WCW He's a cool heel again And he had one of his best WWF matches with with Taker At Wrestlemania it was actually a pretty good match with those two Yeah no it's a good point It's a good point yeah I um, You know it's just It's going to be interesting to see what they do Um, they, They have An opportunity here at Wrestlemania And with beyond just Roman to have a really good show. They could also screw it up. If if Brock Lesnar rest, wrestles Omos at WrestleMania, I'm going to throw something. I can't. Um, I know. This does I not. And, and, I, and I, I can't don't imagine like they're going to do that. I what can't they've imagine. been doing recently, since the very initial stuff with Bray, Bray's been sort of in this weird no man's land again. And it's like, are you, if you have him with Lashley, is that going to put him in a weird match? And all of a sudden... If you just would have had a Lashley Lesnar brawl with those two guys in a cage or something, now you might ruin two matches instead of just having the one good match that we never got to see with those two guys. Yep. Yeah. I, I would be surprised if Triple H does this, but I know I it that feels would be weird. Yeah. That would be hard. The, the last thing in the world I need to see is Brock Lesnar versus Omos. Um, yeah. So let's hope they rethink that. Let's hope they I just agree. put that feeler out there to see if the fans shit all over it, which they did. Yep. They, so, and they will continue yeah. to over the next week. The The rest of the event was good. I mean, I think what expected in the women's elimination chamber, Oscar sort of felt like the one of the few in that match that was. I felt bad for Liv Morgan because she had like she did like every big spot in that match. And, and then it, she kind of goes out to the like passing out on the on the tap out or whatever. Um, I, I thought she deserved given the fact that she was kind of your workhorse and your big, big. Um, spot and different spots for that match, especially the one where she did the sunset flip off the top of the of the uh, the cage. Um, I, I thought she deserved better treatment there. Yeah, Liv was a uh, was the Iron Woman in the Rumble, also. So yep. some good performances from her, and she sort of feels like someone who might be a little bit lost come WrestleMania right now, just sort of like odd woman out, not having a whole lot to do. The um, 
you know, we had fun with Edge and Beth getting the uh, the mixed tag win. I was a little surprised they had Rhea lose. She didn't get pinned, but just, you know, she's getting built up for her Mania match. She kind of just dismissed it easily the next night. But I does think she had, won- does she have to win? Or are they going to swerve you with Charlotte again? I think the reason why they had Charlotte come back and win was just to have it to get to Rhea. Um, yeah. And I think sort of have Rhea get her win back. And Rhea's got to become a babyface in this, right? She's going to get cheered more than Charlotte, I think. I, I agree. Well, yeah, because the Char- Charlotte, she doesn't have the Roman Reigns babyface heat, but she does have the heat where you do have a good group of people who are going, oh, my God, enough already. I know. I've never else. been that way with her at all. I, I mean, I love when she – I don't like it when she wins all the time, but it doesn't bother me when Charlotte is always in a main event type match because I think you're going to get a really good match, and I'm sure her and Rhea will and it have also, a- It also produces amazing moments, like, for example – you know, the Becky Lynch turn at SummerSlam was the one of the loudest pops I've ever heard in an arena in my life. You know, so, you know, you, you, it's not just a match and it's not just her. It's just it produces moments that sets up storylines. And that produced, you know, Becky Lynch becoming the man, which was a story for two years. So without Charlotte, you don't get that. And beating Charlotte for Rhea just is more than beating Ronda, especially at this moment. Ronda's oh, lost yeah. a lot of the, well, the beating Charlotte. Beating Charlotte is, is literally... You know, from now until whenever, as big as biggest thing a woman can do in wrestling in WWE. And then when we were talking too, I thought they handled that elimination chamber for the U.S. title so well. First off, the match was incredible, but what was awesome, everybody comes out of the match looking better. Yep, every single guy. Yep. Which is so hard to do. There's always one or two where you're like, okay, they're going to be kind of the sacrificial lamb in this match, but you have. Austin Theory look good, kind of pull the cheap heel thing that you expect, and looks like it's going to be him and Cena because that's where they've been leading to. Bronson Reed, he got beat, but it was like the big man Kane Big Show where he had three or four guys all have to give him their finishing moves. Damian Priest has shown us again in the last six weeks, hey, don't forget about me. Like, I can still work. You know, I can work really well. And then Johnny needed a night like that where – he got to go out in the ring and he got to get get in the ring with Seth and look really good. Then we got Montez flying all over phenomenal. the place and they had a they had a good way for Seth who on paper looked like the guy to beat. Well, Logan Paul comes and gets him. So the booking was great and I thought everybody shined. Oh yeah. No, I I totally agree from top to bottom. You know, if if they had any question, if that was the feeler for Montez Ford becoming a a single star, I think they have the answer there. Um, even the Logan stuff, you know, while you hate to see interference in a match like that, it sets up the match uh, at WrestleMania, um, you know, and talk about showing confidence in Logan Paul, giving him a match with Seth Rollins potentially at WrestleMania. I mean, that's like, you know, <laughs> you, yeah. you've made it, sir. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, you've made it. Um, that it, it's, it, that's really cool. That's going to be a barn burner of a match as well. But yeah, that that thing checked all the boxes, and I was, I, it was. If you told me after that match that that was the best elimination chamber match you've seen from start to finish, I, I would say you you could be right. Yeah. So let's continue along and uh, touch base on a couple things that happened on Monday Night Raw. We have Sami Zayn opening up the show on Monday Night Raw. And I think this was smart. You want to get Sammy right at, right out there, right off the bat. You still want to take advantage of the fact that you're in Canada. 
You know this crowd is going to be hot for him. If you don't have him out there at the beginning of the show, they may be chanting for him at some point. So Sammy comes out, thanks the crowd for everything the last few days. He says he feels guilty, and he wants to finish this story, but he wants to call out Kevin Owens. And he said this is the... uh, the entering the final chapter, and it's just it's not just about him. And Kevin Owens said, "I don't need an apology or gratitude." He said, "What you did at the Rumble for my family, because they were." Uh, he said he did what he did because uh, for the family who was in the front row at the elimination chamber. He said he didn't want Sammy's family to have to see him get destroyed, like Sammy let Kevin's family see him get destroyed. This was good. There are layers here. I. As we talked about a little with DZ, though, I, gosh, I can't help feeling a little bit bad for Sammy, but fantastic storytelling that they continue to tell. Sammy gets a win over Baron Corbin, who comes out and attacks him, and uh, we continue along Monday Night Raw with Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio having a sit-down interview. Rhea talked about Charlotte, and she said that she's a different person than she was back in 2022, and... Dominic Dominic's uh, threatened Byron Saxton who was asking stuff and he made a prison reference which was just great so Dominic's great Rhea's good they did, They kind of breezed over the fact that she was on the losing side on uh, Elimination Chamber they moved on quickly we then had Austin Theory interviewed he mentions John Cena coming back in two weeks so we know what we're going to get with Theory and unfortunately the match in the main event was very good, but we I think we all knew Edge wasn't winning the main event match against Austin Theory for the U.S. title. So in the main event of Monday Night Raw, Austin Theory gets the win over Edge because of interference from Finn Balor. So it looks like we're going to get that Finn Balor-Edge match at WrestleMania, some kind of a blow-off. And Austin Theory looks like he's going to be having the dance partner of John Cena for WrestleMania. Mustafa Ali picked up a quick match against Ziggler. I don't really like this version of Mustafa. Cody Rhodes came out in the suit. And Paul Heyman appeared on the Jumbotron. He had a neck brace on. And he mentioned that he got attacked by Kevin Owens. And he said that Cody can't beat Roman. He... I didn't really like this particular segment. I didn't. It didn't really connect with me because Heyman starts saying, you know, Cody, if you win, then you're going to be on the road 200 days a year defending the championship, 50 days a year doing charity red carpets, 30 days overseas promoting the brand, 20 days uh, oh, uh, Zoom calls and pr- promoting pay-per-view events and oh, more than 300 days a year and you won't be with your family. And, you know, he said, you're going to be just like your dad was. Dusty was never at home. And even when he was home, he was never really home. He said that Roman is a happily married man, but Paul Heyman, I am not. And he said, he basically said that he was going to step in there with Cody's wife, Brandy. Um, Paul Heyman, he tried here. It's not like it it was a bad segment. It just felt a little too contrived for me. We then had Asuka pick up a win over Nikki Cross. We had Carmella interviewed backstage, and she wants a match with Asuka, which we're going to get next week. Seth Rollins had a match 
against Miz. It was actually a pretty good match. Then after the match, uh, Roll or at the end of the match, Rollins just keeps going for the stomp, and it's a win by referee stoppage after 11 minutes. I thought Miz looked really good in here too. He uh, he pulled a couple um, new moves at the repertoire that we don't really see from Miz all that much. We had Chad Gable and Otis looking at themselves in a mirror. Gable kind of modeling. That led to Bronson Reed interrupting them. So Bronson Reed and uh, Gable had a match. And keep in mind, this is going to lead to Otis with the maximum male models and the storyline they have there. Gosh, Gable could be a really good U.S. title, IC title kind of guy. Bailey had a ding-dong hello segment. It was fine. Becky Lynch comes out, and then Lita is back. So Becky Lynch and Lita are going to have a tag team championship match next week. They will probably win the tag team titles and then face Ronda and Shayna at Mania. I'm not sure what's going on with Bailey, or if she's going to be involved, or what she'll be doing come WrestleMania. So she could be the odd woman out here. It was supposed to be something involving Trish. I'm not sure if they're going to save that. And they end up do going with the six women tag, like Bailey, Lita, and Trish against Damage Control. But it felt like Ronda and Shayna have been been getting built up to be the uh, the women's tag team champs, or at least a a match against Becky and, and Lita if they were to win it. Candice LeRae was interviewed backstage, and the Nikki Cross appeared behind. Candice went off and asked Nikki why she's been following her. And Nikki mentioned that all of her friends are gone and she's alone. Oh, sad. Bronson Reed and Gable were getting into it. Um, and I, I really wanted to see this match go longer, but I know it was just to set up Bronson Reed and Gable's distracted. This, this match goes about three minutes and Bronson picks up the win. Elias comes out, starts cutting a promo, and he gets interrupted by Bobby Lashley. I do not like where this Bobby Lashley stuff is going. We had a mention earlier in the night of Omos challenging Brock Lesnar. So it looks like we're going to get Omos, Brock Lesnar. Then Bobby Lashley mentions Bray Wyatt because Bray Wyatt mentioned him the other day. So we're going to get Bobby Lashley, Bray Wyatt, and then a Brock Lesnar-Omos match. I don't know how excited I am for either one of those. Next week on Raw, we have Dakota Sky and EO versus Becky and Lita for the Tag Team Championships. Candice LeRae versus Piper Niven. Brock Lesnar, will he, he accept the challenge of Omos? Asuka versus Carmella and Miz TV. Edge cut a really good promo after this that helped set up for that main event match. That was Austin Theory versus Edge. Huge re, uh, response for Edge in Canada here. So, really fun way to end the show. You get, I mean, everything made sense here, right? Everything made sense. You, you're not going to have Austin Theory get beat. He's going to be having a match with Cena at Mania. Finn Balor is able to cheat here to keep the feud going with Edge if that's the direction you wanted to go. It just felt like that's been going on for a little too long. I, th- I think I would have liked to see somebody else with Edge. I, I love Balor, and I, th- and I like seeing Balor elevated like this, but just feels like they've been going they've been involved for so long now. That was Monday Night Raw. So Tuesday, we were over on NXT. We opened things up with Trick Williams. He's been a lot better in the ring. 
And he had a match against Dragunov that was really solid. Um, I think it was the best we've ever seen Trick look. I love Dragunov. JD McDonough was on commentary through this. It went about 13 minutes or so. Dragunov picks up the win. I, I really am a fan of the uh, NXT UK guys um, becoming more and more a big part of NXT with Dragunov, with McDonough, and then also with uh, Tyler Bate, who we're going to see in just a moment. We then had that stare down after the match with Dragunov and McDonough. Jinder Mahal cut a promo at the end of this episode. Jinder Mahal was in the main event for the NXT Championship against Braun Breaker. Remember, Jinder was actually in the finals of the first ever NXT tournament to crown the NXT champion. He lost to Seth Rollins. So, Jinder cut his promo. The drama with Fallon Henley. Everything that happened on Valentine's Day with Brooks, with Keanu James, with Briggs. With the brother, we got a couple check-ins with that throughout the night. I like it, I gotta say. It's soapy, but I like my soap operas. I do. Not really. I like, you know, the OC. I've never really been a soap opera guy, but I guess the OC was a, was a soap opera. I like the dramas. Give me some of those. We then had a video of Miko Satamora training a bunch of the uh, female wrestlers, and Roxanne Perez shows up to join the class, and we get clips of all of them training, and... Women start giving up throughout uh, along the way. They quit. And uh, Mako and Roxanne do a thousand squats. And, and then Mako uh, looks over and tells Roxanne that was just the warm-up. Tyler Bate cut a promo. This whole thing was off. The timing was off. Tyler Bate really needs to work on his confidence and just finding a voice. He's so good in the ring, but if he can't connect with the fans on more than just the in-ring... It's going to be hard for him to be a main event player on NXT or on the main roster. So young, lots of time to figure it out, but he needs to start to find that voice a little bit better. And I'm not going to blame him for all of this because the timing was off. Like you could tell, he he said a line, and then that was supposed to be the cue for Schism to come out. And I didn't like Schism here. I didn't think Ava said much that mattered or Gacy. Didn't really love a, a, a segment. Didn't, didn't, didn't love it. But Chase U comes out to make the save, and that sets up Chase U versus the Dyad. And the Dyad actually end up getting the win here after 13 minutes. So actually, pretty good tag match, but the, the segment leading to it kind of turned me off of the match a little bit. Duke Hudson um, and Chase kind of have a little, uh, kind of get into it a little bit at the end. Um because Chase was distracted, and that's how the Dyad ends up getting a win. But these guys need to be the tag team champs soon. The crowd really, really is into Chase U. We had a segment with Vaughn Wagner backstage talking to Mr. Stone, Tony D'Angelo walk in, and Vaughn um, and says he doesn't want to match with them. Then Tony D and Stack start making fun of him, so Vaughn ends up accepting the match. They uh, n- Nothing much there. A little backstage segment with Drew Gulak with Charlie Dempsey. And he said that Dempsey's the kind of guy that will snap limbs to get what he wants. JC Jane versus Indy Hartwell uh, was coming up next. We got a good video for Saul Ruka. I like her quite a bit. I think she's going to be a major star. She's really improving in the ring, and she is just unique physically with what she's able to do. She's so athletic. 
J.C. Jane picked up the win against Indy Hartwell. Uh, but it was a, a win by DQ because Gigi makes the attack. So Gigi is back. I would have liked for her to be out maybe a couple more weeks to build the comeback. But I'm sure we'll get these two with their blow-off match probably at the uh, stand and deliver. Mako Satamura and Roxanne Perez continue to do more training. And we're going to get a match in two weeks. Roxanne versus Mako Satamura. It's going to be a babyface, babyface match. I'd love to see Mako win. And then Roxanne have to win it back at stand and deliver. You get sort of the Rocky where Roxanne has to train even harder over the next month. Maybe they just have Mako there as someone who's a, a great wrestler and will get you a good match out of Roxanne. Either way, I didn't mind the uh, the segments. Zoe Stark cut a promo talking about Saul Ruka, talking about Mako Satamura. She said she wants a women's title match, and I think she she should get one soon. She's much better as a heel, and she's very good in the ring. Gallus get the win over Edris Anofe and Malik Blade. It was fine. Just tag team champions. They're very boring right now. I am surprised that you have them as the tag team champions. Now, following the match, a couple guys go in the ring. And uh, they they sort of are dressed like Pretty Deadly. So Gallus beats them up and tosses them. But then Pretty Deadly end up showing up with chairs from behind. And they looked a little intense and, and pretty badass. I, I like this this segment, and they've gotten themselves over pretty deadly. Uh, Dabakato talked about Apollo Crews, and this was a little video explaining why Dabakato came back. I thought this was good. It wasn't live or anything, and so they were able to make him sound scary, and he made sense here. Tony D gets the victory over Vaughn Wagner. We got a Stevie Turner segment with the uh, the stream she talked about Lyra Valkyra other stuff on NXT Nikita Lyons cut a promo backstage that Tiffany Stratton interrupted but keep in mind Nikita's out for a year so we won't be seeing her back for a while but they're trying to keep her involved which is good Ivy Nile and Tana Paxley are backstage they are interrupted by Isla Dawn Trick Williams and Carmelo chop it up backstage and Carmelo told Trick he was proud of him. That led to Tyler Bate and Carmelo interacting, and we're going to get something set up between those two, which should be a lot of fun. Next week, Carmelo versus Tyler Bate, Mako Satamura versus Zoe Stark. A couple of solid matches lining up for next week. Ivy Nile versus Alba Fire, and the winner, Alba Fire. Easily three minutes, just a squash here. And this could be the next women's tag team champions or, you know, Fire and, and uh, Isla Dawn are a team that sort of feels like a, le- a legitimate team now. We then had Kiana James in her office. Fallon Henley approached and said she was sorry. Um, so, that yeah, that was part of the, uh, the, the soap opera drama between all of them, which I actually like. Then Wesley spoke about how he'll have an open challenge next week on NXT. So we'll have that open challenge, Satamura versus Stark, and Carmelo versus Tyler Hayes. NXT Championship match, Braun Breaker versus Jinder Mahal. The match was was solid. 
was fine. It went about 11 minutes. I don't think anyone expected Jinder to get the win here, but he looks good. He's an imposing heel. He feels like a bigger presence in NXT. So I thought this was fine. The question is, though, now what do you do next with Jinder? Braun Breaker, after the match, sees Carmelo Hayes on the platform in the back of the NXT arena. So it should be those two in the main event of uh, Stand In Deliver, and it should be Carmelo getting the win and becoming the man and becoming the baby face of, uh, face of the company. Grayson Waller was backstage in the production area with a remote control. This was just like in She-Hulk. He was like on, um, he was like on a, your your Roku, what's, or what it looks like when you pull up a street your the streaming services like Peacock or Disney Plus. And he was going through the boxes. It's kind of funny. So he keeps calling out Shawn Michaels, and in two weeks they're gonna have Shawn Michaels on the Grayson Waller Effect talk show. This cannot lead to Michaels making a return, right? Shawn's gonna have to have somebody handpicked to come back and beat up Grayson Waller. So that's, I guess, what this is all leading to. Let's finish up with AEW Dynamite. So on AEW Dynamite, we have John Moxley, Tag Team Battle Royal, Orange Cassidy opening things up with the All-Atlantic Championship. This was a very good match between Wheeler Yuta and Cassidy. This thing went 17 minutes. This was the match of the night. Really good stuff. But we're we're getting a, a Blackpool Combat Club heel turn because Cesaro didn't like the fact that Wheeler Yuta was going to embrace Orange Cassidy. John Moxley looked like he was turning heel in the main event at the end of the show. We then had an interview, Hangman Adam Page and Evil Uno. Evil Uno said, you know, I know that you think we're a joke, that we're not on your level, but I don't want you to get involved, and I'm going to go out there and show John Moxley why my name is Evil Uno. So Evil Uno, cutting a big promo. Ricky Starks came out looking fly, and he had an open contract. He said, I'm done with Chris Jericho and the Jericho Appreciation Society. I'm going to make sure I'm on this pay-per-view. Who out there wants to be on this pay-per-view? Come on, let's let's do it. Jericho comes out. I become, I become, I become, yeah. So Jericho says, hey, look, I'm done with you. But you could tell uh, Starks was trying to bait Jericho into having another match. Jericho was like the dumbest heel here. He comes out, Starks tricks him, uses reverse psychology. Jericho's ego gets, you know, damaged and bruised. So he ends up signing the contract. Absolute Ricky Starks versus Jericho, and the Jericho Appreciation Society has to stay in the back. Starks kind of looked at the camera after, like, oh yeah, I got him. It was fine, it was corny, it wasn't bad. I I like Starks quite a bit. I just think this whole setup for this has been backwards. Like, this should have been the match. We shouldn't be trying to get another match from these two when Ricky Starks already beat Jericho clean and then had to go through a gauntlet. It just feels feels a little bit off. And it was Peter Avalon who tries to run down to the ring to get the open challenge, and then Jericho just decks him with a spiked wrestling jacket. Jericho. Ricky Starks. The acclaimed... Beat Big Bill and Lee Moriarty. The uh, 
the the rap was pretty good here in this one. Check out the Max Caster rap from last uh, from last week on Dynamite. They pick up the win. You're just building them to their pay per view match coming up. Christian was announced by Tony Schiavone, but then Jungle Boy spears him, attacks him. Then Christian ends up grabbing a chair and uh, ends up using it on Jungle Boy. So this should set up the match between these two at Revolution. Samoa Joe cut a promo on Wardlow, said, I'm going to come after you at Revolution, and these two have a match set up for the Revolution pay-per-view. We then have Soraya versus Sky Blue. Soraya was uh, joined by Tony Storm out at ringside. They continue their heel tactics. They pick up the win. Soraya does after about four minutes, and then following the match, Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker make the save on... Sky Blue, and following that, Ruby comes out. So we're going to get a triple threat match, Jamie Hayter versus Soraya versus Ruby at uh, Revolution. Promo, Brian Danielson and MJF. Brian Danielson calls out MJF and says, you know, it's funny that you hate me. Talks about how terrible of a person MJF is. And this was weird. Because MJF comes out, he says that his dream girl convinced him that not everyone in the world is bad, and MJF got down in one knee, wanted to start a family, wanted to have kids, and then she left him. And that's a shoot. I guess in real life, MJF's uh, fiance and him have recently broke up. So he puts that in here. Then he starts talking about how Brian has a happy wife, healthy children, and you take it all for granted. He said, you know, you have more concussions and head trauma than anyone in the business. You have seizures, but you put wrestling ahead of your family. He talks about early onset CT. He told Daniel Bryan, Brian Daniel said that he was going to talk directly to his kids. Brian said, if you say my kids at all, I'm going to kick your ass. And then he goes on and he talks about the kids for a while. It was, it was heated. I just thought some of the material was a little bit off. I still give it like a B or a B plus for a segment. I just, I don't necessarily like some of the using the CT stuff. And then MJF was kind of weird. He, he's so crazy. He's so all over the place. Like, where you, what are you supposed to feel when you know that he will, he really did have a, a fiance that's gone now? I don't know. But I am a little bit more interested in that match after the segment than I was before. So, job done. We then had Jamie Hayter issuing the challenge for the AEW Women's Championship against uh, Revolution, Soraya and Ruby Soho. And then Tag Team Battle Royal was up next. I don't like the the Battle Royals they do very much. I didn't think this one was, was much. And we already have a match of the Guns versus the Acclaimed which has been a built-up match with a feud, why are we just throwing two other random teams into that? Why not have the two random teams wrestle to see who becomes the number one contender, and then they can face the winner of the acclaimed guns? I, I don't know. Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett win the Battle Royal. It was fine. The first few minutes aren't good. The last stretches of the Battle Royal was very good. So Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal are moving on. It's going to be them versus the Acclaimed versus the Guns and one more tag team in that mix. 
We then had the Tony Khan announcement. It was actually made by Adam Cole. He said that starting next month, there was going to be an unscripted reality TV show following Dynamite. One hour weekly, it will be called All Access, and it will be right after AEW Dynamite. And on the night that that show debuts, that will be the night that Adam Cole makes his in-ring debut next month. We then previewed all the uh, matches coming up for this weekend. And the main event, John Moxley versus Evil Uno. Evil Uno asked Hangman Page to stay in the back until the match was over. I mean, this was mainly just... This was like an elongated squash. Evil Uno was made to look strong early, but he was just gushing blood through his mask. Moxley stomping on his head. He's bleeding on the side of his head. Just forearms to the head. Uno hits a couple straight... Two back-to-back pile drivers... And then Moxley with elbows and a bulldog choke, and he just passes out, goes seven minutes. Felt like a weird main event. John Moxley picks up his 100th win, and then following the match, we have John Silver, Alex Reynolds, and the uh, the Dark Order come out. Then Cast Claudio and Wheeler Yuta come out, and they fight with the Dark Order. Hangman Page runs down to the ring and gets into it with Moxley. He puts barbed wire on his hand and punches him. So then Moxley's bleeding, because Moxley always bleeds. I didn't think the show was that great, honestly. Um, I thought some of the promo segments were very good. I uh, I liked the... I thought the Jericho Starks build got better. That's gone on a little too long. I thought the MJF, Brian Danielson's build got better. Could have been... A, it wasn't perfect, but I'm more intrigued for both of those now, moving forward. So... Those were positives on the show. We, um, yeah, we're only one week away from the March 5th AEW pay-per-view. And we will talk more about that next week with Chad Cooper. So big thanks to everyone for hanging out with us and uh, hearing all about this week in wrestling. Now, let's go back in time. Let's go back to... 1996 WWF WrestleMania 12. We have the Iron Man match. Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart. And you're going to hear from two Bret Hart guys. and Myself and Darren Zocali. We go match by match. It's the old wrestling rewatch. And we're talking WrestleMania 12. Oh yeah. Old wrestling rewatch. With Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. Ha <laughs> ha Let's go back in time now and let's revisit WrestleMania 12, 1996, the Iron Man match. And I got to say, I I remember this time period in particular, these couple WrestleManias not feeling as big of a deal or maybe like they were the WrestleMania type. But that's honestly more 95 in WrestleMania 11. Like this one, they, yeah, 11 they was didn't, bad. 12 wasn't bad. This isn't that bad. And in yeah. watching it back, it's honestly just a little like a, a lot more solid from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And the one thing they do, this thing moves really quickly because they give themselves so much time for the for the main event. Yeah. Like by the time the Undertaker and Diesel start, which is like r- the match right before the main event, they have Piper and Goldust do a little. It's like 50 minutes in and they've gotten through almost the whole undercard. Yeah. So, it moves pretty quick. There's nothing that's unbelievably horrible. We have the Ultimate Warrior squash. Okay, we're not going to grade that as a match, but the one thing I will say, and in 
doing a little research for this DZ, Dave Meltzer points out a lot how there were a lot of tickets sold for this event based on the back of the Ultimate Warrior. And you yeah. could hear that pop when he came out. He sold a ton of tickets for this show. I mean, it's because you're not that far removed from 91, 92 at this no. point still. No, You know, this is 96, you know, so there are still enough wrestling fans that are going to be in that building that remember peak Ultimate Warrior. Um, now, you know, it, it had been a few years, and obviously his return did not go the way they hoped, and this kind of all fell apart when he showed up on Raw wearing a baseball hat. Um, you know, yeah. a, f- a couple months later, which kind of put the kibosh on what they were doing here. But yeah, for this night, you know, that he, music you know hits. what they did, they did a good like the match isn't anything more than what you would expect it's from a, a it's an ultimate squash. warrior match, yeah. It's but but the presentation, you know what? The the entrance looked good, they yeah. had the pyro out there, like yeah. it felt like a pretty big deal when he came out. No, it, did. It, did. it was short lived, but yeah, if you're just looking at this night, you had you'd have to look at that and say, you know what, crowd got into it. They yep. let they were they were pumped up, and I mean from top to bottom, like I think what ends up hurting the show and the Iron Man match overall throughout time is the fact that there were just no falls throughout yeah. the most of it, and I, yep. it's. I understand why they do it and you like it's incredible and the way like everything about this match is is good it's well done they pace it well but the last 30 minutes of this match compared to the first 25 or 30 minutes of the match you could tell they're like two different matches they're slowing things down they're saving a little bit and then they really kick it into high gear I think it would be more well received if we would have even just had one count out each earlier in the match and it's one one if no guys want to get a pinfall that's fine. Like have one one DQ, one count out. But I think that I think just the lack of action throughout in reading about this match and kind of hearing some of the responses to it, I think that's hurt it because dude, these guys went out for an hour on a main event. And in the last 10 minutes, this crowd was just electric, like going crazy for every move. But I think that just watching it back again, it's just it's not one that you're gonna go watch back over and over and over again because of the hour long. Like, do you do you think yeah. it would have been better served to not say it was going to be an Iron Man match and just have these guys go an hour and then it's a draw and then they keep going like, like that, an, like an old school Broadway steamboat yep. or yeah, yeah, yeah maybe, Cause, maybe because you wonder if when you're watching some of these matches, you're just kind of the first twenty minutes or thirty minutes, you're just kind of you're not really. It's, it's like the, like people say this about the NBA, right? It's like the second quarter of an NBA game. Like the last five minutes are what matters if it's close, you know? Um, that's sort of where we were here. But I don't, I don't really have a lot of negatives about this match. Like these guys, if the only thing negative you can say about it was that the first half of this match was at a slightly slower pace, to me, that's not a bad match. That like, if you're gonna say, yeah, if this match was 30 minutes, I would have liked it better. But they gave us an extra 30 minutes of still above average ring work. <laughs> you know, like between yeah. two good workers, I'm not gonna penalize them for that. Where do you gotta stand overall on this match? You know, for me, and at the time, I mean, I was 12 going on 13. So, you know, I didn't really have an understanding of booking and everything yet i was just a bret hart guy you know i didn't understand that this was going to be the passing of the torch and all that stuff 
which I'm sure if I going into that match, if I was my age now watching it, I, w- I would have known what was to come. Oh yeah, me neither uh, though. I remember being like, I remember I was being devastated, furious. Yeah, I when was they devastated. made him go back into the ring, I was my face looked like bread. I was like, what the hell are you talking yeah. about? No, I was so mad. I, I was so mad. Yeah. yeah, I was so mad. Um, yeah, I I think they. This is one of those situations where no matter how good the match is, you you kind of paint yourself into a corner because if you make an Iron Man match where most falls wins, well, I I don't like the idea, and this maybe they didn't either, which is why they did it. If your champion gets pinned but still wins the match, I don't know how that looks. Yeah, no, you're right. Now, especially in like a crowning achievement moment for Michaels yeah. like this, right? You're Sean, like if Sean got pinned first. Right. And then he got the next two falls to win. Well, he still won the title after getting beat in the spot. You're right. And I yep. wonder if that's what if they sat down and said that to themselves. Um, I don't know, but that kind of like as I as I age and think about it, um, you know, it's it's not an easy watch to sit through this an hour straight. It's hard. Yeah, it is. Uh, there's only so much that you can do in an hour. I mean, look, did they pull it off? They did. It's a good match. And they got creative. You saw them using offense that they didn't always use. They pulled deep into their bag of tricks. But I just, w- there's a reason we haven't seen this again on pay-per-view since then. Oh, I yeah. Think, right? Yeah. We it's, see it's the 30-man yeah. minute Iron Man matches sometimes. Or they'll do the gauntlet-style t- matches, which there's different people coming in and out. It's going to keep your attention a little bit more. Even the, the, got in trouble because like the first, like almost third of this match has to be kind of paced so slow. I know it does because it if does. you got to go 60 minutes. You can't do a lot in the first half of the match. Cause you're going to be blown up. So it was, it's a good match. We'll talk about it a little bit more in the main event as we are at WrestleMania 12. And another thing about this, no celebrities anywhere. I think this was yeah. the first one. And we're coming off of a year where they had Lawrence Taylor in main event. Yeah, they had <laughs> the, Lawrence Taylor. They didn't wasn't that also the year where they Pamela did like, Anderson, Pamela Anderson, Jenny McCarthy. And all that? They had yeah. all the guys, JTT, they had the yeah. guy from NYPD Blue all over the place too. Like, I mean, every year you think about all the way through, um, they always had big celebrity uh, involvement, except for this one. Yeah. But we did get that awesome voiceover packages that would start here and this was when wwf at the time or wwe when they just treat it like a real sport for some of the time that they do god things are good and this is what they did the build-up to this main event match whether you love the iron man match or not by the time that bell rings you kind of have goosebumps and it feels like a huge match Yep. Everything about the presentation, the video packages, watching these two guys, they sell you that these are two legitimate athletes that are going to go out there for an hour and give you everything they've got. And um, we get Vince and Jerry the King Lawler setting up some of the big matches on the night. They hype the Iron Man match, Diesel Undertaker, the Warrior Return. We've got the backlot brawl between Piper and Goldust. Mm-hmm. And we're out in Anaheim, uh, California at the Arrowhead Pond. First thing that starts off it's a six man tag match And I thought you know what Because it was a tag match it worked Well because you have a a lot of guys In here a couple good workers you know You obviously have an Owen in the match And Bulldog and even Vader For a big man could you know he could work On the flip side you've got Ahmed and Yoko And Yoko is at the very very 
final yeah. stages of his career. He was massive at this point. So it's the British Bulldog, Owen Hart, and Vader. Vader has just been in for about four or five months. He recently was suspended because he went after Gorilla Monsoon. But they are building up Vader as a heel. He's going to be someone that actually challenges Shawn Michaels for the title at SummerSlam. What's weird about this, DZ, is they have a stipulation, and they would rarely do this, where you have a stipulation that just doesn't happen. Like, if if Yokozuna's team wins... Then he gets five minutes in the ring with Jim Cornette, right? And then they don't they don't do that. Yeah. Um, I didn't think the match was bad though. It went thirteen minutes, and it's it's clunky. And there are a couple times where just everybody's in the ring, all going at it. But I think I was expecting worse when I when I saw it on paper. I was just like, ah, this probably isn't much. But some of my favorite things about the match. So because Yoko is a baby face, Mr. Fuji's out there waving the American flag. I know. Which was so funny to see. Yeah. He's out there and he's in like all white. He's looking just so like yeah. smiley. I just, it's I couldn't believe it was so weird. And um, you know what? Ahmed Johnson, he had a suicide dive right off the yeah. bat. I didn't think he could even leap over the ropes probably, like that. Probably, probably the greatest move in his career. It, it was. Because if he wasn't doing that, he was hurting just about everybody do, he was in the ring with. Doing nothing. Um, but we had a couple of fun standoffs between uh, Vader and Yoko. And they were quick and stuff. So that was, I think that's what was was well booked about this match is that, hey, we got a guy like Yoko who can't do much. Let's just kind of get him in for... 30 seconds. He could, still, he, he could still hit that big Uranagi though. Yeah. Yeah. He had one like the spots that he could. And the crowd yeah. actually sort of was into cheering for Yoko. And they did pop when Yoko and Vader would have their standoffs. And I actually got a little fun nostalgia seed for some reason, just seeing Jake and Owen in there. I was like, yeah. this is a weird kind of pairing. You like Jake and Owen sort of going at it. And the crowd, even when Jake was big and not in great shape and well past his prime at this time, yeah. Anytime he did that short clothesline and that, that and he set, oh man, and he, and he would, he would set up for the DDT, that yeah. crowd would go nuts. And, and so, you know what, this wasn't, I didn't really have too many problems with this match. It wasn't a five-star match. You're not going to go tell everybody to, oh, you need to rewatch this thing, but it, it wasn't bad. I just thought there was a weird spot where Jake, the snake just starts kicking out of finishers. Like, yeah. Bulldog just gives him the running power slam and he kicks out. Vader gives him like a splash that normally would have sent most people packing. He kicks out there, but it wasn't really for much. The heels pick up the win in about 13 minutes. So, I mean, the crowd was into it. They, and there was a pretty good amount of like middle middle card star power here with Bulldog, Owen. Vader was a new heel. Like Ahmed Johnson, we talked about, was someone who was very, very over and at this point would be over for the next you know, six to eight months. And, you know, you have Cornette out there who's getting some heat. I really didn't have a problem with this match. No, a bit of an odd match to start a WrestleMania with. The, Very with the weird. Six. Yeah, it's a weird, you know, and, and by modern standards. Um, I mean, they, they had done six-man takes to start pay-per-views before, but this is a lot of beef in the ring. It's a little bit of a strange choice. Um, kind of interesting to note that there was, uh, well, there were actually two dark matches. Oh, yeah, we got to um, talk about these, please. You know, um, so <laughs> first, kind we of got weird. Sonny. first, we well, got yeah. Sunny with the body Donnas. Well, that, uh, that's the, the thing. It's, yeah, it's kind of weird to say this that on a, on a WrestleMania show that is only six matches, the final of the championship, the, the tag team championship tournament 
happen on the pre-show, the free-for-all. And, and you don't have the you, IC I title see... being defended because Goldust was your IC champ at the time. Correct. Um, I, I'll be honest with you. I have no recollection of the body Donnas as a WWF tag team champion. Me None. neither. None. I have no, I have no memory of them over a six week period having those belts. I, I, I like when I looked up, when I saw the result, I was like, I never remember them having a title. And Ever. then we got the Huckster and Nacho man. Oh, Nacho man. Yeah. yeah. Just uh, awful stuff that the WWF was doing at the time. And this is such a, a pivotal time period because we see, you know, you have Undertaker, Stone Cold, and Triple H, who are three of the huge figures of the Attitude Era. And the next, the transition from where the company is right here into the next year, two, three years. And then at the beginning of the show, you've got the Huckster and Nacho Man. You know, yeah. it's like, it seems so strange uh, seeing some of the timing here. But uh, the opener, six-man tag, the heels get the win. And we move along to a video package to set up that Hollywood backlot brawl, which, again, like going through this card, this isn't a match that you can grade or anything, but it was really unique at the time. Everything about this was done visually really well. The look was different, and it had just a different feel to it. I thought this was well done. Um, you have people standing around watching, and they taped this thing at Universal Studios in a back lot, and then they were able to come and do the second part of the match in the live in front of the live uh, audience in Anaheim Pond. And we actually had clips all throughout the night of like the the footage from the OJ chase because Piper was driving around a white Bronco. But DZ, I I thought especially the the first part of it where they're beating the hell out of each other on this back lot. Piper's got a hose. They brawl all over. The The angles are cut differently. It's very unique. It's got a cool feel to it. It's super intense. I, I really enjoyed it. You know, again, it's not a technical classic, but do something a little bit different, a little bit creative. This sort of felt like a WrestleMania match. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of backstory you know, with, with this match and what went yeah. on. Um, if I remember correctly, um, I believe Piper cut his hand very badly. Yes. On, on the glass. On, uh-huh. yeah, the blood that you end up seeing on Goldust is actually not Goldust blood, it's Piper's. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think somebody suffered a concussion, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Goldust did. Yeah. Piper got, they both got beat up pretty bad. Um, some of the stuff on the car was like, like real. He's like running after it on the car jumping on it and all of this happened because razor ramon scott hall wouldn't take the match yeah he didn't want to be in this feud anymore this was supposed to be a miami street fight initially that goldust was gonna go to razor's home and like and start screwing with some of his friends getting razor to want to fight him on the street razor didn't want anything to do with this it was supposed to be a a machismo versus the guy who's, you know, playing a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a character that you don't know what what he is, right? That was the whole point of Goldust. Is he male? Is he female? Is he androgynous? Does he care about all this stuff? Is it is it mind games? Take a shot every time they say mind games on this pay-per-view, especially Mr. Perfect later when he does his interview. Yeah. He says it like four times in a row. But there, but there, there were a lot of things, I, I, I mean – 
as I guess happens when you do something kind of weird, like if I remember correctly, like Vince wanted this match, but didn't want blood. Yeah. And uh, Goldust, Dustin felt like there had to be blood. Absolutely. And he told Piper before the match that he wanted him to bust him open the hard way. And at some point during the match, uh, early on, Piper hits him like right in the forehead and nothing doesn't cut him. So he tells him to do it again. And he just concussed. And he, <laughs> and he hits him in the top of the head and breaks his hand. So now you got Goldust with a concussion. Piper's got a, like, needs stitches on one hand. He's got a broken hand on the other. Goldust is still pissed off that he's not bleeding at all. Um, <laughs> so basically this thing is kind of like, you know, kind of like a train Everything wreck that from could like, go wrong yeah. will go wrong. And they, yeah. they do is well of a job of just making it seem entertaining, like a demolition derby as possible. It's nothing that you're going to grade again. It's like a five-star match, but all those things go wrong. This wasn't even initially supposed to be the match. You could tell Piper at this point, I think he goes and has a little run in WCW after, but he doesn't have much left in the tank. You know, he's, he's at at the very, very last stages of his career. But I think we forget early on, Goldust was someone who was put, he was put in big matches against top tier talent. And he was a very over character because a lot of people are like, what the hell? I, I, I was kind of scared of Goldust as a kid. I was like, what the oh, hell yeah. is this? Like, what oh, is yeah. it? Was, this is I weird. mean, obviously a controversial polarizing figure uh, who did a lot of things that made you just uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but stood the test of time, you know, <laughs> it's, say it's what blood- you want about it. Maybe Dustin didn't like the character at times, but you know when that glad when that shattering dreams glass hit, it it usually got a bit of a pop. Again, he he might have had a few better matches as the natural, but yeah. people know him as Goldust. Yeah, no, it's true. And it's true. And we'll talk a little bit more about this match when it finishes up. But they uh they were off. Piper jumps into the white Ford Bronco, takes after Goldust, who which Vince uh, bought to look just like the, the uh, OJ Ford Bronco, the OJ Ford Bronco, and uh, so a little bit of a a respite. But we'll rejoin them in a, in a few. We then got to Stone Cold Steve Austin, and they were just starting to call him Stone Cold. He didn't really become Stone Cold though until after the King of the Ring, right. but he was still aligned with Ted DiBiase. He came in as the ringmaster, and it it wasn't like it was a a terrible gimmick. The guy was still on TV. He was still in the mid-card, but it was just not main event. It was a main event. He was always just going to be— was, And it was tough for us who were fans of Stunning Steve Austin to look at him as the ringmaster. Yeah, it was—there it, just wasn't much there. And I will say, though, through a lot of 96, he feuded with Savio Vega— and these two guys had good chemistry. Like they had yeah. some good matches with each other. This is a 10 minute match that it's not incredible, but it's pretty solid. And during the match, uh, Piper joins us, calls on the phone. He says he's going 80 miles per hour. He's he, going into the fruitcake. He calls him a fruitcake, <laughs> oh, which was, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. I was like, and, well, add that, add that to the list of things you can't say in can't, 2022. Can't say anymore. Don't hold up. Yeah. Piper would have a lot of them. We could go through just, just a Piper I would, career I retrospective. Love, I would love for them to make a documentary called Shit We Can't Do Anymore. Right? <laughs> and it'd just be hours of like the clips of stuff. Of clips. That they you don't even need people to voice clips. them. 
You just nope, show just clips. clips of just all I these saw, wrestling promos, uh, segments. I saw, I saw one today where Flair and Triple H were walking backstage. Oh my god, with the girl backstage and Flair. <laughs> oh my, and Triple H just slaps her on the. Oh, yeah, fixed, and was, she's like trying to get away from him, and he's like, "She wants it." She yeah, wants it. And, and they're I'm like, like oh high-fiving my, each other. I'm like, it's like, oh my God. That's the head of creative for the WWE yeah. right now. Yeah, yep. it's just, yeah, <laughs> shit we can't do anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Call Goldust a fruitcake. <laughs> That's, uh, That's uh, we've got uh, uh, Austin doing a lot of his early stuff, uh, stuff that we would come to know, but same things, the Thez Press, Savia Counters. Um, we uh, we then got the the footage of, the white Bronco chase yeah. <laughs> that Vince says, that looks familiar. I think we've seen that somewhere before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Austin with uh, one of those driving elbows. And then Savio comes back with a big hard chop. And nothing too crazy. It's, it's a lot of basic stuff, but it's, a, it's an above average match here. And these two guys had good chemistry. Stone Cold gets the win after um, the, the, the finish was a little off, but it was a heel finish where the referee was actually out. And DiBiase dumps a, co- a coke on the face of Tim White, and then yeah. he uh, he raises Savio's hand. It drops three times. So Stone Cold picks up the win after the million dollar dream sleeper. Ten minutes, but one year later, this guy's having what many people say is the greatest WrestleMania match of all time, and at the very least, it's on your top five, probably top three with Brett. Then two years later, he's winning the title. It's just incredible to see the trajectory that this guy has. From one year to the next, and then the next after that. I mean, yeah. just just gets red hot following this. No, it's it's a hundred percent true to to think about how quick, you know, because he because Brett kind of goes away after he loses. When he comes back, he tells Vince he wants to work with Austin. Yeah, because um, uh, Austin starts doing the Pillman stuff, right? Yes. Like not long after that, and that sort of gets him over. Yeah. Um, and then he call he starts calling out Brett, and yeah. and that's when Brett makes the return. Yep, absolutely. Yep. And uh yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that match being top three all time. You know, for me it's that Steamboat and Savage. Uh Taker Sean, probably one of them. Like Yeah, probably. Probably, yeah. yeah. I, I, I would say that's that's Oh, I mean, it. I like you and I always talk about Owen Brett, which is to me Yeah, it's a great I, the, Yeah, that's but that's um it, it's hard to make that in the top three because it kicks off the card. Yeah, it's and, not quite as important. Then they have another yeah. banger at SummerSlam in for the, the in the cage too. Yeah. Um yeah. but yeah, I think yeah, Steamboat, Savage, and Brett and, and Austin are definitely up there take those are probably the ones that you hear the most often. Yep. Those those three brought up yep. as uh we then get more footage of the Bronco chase and uh <laughs> just, just oh, that very familiar. Oh, oh my god, where did we see that before? Oh, yes, wow, Vince this was wow. so like announcer events on this show, just yeah. laying everything on so thick. Yes, hang the, on, yes, oh, no. And the Shawn Michaels stuff at the end just like was oh it was just oh my god, my boy oh, dream. Just, oh, just, just, just and it'll be it'll be great yeah. when we get to talk about it because you're talking to two guys here are Bret Hart guys and we're not the biggest Shawn Michaels fan. So I as far as Shawn Shawn Michaels' crowning achievement. We get to talk about I that. I hate. Just, I hated him from the time he, he kicked Janetti through the through the glass. Me too. I hated him when he was the heel Intercontinental guy. I hated him when they tried to push him here as a babyface. I hated him when he did the stuff with Diesel. I hated him. I, I when when Sid beat him. I was ex- 
ecstatic. I loved it. Oh my god! In fact, when we get done here, I might watch that match just to cleanse my aura. Just to get, just to get the good feels after. Who's uh, the man? Yeah. Who's the man? <laughs> Sean was such a whiny little. I couldn't bitch stand it, match. and I couldn't well, stand them because as I got older, I came to understand the fact that everybody thought that he was also just a piece of shit backstage. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So. Shawn Michaels in the main event a few matches from now. But next up, it's uh it's Diesel. And we have uh Mr. Perfect, Mr. Perfect <laughs> interviewing him. And hey, I, perfecto. I, I used to love when Razor Ramon talked to him and called him perfecto. <laughs> that was great. And Perfect was just so awkward as a reporter. It's like oh, these yeah. guys are just they're not meant for this. They don't really know. And Vince must have been telling him. Hey, say mind games again. Vince, it, Vince wasn't telling him because Vince is out there with say mind games again. Say mind, oh, say mind games again. One more time because yeah. he says, Mr. Perfect's watching the video package, the setup, what's been going on with Diesel Undertaker. And he said it four times mind games. And then a fifth time he said mind. So <laughs> if you were, if you were taking shots every time, you're pretty drunk in this one minute. But the vibe, what I'm talking about here with Diesel, like this is Diesel. Yeah. This is who he should have been all along. They tried to make him into the next Hulk Hogan, and they did the same thing with Lex Luger, and they've done the same thing you know, through the years, and it just doesn't work with some people because you got to think about what gets them there. They never did that with Stone Cold, and Stone Cold always stayed over. They never tried to make him something that he was not, ever. Yeah. Yeah, Vin- Vince um, didn't really grab hold of the whole organic – over thing no he picked he picked the guy and i'm gonna make guy. you square yep. peg round hole like i'm putting matter. you in my box you oh, know and like guy six foot ten 330 pounds look at this guy oh and, and you know I what mean, he, he had a good track record for a lot of years picking yeah. making the right moves or or you know picking the hogan and then a cena and even a guy like brett he kind of lucked into like he never really picked brett you know brett no. was just the guy that was there and he was lucky to have a good soldier like that Every time he needed another, oh, this screwed up. I got to go back here. Sean messed up. I got to go back here. Diesel wasn't working. I got to go back here. Guys all are gone for steroids. Where's Brett when we need him? You know, yeah. it's like every time. Um, yeah. Go back Go back to the work, the, to the reliable workhorse, you know, who uh, if you need him, he's, he's going to give you a four-star match whenever he wants. Uh, could work with a broomstick. You know, Diesel was not giving you a four-star match whenever he wanted. No. Uh, in fact, the, the best match of his per- career was probably the Survivor Series match with Brett. Yep. Um, and I'll and I'll and whether you're talking about, you know, Oz or Vinny Vegas or NWO Kevin Nash, uh, I to this day the best match he's ever had is that Survivor Series match with Brett. I don't think there's anything real close. No. Um, so yeah, but Vince did have a way of just putting a circle around the guy and gonna strap a rocket to you and send you to the moon, and then nope. Yeah. All right. That didn't work. Let's go back to whomever. Back to Brett. (laughs) Back to Brett once again. As uh, we get the WrestleMania debut of Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Oh, poor Triple H here. He um, he had said that he wanted Sable. (laughs) Yeah, he he comes out with Sable, and he had said that he wanted to try to get a match out of Warrior, and Warrior was like, Ah, hell no. I'm squashing. I'm getting my moves in, and that is that. And um, we have the the regal royal Hunter Hearst Helmsley with gorgeous looking Sable, and the crowd before the music hits. As soon as Triple H gets in the ring, they're already chanting for Warrior, and 
before his music pops, it's just huge reaction. And when we get that warrior music, great presentation. Pyro was good. And is just as far as looks are concerned, he actually he's a little bigger. His stomach isn't as tight, but he actually looked more like the warrior here than he did when he came back in 92. And he was wearing like the spandex um and the singlet, and his hair was kind of the shorter, like yeah, like Bob. He actually looked just Physically, if you saw the guy run down to the ring, he looked a lot more like that guy from 1991. Well, I, I remember, like, it was like, because well, there used to be rumors, like, that there were different that, ultimate That it wasn't him. That, that that guy wasn't him. Yeah. And that, I remember it was warrior. like, when the guy when the guy came back in 92, they're like, that's somebody else. You know, with that was short smaller. hair, he was smaller, yeah. He wasn't on and the... Then, and then when this guy came back, they were like, wait, that's the original guy. That's that him. looks that's like the OG. I re- yeah. Yep. <laughs> that was the thing. I remember yeah. that. And in... Yeah, I mean, it was it was a, a warrior match. This thing goes one minute and 30 seconds. Triple H actually gets a pedigree in. And he just knows, a warrior just no-sells the pedigree. Freaking bounces right up. He looks up to the sky. And there was a line that, that he, uh, Lawler said at one point. It made me laugh where he's like looking up to the sky. And Vince says, oh, he's getting, he's gaining his powers from the heavens. And Jerry says, don't look up there, Hunter. He just like, <laughs> it, it just made me laugh. Yeah. Look away, Hunter. But, um, I mean, it's a warrior scra- squash. You get the clotheslines, the flying shoulder tackle, the gorilla pla- press, and the big splash. And uh, Triple H is in the loss column. But I think he'll do okay. I think that kid still has a future. In the yeah, company. I think he's got. I think he's got a bit of a future, especially as a heel. <laughs> I think. I think he's going to do a lot of good work as a heel. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Look, I mean, you get the big reaction, but at the same time, watching this, I even remember as a kid thinking to myself, "It's not the same. It's not the same because it's just not the same WWE or WWF no. at the time. Like the crazy, outlandish, colorful characters." It's just not like that anymore. You know, your no. big guys, your headline guys are Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. Like real guys. We're talking about they're they're just, real. Yeah. They're, they're, they're showing they're us their training videos, yeah. and they're talking yeah. about Bret training in the dungeon. Yeah. And yeah. we got Jose Lothario out there with Shawn. His, they're not his macho man Randy Savage with the colors and Hulk Hogan no. with the colors and, you know, uh, Andre the Giant, mythical, larger-than-life figures. They're just guys. And it's like it's like he just didn't fit in with this time of wrestling. Yeah, it just you but watch. Still got a hell of a reaction. He did, and like it's I, I get this sometimes with the, with some of the Marvel movies. Um, I've been seeing it more recently, where it's almost like you're trying to do too much in one movie, and it feels like it's a comedy movie, but like a serious movie at the same time. But they don't yeah. gel, you know. That's and like, it's like Fast and the Furious, where like in the last one that we watched, I know they're coming out with the tenth one now. But in the ninth one, it's like it's like what could they? What else are they going to possibly do? They're in, and they're in like, space. Oh sure, we're going to send a car to outer space. We're in space. There know, was, like, I heard one. Uh, I heard um, uh, an interview from uh, from uh, Dom Toretto, who he said he wants he wants Tony Stark, he wants Robert Downey Jr. to be like the final one to come in because then they could do like an AI like. Like uh, Robert Downey Jr. is the guy that's like all about AI and and like um and self driving cars, which the Fast and the Furious family would hate because they want to drive. So he said he would want. That's one of the only people he still wants to come in. It would be a a Robert Downey Jr. and they could do some sort of a an angle there. But I I agree with you. It just 
what I, I was like, wow, you know what? It, for that night, they got exactly what they wanted out of Warrior. But yep. you could tell just watching this, that there was going to be no shelf life to this. He wasn't going to be able to go out there and really build up a match or a feud with, with promos. The kind of stuff that he used to talk about, it just didn't, it didn't like ring the true at all. People would still pop Hulk for the nostalgia. Hogan, I did not come to destroy Hunkomania. Hulk Hogan, I come. So the warriors and the Hulkamaniacs come together as one. Just That's the not five, work here. No, <laughs> like the five-year-old you and me were like, oh, cool. But the problem was at this point, now we're 10. Now I just want to look at Sable. <laughs> now we're like, what the hell did he say? Where's that yeah. girl? Bring her what? back out there. Yeah. Wait, again. What? What? So uh, <laughs> speaking of which, we've got, uh, yeah, Sable. And we see her again. Backstage because following this We get Todd Pettengale Great way to bring someone in and, and introduce them We got the new big star here Mark Morrow He butchers his name right yeah. when he introduces him For the first yeah. time it's like oh hey, it's God. Johnny B. Bad <laughs> And in Mark Morrow's backstage and That's literally he, what I said when he popped up I'm like holy shit Johnny B. Bad oh. <laughs> And he said I've been waiting for five long years To come And Todd mentions Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Warrior, and Brett as possible matchups for him. I don't know how many times he would end up interacting with any of those guys through uh, through the years. But uh, Triple H he, was... Yeah, he just ended up in a situation where his valet ended up being a much bigger star than he was. Yeah, she was more over than him. Yeah. She was one of the huge stars of the Attitude Era right she here. Made, they, she made a cuckold out of him in more ways than one. She did that up. But think about where she is in a year or two, you know, at WrestleMania's moving forward. So backstage, Triple H is mad. He just got crushed by Warrior. So we get a brawl between them. And this was the moment when I looked down. It was by the time the Diesel and Undertaker match started, which was next. We're we're only 58 minutes into this show, and we already yeah. got that six man tag. We got the start of the backlot brawl. We got the Austin Savio Vega stuff. We got the Warrior squash, and then a couple promos backstage. They, they were moving quickly yep. through through this. The pace was really good, and Diesel Undertaker was a match that I thought was really good, especially for the mm-hmm. time because you've got the Undertaker who has been just dealing with terrible dance partners for almost yeah. his entire career in WWF. He had a couple matches with Brett and guess what? They were good. Same yeah. thing with Diesel, but these two guys in 95 were dealing with King Mabel. Yep. Like King Kong Bundy. Like War uh Undertaker's working with Kama, you know, he was working with Kamala, Giant Gonzalez, the fake yep. Undertaker. Yokozuna. So, Yokozuna, those are some of the guys he'd been working with. And even Diesel, we can crap on him for some of the things. Like the year before at WrestleMania, his best friend screwed him over in the main event and wouldn't sell for him and tried to make him look bad. Like it wasn't really his fault in the main event of or in the the title match of 95 WrestleMania that Sean was was putting on the face. And this match, I I just really liked it, Darren. I kind of forgot that it was is as likable to me. You have the undertaker getting the opportunity to finally use some athleticism, right? He was able to fly around. He had a couple cross bodies in here. This wasn't just the undertaker who was the dead man. And then you had diesel. 
He was such a great heel in this match The way he was playing to the crowd I thought he hit a, the jackknife that looked really good And then he just sort of waits And he tells him to get up yeah. Tells him to get up Undertaker And he kind of kicks at him And then Taker gets up with a huge Jumping clothesline And then a choke slam And he goes all the way down to the mat like he used to And these two guys With almost 17 minutes yeah. It didn't feel like At the end you know, you had uh, Undertaker who was selling, and there was a couple min- like couple minutes that maybe you could have shaved off. But I thought I thought it worked because Diesel was just playing to the crowd the whole time. It didn't feel like he was in a rest hold to try to get a few extra minutes out. It felt like he was just looking at everyone, saying, "Screw all of you! I'm beating the dead man here." Right, right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I thought these two had a good rapport together. I thought the match delivered. You got the high impact moves, the side slams, the choke slams. Um, you got the jackknives, the big clotheslines, the old school off the top rope, a couple of suplexes. Uh, I thought everything here was was real good. Um, not everything was the cleanest move in the world, but that's okay when you got two big guys like this. Um, and, and I thought Undertaker was a, was a real good partner for Diesel here. I thought the match did a lot of good for Diesel. I thought it probably moved him up to an even uh, higher level than he was at before. Um, and obviously anything that Taker does, I'm going to be uh, – I'm going to be a fan of here, but yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was about a three and a half. I agree. You know, for our match, I, I thought it was real solid. Yeah. And this is now five and zero oh for the undertaker at WrestleMania. Keep in mind, this is a type of match that Na- Nash is leaving in yeah. two months. And they, know, they already know at this point, he's going to be gone. He, he didn't need to work that hard in this type of a match. And he's the type of guy who totally wouldn't have, right? Like, Oh, I'm out of the company. I could just sort of mail it in, but I appreciate the fact that he worked his ass off in this main in this main events type match, and I I forgot it was a lot better than I had uh, right initially remembered. And I think that was you know kind of looking through this show, there isn't really anything that bad. No, you know, we have a, a squash, which is a squash, and we're not going to grade it, but nothing else is super offensive or where we're like, damn, that was ten minutes that was just a total yeah. waste that we didn't need, and and so that's like that's the marks of a. A good show in a different way Some shows you'll have two five-star matches Like Wrestlemania 10 This one doesn't have that But we don't have a couple things That we feel like we just have to fast-forward All the way through And yeah, now we uh, we get back one more time To Roddy Piper and Goldust In the backlot brawl First up, it was Todd Pettengill He's in the back And he's waiting for them to arrive And here comes Goldust And then Marlena And we see... Diesel actually I thought it was kind of cool Diesel just sort of walking by in the back um, Too so we know that they're making Their way into the arena and This wasn't anything These two guys stumbled Towards the ring you had already Pointed out yeah you'd already Pointed out like at this point One guy's guy's concussed One guy's got a hand Injury they're all messed up And Goldust he straddles Piper at one point If he goes in for a kiss um, yeah. And then he gets hung up on the top rope Right on his nuts Then he kisses Piper Right on yeah. the mouth You know that's that, not going to go well And that's what got Piper all pissed off And then so Piper He strips him and Well, f- well first under, he grabs him First He, he grabs, grabs him, him by, by the, balls. the balls And then yeah. he just runs around in a circle Just yeah. hold, holding his nuts Like ah. And, and, then, and then and then we get to see him in nice uh, nice lingerie, lingerie yeah. with a thong, and uh, Vince. Wonderful. I've never seen anything like this. And 
then Piper tells me you have Vince spreads his legs like a wishbone and gives him a knee to the balls. Yeah. And then we don't even get a finish. Goldust just runs out of the ring. So, you know what? The crowd liked it. It was interesting. And it's something that is memorable when you talk about WrestleMania moments. Yep. This is kind of one of them, that moment that wasn't really a match, but you know what? I like the fact that they split it up too. They didn't come back and have 15 more minutes in the ring. Once they came back in the ring, they had like five minutes of a brawl here. Yeah. It didn't overstay its welcome. And I think timing wise, they split it up well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, I think the fact that you kind of, you know, you had the beginning parts of it early on and then you kind of went back to it in a couple of, you know, different segments and videos of the Bronco and stuff through the show and then circle back to it here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's just a full fledged brawl, which is pretty much all Piper could do at this point. Um, you know, a lot of people shit all over this particular match. If you want to call it that, uh, it did have its downs, but like you said, um, it's one of those moments from, you know, that period of my life in the WrestleManias where you definitely remember it. Uh, and sometimes that's what you're going for with these kind of things. And, and I think from that standpoint, you know, they succeeded. Uh, it's not a wrestling match. It's not a fi- anything like a five-star wrestling match, but it's just one of those things where you, uh, you know, parts of it are entertaining and, uh, and parts of it certainly were. And then once Brett left for the next six months, there were some shows where there were shows where like Piper and Lawler have a match. Yeah. That's like really bad. There was a Lawler and Warrior. Warrior was in the mix with Goldust in another one. They just they they needed guys in big spots and they used Piper a few times. He's he wasn't in great shape anymore at this point, but the guy could still get the crowd invested. And he like a, a match like this was perfect for him. This reminded me a lot of the like WrestleMania three with the uh, adorable Adrian Adonis. Yeah. Like it was almost the same type of a character too with Goldust, yeah. you know, call. and it's, it's like a brawl that didn't matter what the match was like, but it was mainly just to get Piper out there and to, to cheer for pipes. And yes, I agree. We move. To 1996 WWF, and we hear a familiar voice that we did not see, I don't think, until 97. Michael Cole doing yeah. the voiceover for the uh, the video package for Shawn Michaels and Brett. I was like, oh, man, that's Cole on there. Who yeah. he kind of, because Cole basically became sort of like the Pettengill for a little while. Because Pettengill was still here, and then I think in a few months he's gone, and Cole kind of became that role until he started sitting on the desk. But that familiar voice of Michael Cole and just an incredible video package for the main event all about Brett and Sean really great backstory for each guy and like legitimate backstory talking about Sean, his training, the years in the WWF where he's, he was tag team and then mid card kind of floundered, not really floundered, but he just, he was never a main event like guy. And Brett talked about his training with the heart dungeon and stew and, I thought it was really, really good build-up, good video package. And then the entrances, it's sort of sort of weird to talk about this entrance with Sean after yeah. what happened with Owen. Yeah. Like, it, it is, like, because separating the two of them, I mean, this was a visually incredible entrance from Sean. It looks amazing. This is the exact type of thing that they love for WrestleMania. And this, that entrance with him ziplining down and the crowd in the back like it was it was really cool it was a little bit weird that they have Lothario come out like I thought that was a little weird because Sean's music hits and, it, and then Jose comes walking down everyone's like 
you sure ain't no sexy boy, Jose. Like, what the hell's what the hell's going on here? And some of the stuff with Lazario, uh, with Lothario, I don't think um, hit because I didn't know who the hell he was. You probably didn't. He was a real local no. Texas guy. Like, he wasn't a he wasn't someone who was in the WWF even in like the mid '80s that we would have known no. from o- old WWF stuff. So I always thought it was like, who is this guy again? And well, this was this was the typical trying to turn someone into a baby face and giving them the feel good story. You're of absolutely Hogan. right. Yeah. The Hogan. Yep. They yep. wanted him to be. Here's the trainer. Here's the guy. Uh, let's give you a reason to like him. Remember, this is just after Shawn Michaels had had a concussion storyline also where yeah. he was knocked out in the middle of the ring. He, he returned. He wins the Royal Rumble. And this was after winning the Royal Rumble in 95 as a heel. He didn't win WrestleMania, but following WrestleMania 95, he becomes a babyface, and now this is going to be his moment, and this is going to be the night for Shawn Michaels. Um, The entrance was very, very good, and then I even liked the way that they had Earl Hebner, you know, talk about all the rules and set everything up. It felt like a boxing fight. This for the Wild Wrestling Federation Championship. And he's... (laughs) He's uh, it's like here's your moment, Earl. It's an Iron Man match. Y'all gonna be wrestling for sixty minutes. <laughs> Most falls would declare the winner of the World Wrestling Federation champion, <laughs> and he went through all of it. And what's kind of a cool um, tidbit too? So Brett and Sean end up having three pay per view matches against each other through the years, and actually we're get, now we have talked about all of them on this show. Through our yeah. through our recaps, and Earl refereed all of them, which is kind of cool. Um, because well, he did he did almost all of Brett's all, matches, all of Brett's matches, yeah. yeah. And so ninety two, they were in the the Survivor Series main event, which is a really underrated match that people don't so talk be, about. To be honest with you, that might be the best match that the two I think of them so too. I, yeah. I think that's the best one that the three yeah. of them have because the ninety seven one is 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 it's almost just a screw a job brawl, but it's like a brawl. It's a brawl, yeah. and it's a yeah. bummer because like the start of that match, if we would have gotten an extra ten or fifteen, like we thought on the back yeah. end, yeah. the way that the heat was in that match. But Earl, yeah. he's refing all three of them, and both guys have this very serious look on their face. I just. I thought the presentation and everything leading up to the match was good. And then even the match, I don't think you could say it was bad. You may not like it as much. You may say it goes on too long. You wish they would have done that. But you're not going to say it's bad. These guys aren't missing spots. The psychology yeah. is well done. Bret Hart was one of the, like, in a good way, craziest guys at setting up a match. He wanted to make sure everything flowed. Everything felt real. There wasn't anything that was disconnected that you would say, why would you do that? There was very little of that in Bret Hart matches. And so, you know, I'm not going to go through everything that happened in the 62 minutes, but a couple things to point out. I love that Bret uh, busted out a spine buster at one point, which looked pretty cool uh, in the early part of the match. And then then we're at about, again, the the first part is is sort of slow. Um, We get to about the 15-minute point. And they're outside of the ring, and Sean goes for a super kick, and Brett moves, and poor Tony Kimmel, Tony Chimmel, who's who's sitting there, he's the the uh, the timekeeper. Tony gets a, a sweet chin music right in the face, and yeah. that was a fun spot. And then a few minutes later, they're like on the ring apron, and they're outside working around just outside the ring, and one of the cameramans gets too close, and Sean turns around like a total jackass and just like, yells at the ca- and cusses at the cameraman. It's like, dude, you're a baby face. This is your big crowning moment night. You know you're going to win the title. 
Like, why are you cussing out a camera dude that Vince McMahon's got to then cover for you after? Vince yeah. is like, is oh, whoa, uh, Sean, getting a little, you know, all the emotions here. He's getting a little upset. It's like, God, come on, Sean. Tip, typical Sean. Yeah, and you could see, and I don't, again, this is speculation, and I, like, you could see his eyes in, in like, the video package when he was cutting his promo and stuff. His eyes just don't look good. Like, he yeah. doesn't look like he's looking back at you. He's there just glossed and glazed over. And, uh, again, physically, he was great, but he was a little like a petulant little child. You oh, know, yeah. and you saw that multiple times throughout this match. After cussing at the camera, dude, he then bitched later at the end. We'll talk about that, what happens when he wins the title. But he did do some pretty impressive stuff throughout the match. Brett gets a pile driver. Then there no, were there's no knocking his in ring ability. No, ne- never. I mean, yeah. Sean was awesome in the ring. It's it's the attitude and what he did to guys outside of the ring, which was which was really unfortunate. He leaps off the top rope. Uh, there's a moment where they're they're going back and forth, and Brett like wants to roll out to get a breather, and Sean jumps from the top of the top rope, three quarters of the ring, outside of the ring, to hit Brett. It was unbelievable the length that he got in that situation uh, for a big cross body. Um, we get a small package back and forth. Sean hits a perfect plex, which was pretty cool. Um, and then he locks in the sleeper. Then Brett really starts working on Sean's lower back to set up for the sharpshooter. And... Uh, so they're working outside the ring and Brett or they're inside the ring. Brett throws Sean into the turnbuckle and Sean does the Ric Flair spot where he sort of goes up and over the turnbuckle. But when he does that, he kicks Jose Lothario in the head, which I thought was kind of a cool spot because it, it didn't make Brett a heel, but then Brett throws Sean into Jose Lothario again outside the ring. And so you can see Brett turns to Lothario and says something like, get the hell out of here. Or like, Hey, watch where you're going, old man. And um, and then this part of the match, Brett wasn't like full on heel, but he was starting to work a little bit more like a heel. And Lawler was loving it. Lawler was yep. starting to love it. He was like, oh, good. Knocked out, Lothario. Well done, Brett. He said, I never thought I'd be cheering for something that Brett did like this before. And um, and we get to like 52 minutes and the last eight are just Awesome, like really good. Brett goes for a sharpshooter, it gets blocked. Then Brett goes for the single leg Boston Crab. Um, he then all of Brett's moves the backbreaker, the elbow off the middle rope. Then Sean gives him a boot to the face. Sean hits a big drop kick with five minutes left. This crowd is just you could feel like their anxiety, they're like. You could hear them like <gasps> that's the good part of the way they did the match. Like the yeah. last the last 10 minutes of it, every it's it's like the end of a, of a Super Bowl. You know, where every single play matters. And you're just like, is that it? Oh, oh, like you just you don't know what's gonna happen. And it was it was really well done towards the end. We get Sean. Oh, oh, Brett hits a awesome looking superplex, just brutal looking superplex. And then Sean gains control and he throws Brett, and Brett does that run straight into the turnbuckle, sternum first. Um, Sean with the flying forearm, then a kip up, and then the back elbow, double axe handle. Sean hits a, a cool suplex, and then he hits another flying elbow. What I liked about Sean, too, he could do the elbow with either elbow. Yeah. He could do it with the right or the left, and they both looked pretty good. 
for Sean. Mm-hmm. Like some some can't do that. He could do it. Again, we're never questioning his athleticism at all. It's just the it's the mental stuff with Sean. He hit a gut wrench suplex, which looked really cool, and then a, a moonsault that was again for two. And this pace at the end, these guys are just they they had they still had a lot left in the tank here. I mean, you could tell they were tired, but they were moving at a fast fast pace for two guys who had been going for fifty five minutes. And it looks like we've got a, about a minute left here. Sean's in control. He's going for a, a drop kick off the top rope. Brett catches his legs. Darren, this was the best sharpshooter he's ever locked in. I agree. He, he catches it and he puts it in within one, like one second. It's like catch, sharpshooter in, turn around, and he is wrenching back on that thing. And I'm just thinking about this sharpshooter compared to like ones that, you know, like the rock would put on. And it's like, oh my gosh, like this. It hurt my legs watching it. I, I I watched it twice or three times back because it was so impressive how quickly he locks it in, turns him around, and he's just sitting there. And you're watching for these last 30 seconds to see if Shawn Michaels can survive. Again, the last few minutes of this, very, very well done. Great drama. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal drama. Um, you know, the fact that they were able to deliver the last 10 minutes after what they'd gone through, the back and forth, having the 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 audience in the palm of your hand for those 10 minutes, um, everything that, um, that they could have possibly done to bring this latter part of the match to where it needed to be. I thought they did, um, an exceptional job of it. Um, you know, and, and all the way through to Brett having to come back in the ring and how it kind of went back and forth. Um, I I thought, I thought it was phenomenal. Now there are uh, some underlying things here that we do need to talk about that went on. Um, and it's part of the reason why some people like myself just can't stand Shawn Michaels. Um, you're in a main event with Bret Hart. He's putting you over in the main event at WrestleMania. And, you know, there's some reports corroborated by a few people that Shawn was hitting Bret with some pretty stiff shots towards the yep. end of the match. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's just kind of what he was. Um, Shawn had also said... I'm glad you're putting me over because I wouldn't do the same for you. Um, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and then and it's then after the, of course, well, what then, happens after which, yeah. So, one, I mean, literally 10 seconds after the pin, you know, Brett is selling, getting beat part of his job. You know, he just took your second straight two super kicks. Yeah. So he's selling, you know, he got beat and he's selling and, and think about, you know, think about that. So in the moment, okay. Like match match, 60 minutes is up. Brett yep. starts walking down the aisle. He thinks he's he thinks he's survived. Gorilla yep. Monsoon goes in. He tells Howard Finkel that this match must continue. Brett's a little pissed off, but he turns around. He walks back to the ring, and these two guys start. Which, the, the thing that always pissed me off about that was, like, I was, in my head, I'm going, so Brett gets to lock him back in the sharpshooter, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. how we're starting the match with Shawn Michaels right. in the ring, in the middle, with Brett having the sharpshooter on. Right. Because... Because that's where we should have. <laughs> right. If we were going to let this match continue, you shouldn't have ever rang the bell right there. They should have been sitting in the middle with Brett and the sharpshooter, you know? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So that was the, the 10-year-old kid in me watching this is, like, pissed off about that. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, they get back in the ring. They have the, the the minute or so match that, you know, it goes two more minutes after um, after the, uh, the 60. And basically all it was was, you know, Sean getting the chance to get the uh, the sweet chin music. He hits it once. Vince says he doesn't get it cleanly. And then 
He hits it again. Mm-hmm. So one, two, three, Shawn Michaels gets the win. He, for one second, like goes down to his knees to celebrate. And can you imagine being such a miserable prick that yep. at this moment, honestly, he wasn't married at this time and didn't have any kids. So this is the greatest moment of his life, right? Yep. The greatest, everything he has worked for in his whole life to get to this, the crowning achievement. You've got it, dude. You know Bret Hart is leaving after this. Two, you are the guy. And he looks down at that moment and tells Hebner to tell Bret to get the hell out of the ring so he could have his moment. I mean. And I'm not taking the belt until you do. I mean, could you, like, how is that going through your head at that time? Yep. That's because that's the way he was. And the, and Sean and, and Brett walking down that aisle back to the dressing room where you see him on, you know, take the straps off his shoulders and somebody threw a Canadian flag at him and he threw it right back. That wasn't, that wasn't character. He was pissed. He was mad. He was, pissed. he was mad. Well, yep. of course, how could you not be? You just it, like, especially if you're Brett at this time, like again, you and I are big Brett fans, but let's just look at the facts. Brett was the company dude. Didn't do anything wrong, didn't have any scandals, never screwed them over, never screwed up at all. And every time they needed you, you were there, but they never really wanted to go with you like the guy. They keep telling you about Shawn Michaels forever. I mean, from the moment the Rockers came in, you heard that Shawn Michaels was going to be the next guy, but he kept screwing himself up. He kept doing drugs, getting in fights, doing all sorts of stuff that was embarrassing to where you couldn't make him the guy. You couldn't put the title on Shawn Michaels any earlier than you did because he he would have messed it up. Part of the reason why they never put the tag titles on the Rockers was they were worried about him. Yep, exactly. So now you're right. I mean, the fact that the Rockers, with the exception of that one match against the Hart Foundation that, you know, never really counted because the rings broke, uh, the ropes broke. I yep. mean, the fact that the Rockers never had a tag team title run in WWF is insanity. It is. And, man, it just, you watch this guy, and I agree with you. And now, I you, feel- have to, you have to imagine, I never saw a report about what happened when when Brett walked back through the curtains. You have to imagine he walked right past McMahon and said, and just something, like, and yeah. said something to him, like, good luck with that piece of shit. Yeah, you're right. and. Again, Sean wasn't ever a really great champion. Nope. He was a great wrestler. Yep. A great performer. One of the best of all time. If, we'll if he's never, your we'll pers- never knock his in-ring ability. Yep. If he's your personal favorite performer, in-ring wrestler, I, I won't debate that at all. Yep. But just being the guy, like how mad would, would I, I would have been if I was Bret Hart in that situation, being like, God, I've done so much over and over for this company. And then this guy comes in. I yeah. go an hour with him. I make him look like a million bucks and he shits on me right afterwards while I'm yeah. in the ring selling him. Like I'm yep. making him look better because I can't even move because he yep. kicked me twice. And he tells me, to, tells the referee to get my ass out of the ring. Like yeah. just, just on your night. I can that's promise all you, you see, could think about, right? If that's my night, maybe a week or two later when you watch it back or something, you see, you're like, damn, what is Brett doing? He should have given me that moment, you know, something like that. But right then, you're you're not even happy that you just won. Like that's wouldn't the it, first. I mean, I w- it wouldn't have even occurred to me to think me either. That. I would have not even. I would have. That wouldn't have never registered. And you see it. You see it right there. That was the thing too about about Sean versus some of the other guys. Like if Brett would have ever done something like that, or maybe like a flare, we didn't see it. I didn't see it on the on the camera. 
Like, I wouldn't see it. If Flair was pissed off about something that happened, which I'm sure he was, all of these guys have egos. There are a lot of them are prima donnas. Even uh-huh. Hogan, right? Even Hogan, how many times he would have was pissed off or something. But you didn't see him act the way Sean did in front of the camera as a baby no. face. No. Like, never. I'd never seen that. Someone who's supposed to be a baby face, like, whining and bitching like that. It was just, it was absurd for his crowning moment. And after... A very good match on a show, DZ, that I actually think it it held up better to me watching it back than than how I remembered. And I don't want to come I don't want to lump this one in with 95 anymore when I'm thinking about WrestleMania's because this one's well, fine. It's I not think, I think that happens just because of like so you have 10, which is an all-time WrestleMania. Eleven is atrocious. Thirteen has Bretton Austin. So you just kind of automatically stick 12 in between 10 and 13 you do. and assume it's bad. Yep. Yeah. And it's not it, it's I'm not saying it's an all-time WrestleMania. It's not. No, but it's not bad. It, no. It's it's a it's a it's an average WrestleMania. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. It yeah, just doesn't feel like comparing this show to some of the WrestleManias, right? It wasn't in a stadium. It was 18,000. Right. This was at a time period where um you know in in like reading up on this at this time period, the US with professional wrestling was behind both Mexico and new and Japan. Right. As far as those, those countries were way hotter. The wrestling product, um, the, their ticket sales were higher. They would, they were actually doing stadium shows. Well, they, were doing the to- to- they were doing the Tokyo, Tokyo dome, triple yeah. a yeah. down there. That was before yeah. Mysterio came over and they were doing huge shows in Mexico and WWF was having a tough time selling out the smaller basketball arenas. Yeah, they, you know, they were, yeah, they they weren't close yet to filling out a stadium. No, and Wem- now they rest- did do Wem- they did do Wembley, I should say. Yeah, but and that was rest- different. That was an international show. And WrestleMania would feel different a few years after. But I will say, I like the presentation, the sports feel. This was a different WrestleMania without a bunch of celebs. But yeah, it, it it's fine, and it's it's sort of fun to see. You know, you had Vader really early on in his WWF run. Mm-hmm. You have the the car crash like almost actual v- car vader crash. was vader was one of the more mismanaged wrestlers in god WWE i know history you know i know he i mean really... when you look back at the stuff that he did with sting in wcw and how he wasn't a bigger bigger mass of heel star in wwe it, it, one, that was a that was a missed opportunity for them but and unfortunately we're we're piling on a lot but that was because of Shawn michaels a lot yep. of it because yep. sean wanted to work with sid instead of vader and so I, is it, it's at SummerSlam 96 when Vader beats him like twice, right? Yeah. In that match. And they keep restarting the match over and over and giving yeah. the title back to Sean. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if, if Sean loses once and Vader wins, maybe things are totally different and you have more of a, a feud and a story. But I agree. It, it's a bummer that he didn't get more. And we see Stone Cold before he becomes Stone Cold, Triple H before he becomes the game, and yeah. The Undertaker before. You know, the the Attitude Era and The Undertaker with an entire new character and tweak. And then it's just a bummer when we see Sean and Brett because I think about it like Shaq and Kobe as a Laker fan. It's like, damn, if these two guys could have just gotten out of their own head and Brett was around and we – and because then you you start playing things out in your head like maybe Sean doesn't get hurt, right, with the back injury. And then these two guys are just around for the next five years when – Austin and The Rock are coming up, and you get more interactions with them and Foley, and then it would just like I feel like I I do feel bad sometimes 
for a guy like Brett, because then what happens, he goes to WCW. He has the stuff with Goldberg, then all the crap that happened with his family and a stroke. Like he didn't get the chance that a lot of these guys get to come back and get the big paydays. Hell, Mm -hmm. Austin's still doing it right now, last year. And Brett never really got that opportunity because of all the crap that happened with him. And it's funny. It sort of felt like this was kind of the start of the crap for Brett, you know? Yeah. Because he's gone for a while. He comes back. But this was the first time when I was really like, God, he he did get a little screwed in storyline. And then and then just by the guy in the ring with him was treating him like shit. Yeah, that's true. It's true. And and. I don't know. I don't know if the Brett Sean was this like when the Brett Sean stuff really started to deteriorate. Yeah, it wasn't really bad, but I think it was just after this where Sean would start making comments because they there was even stories they they would be they showed up at each other at like family events with each other. These guys were friends early on because they were two smaller guys that saw a lot of similarities in each other and they wanted to try to stick up for one another. They weren't yeah. Hogan's and Sid's and diesel size. So they thought yeah. if one of us can make it and break through, it'll probably be good for the other. And yeah. their trajectory was sort of similar when you look at, you know, the rockers and the heart foundation, and then they make the, the step up. Brett was always just a little bit ahead of Sean, but then they both become, you know, IC level wrestlers. And then right. following that, they both make the step up to the main event. Um, and they have one of the most memorable matches ever in uh, Survivor Series 97, not necessarily for the match, what for what happens after. But WrestleMania 12 is in the books, DZ. And, uh, you know, final thoughts on this one. Piece of yeah, shit. I agree. Piece I agree with you. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, it's it's a better um, it's a better show watching it back than you remember. Um, I think that. um you know, it kind of gets lost in the time frame of when this yes. is, because this is not very good WWE, WWF at the time. Yep. Um, and I think we probably look back at it and assume it's bad, and it's not really that bad. Uh, now, admittedly, the Iron Man match is either something that is for you or it's not. Um, you know, whether or not it's a good match is completely on how you feel about watching the same two guys wrestle for an hour straight. Um, some people are just not going to like that, um, regardless of how good it could be. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, watching it back uh, brought back some fun memories, brought back some memories of me being upset as a kid. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and the ending to it with, with Sean's attitude has obviously makes me still want to throw something at the television. Um, just as a, you know, you're a 30 year old man. Just just grow up, you know, just just grow up. You, you've been handed the keys to the kingdom and you couldn't be yeah. more of a miserable on, prick on your you know? night, on, on your, your night. freaking night. Yeah. Just. Yeah, act like a little more of adult. He is now, yeah. and he run. It's funny. This is the guy who runs NXT. The guy who's getting squashed out there is the guy who is going to end up running the company of the guy on commentary and yep. marrying his daughter. It's just so funny when you start playing all those things out in your head where yep. everyone has come. Sure. And uh, we'll have to get you back, DZ, between now and WrestleMania, probably the week of Mania for a little WrestleMania roundtable and see what's going on as yeah. uh, we, we see the card for night one and for night two. Thanks so much for hanging out. You know, this is number 87 on the old wrestling rewatches. That, wow. And that doesn't even count, like, some of the ones that we would do previews for uh, Mania, right? Or, right? or other show. That just counts on, like, the old events that we've gone back and watched. And we now have... WrestleMania 1 through 10, 
We have 12, 13, 14. Like uh, once I hit 11 we're, with Andrew. We're avoiding, up next. We're, we're avoiding 11 like I a know. Plague. That was the one I've been avoiding like a plague, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force Andrew to sit down at that one with me. And better him, I, better him than me. Than you, right? I gave you the choice, and then, uh, and then I'll, I'll know that we've got one through 15 locked down. So again, my friend, this was three years ago where it all when it all really started uh, during the yeah. pandemic right right around this time actually it was Crazy, uh, about, about march and uh always appreciate all the time and the hard work that you give us talk to us about what's happening over at, at twin spires and, uh, and some of your work and what you've got coming up yeah um you know it's been it's been a great winter um i am uh the uh, director of uh, loyalty and retention which means i'm responsible for making sure our customers stay our customers and keeping them happy so um, all the uh, promotions and stuff fall under the umbrella of my department. So we have a lot of fun and exciting stuff. I think if you go to our offers page at twinspires.com and look at the promos that we have, uh, I'll, I'll put that up against any ADW in the business gladly. We have uh, a promo running for every day. We've got promos for win betters. We got promos for exacta betters, for try betters, harness players, pick four players, pick five players. We have insurance bets. We have win bonuses. Um, just about everything that you can think of uh, right now we have going on at Twin Spires. And we're going to keep that rolling all the way through the Triple Crown. We have a lot of fun stuff planned throughout the year. A lot of exciting things coming up uh, as we continue to move through the Derby prep season. So a lot of great things going on there. Um, so uh, if you are in the horse racing game and you don't have a Twin Spires account, be sure to sign up because we're going to have plenty of great offers uh, for you to take part in. Make sure to give Darren a follow on social media. You can check him out on Twitter at the track seven DZ, my friend. Thanks so much for helping us out. I always love talking wrestling, talking racing, talking sports with you. And uh, we'll be chopping it up again in the next few weeks. You have a good one with the family and uh, good luck with the, uh, the, the basketball team with your son. I love watching, uh, seeing some of your posts on Instagram over there. And I know that, that uh, you have a lot of fun doing that. So I always, uh, always enjoy hearing the progress and everything going on there. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's like, a, you know, it's every dad's dream to be able to coach his kid in a sport. Oh, yeah. You know, it's what we live for. So, uh, you know, I look forward to continuing this season, next season, and becoming a better coach. It's it's a learning experience for me as much as it is for the kids. It's just a lot of fun. It's something I, I really take a lot of pleasure in. Um, and it's always good to give back to your parish, give back to your school and your community as well. So appreciate the kind words. And as always, a pleasure to come on with you, uh, Gino. That's DZ. Don't go anywhere, folks. We still got plenty more on this episode of That's What G Said. Stay tuned and share around with your friends. If you know your friends love old wrestling and uh, we're big wrestling fans, let them know how we like to relive the past here and some of our favorite moments.